Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast episode number... Brent, I what? just checked all fingers, all toes, and I tied off my big toe and I started back again. That means it's episode number 31. Well, that's how we do it here yeah, in That's Kentucky, how we Whitney. do it. I counted them up. All right, so welcome to episode 31. Man, we've got a lot to cover today, Whitney. Yeah, the episode's going to be mega, man. I would even consider this our post-SFGE extravaganza. I hate to use such a cliched word, but I guess when I'm looking through all the show notes, it really kind of, they tend to kind of go on and on and on. So yeah, that's exactly what it is. We've got the SFGE stuff to cover. Yes. Uh, we had quite a bit of involvement in the show. We'll talk a little bit about the show. Also, I want to give some shout outs to the folks the the organizers yep we've got our own updates we've got uh, which i'm surprised we have as many as we do actually considering that we spent a, a fairly significant portion of the month kind of prepping for that trip and being on the road and everything so yeah that's that, that's yeah that's true you know, my stuff on paper looks a little thin but i'm sure that's not what it's going to end up no, being when, once, once we start talking yeah about once it. you start talking about it, it it just it buds like a little flower you know <laughs> <laughs> we've got some uh, uh tech talk to cover that's uh you know some new stuff and also some stuff we've learned some fallout from sfge things that were picked up there and you know just kind of uh you know there are a few other points that we want to touch on some kind of interesting things in the in the hobby and the community that's going out there on out there we're, i think i'm gonna leave that as a surprise as for a now. surprise yeah. yeah yeah and one of the things that i'm actually looking forward to is revisiting uh some content from a prior episode and that's probably leading in a little bit to what you're talking yeah, about exactly but, uh, but yeah it's good stuff we'll just we'll we'll leave that for when it rolls into the show i, I pulled a couple sound uh sound bites from a prior episode and it, whitney that's painful my voice is terrible <laughs> mine's no better man seriously it you know it is so tough to go back and listen to yourself after the fact because when i'm sitting here in the you know in front of the microphone with the headphones you know i have the voice of, of the most interesting man in the world but when i go back the and voice listen to, of an angel yes and but when i go back and listen to the episode after the fact it's like i don't really sound all that good <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, let's touch on uh, updates, kind of what we've had going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's up with you, Brent? Well, most of my time uh, since the last recording, the last show, was tied up with just getting things ready for SFGE. We had uh, some things that we had to attend to, and Whitney and I will talk about that a little bit later, some things that we uh, we had going on. We had some panels that we moderated. We had some panels of our own. So there was a little bit of research, and by a little bit, I mean quite a bit, yeah. of research that went into getting all that prepared, getting all of our presentations prepared. And, and kind of having all of our notes and, and stuff ready to go for, for panels that we were moderating. So I spent quite a bit of time doing that. Uh, from an arcade perspective, you know, Space Invaders is still haunting me. Yeah, that's been, that's been a recurring theme. I know. Yeah. Whit- Whitney actually sent me a Craigslist um, uh, <laughs> ad. I was going to say a note. A Craigslist ad to a Space Invaders here in a local city. Yeah. And I, I couldn't respond fast enough with, there's no way in the world I'm going to go look at it, get it, consider it. I yeah. don't want it. I've yeah. had enough Space Invaders. But yeah, actually, I, the meme you sent me was hilarious, but <laughs> you'd have to bleep me on that one, you know. But I think it was like, this can't register on my give a, you know, <laughs> something on, meter. On, on my give a something meter fast enough. And I'm like, ah, that was pretty sweet. So, yeah, I've still got a, a few Space Invaders parts kicking around that I need to get finished up and get out of my way so like i said those i'm going to drag space invaders through the rest of my life apparently 
another thing I've been working on, and this is kind of sort of unexpected. Th- things keep getting, and I'll say it, things that are constantly being inserted in front of Burger Time is a good friend of mine is looking for a multi-game. So he has recently actually done some work for me here on, on my property and really took care of me. So, you know, turnabout is fair play. And he was looking for a multi-game. He and I worked a deal. And it's uh, uh, the cabinet is coming out of my personal collection, and I'm making some changes to it as a cabinet that I had that actually was my multi-game for a long time, my okay. personal multi-game. Yeah. And it's a situation where once you finally run out of space, things have to go. And I would much rather have a dedicated game of some type. You know, I've got several that are in line out in the building that I'll eventually work on. You know, the Burger Time's a perfect example. Mm-hmm. So it, it made sense that I wanted to, to free that space up in the game room. So I've been reworking that cabinet to fit you know what he's looking for in a game and part of that has been this somewhere in this mix i decided to pull this monitor out of out of my shed and start working on it i'm not going to quite put this monitor in the category of the zenith and uh say that i want to go ahead and put it on that rocket sled straight to you know uh, the south with <laughs> yeah with satan yeah but uh it's an interesting monitor we'll put a link to it in our show notes this thing is an and I don't even know how to pronounce this. If I'm Al- Algol, A- Al- Al- good try. Yeah, exactly. A L G O L. I've had a few of them. Yeah, here in Kentucky, we call that an Algol. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's an Algol. <laughs> I've had a few of them, and they've always been great monitors. Okay, and the ones I've had have been a vertical mount, and so kind of. Um, if you've seen a vertical mount monitor, it'll basically stand vertically. It'll stand on its own. You know, it's it doesn't have to be mounted to stand up. And the thing is kind of interesting in that the bottom of the frame is cut at an angle, and it has these little removable brackets. So if you put the brackets on it, it stands perfectly vertical, just like any other vertical monitor you've seen. Okay. And if you pull the brackets off, it'll lay back at a, at like a twenty degree angle. So uh, um, it's just a little different than than what i've than what i've ever seen i mean the, like i said the few i've had have always been really nice monitors i've not had any problems out of them nothing odd in the chassis if you ever get one to want to cap it so anyway i bring all this up i've been working on it just trying to get it ready to kind of realign this cabinet for my buddy and i went ahead i got a note in our show notes that, that for everyone in case they get one of these monitors yeah. it does have kind of an odd pinout and, and I actually posted about it on Clove a couple years ago back in February of 2012 when I last worked on one and I had dug up all of the other threads which were like three it really so with with there not being a lot of threads i mean how many games do you have that has that, that has this monitor in personally it? none at this okay. point in time okay like what i said i've had some but i no longer have it. so what is the last one so what have you found this monitor in just out of curiosity because i mean i know for a fact that of all the games that i've got that i've gotten into i, I don't have a single one of these the last one i had prior to this one i mean yeah. like i said i've had several but the last one i actually worked on it was in a bootleg cabinet, and it was oh, boot, it okay. was quote unquote bootleg end to end. Uh-huh. It wasn't like a cabinet that we all know, like a pack cabinet or something yeah. that was converted to a bootleg game. Right, right. The cabinet was an aftermarket cabinet. It uh-huh. was its own deal. the The game board was a bootleg. It was a, a the <laughs> it was a bootleg. Let me see if, see if I can remember this. 
it was a bootleg Donkey Kong Jr. Okay. That had been converted. I, I was going to say, man, that's sweet. It's almost your favorite game. Oh, yes. <laughs> to a Donkey Kong 3, which okay. I actually enjoy. Yes. Donkey Kong 3 is fun. And it, it was just this conglomeration of bits and pieces. The operator that did it, I'm sure that it, you know, it was, they, they, they had taken actual Donkey Kong 3 Nintendo ROMs because yeah. it had the Nintendo stickers on them and they had used that in the conversion. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was all kinds of craziness. It was like stacked chips and flying leads and this was this was soldered to this and i mean there was there's stuff wrapped around the board i mean yeah. it was it's a hot mess yeah they yeah. went a long way to, to get donkey kong 3 to play and if anything it huh. shows you what the operators went through to try to try to get new games uh-huh. and obviously all this work was cheaper it, than it would have been to buy an actual board from Nintendo back in the day. You know, that that surprises me because when you look at somebody's time involved, you know, as I know today when I look at doing a project, the very first thing that I consider is how long is it going to take me to do it and what's the opportunity cost with my time. I, it, all I can say is Nintendo boards must have been very expensive back in the I, day. Yeah, I was, I was like, what's think about it. What was a conversion kit for DK3? You know, if if the going rate for a full cabinet back in the day was between twenty five and three grand, okay, a conversion kit I'm going to guess was probably a thousand to fifteen hundred. Okay, fair. You ha- fair. I, yeah. I'm just pulling these out of the air. Yeah, if you had a if you had a bootleg board. You know, in 80, 1983 or eighty four dollars, you might have a hundred or two hundred dollars in, mm-hmm. and, and then, your time, and your time. Yeah, you're probably still coming out all right. You, you probably are. You're probably coming out twice as good as you would have otherwise. I just know today that when you look at board prices and stuff, we can't. There's no way you could come out on top with your time today. You know, so no, oh, absolutely yeah. not. It's just it's an interesting comparison. So I've been going through this thing, and it's. It's pretty straightforward. The chassis comes out real easy. It's easy to cap. Um, The ones I've had, like I said, I've never had problems out of. Oh, the bootleg cabinet. This was this is just what's really funny about I remember it. It was like a is like a wood grain cabinet. It was panel cabinet, but it was it was a uh, it was a plywood not a plywood. It was a particle board cabinet with your classic wood grain veneer. Yeah, but. It was beautiful. Yeah. I remember it did look nice. (laughs) And I say that kind of half tongue in cheek. The cabinet was beautiful. It was was in great shape. Yeah. But, you know, think of like your Centuri cabinets or your, um, like a Frogger where Mm -hmm. it's kind of got that dark wood grain. Mm -hmm. And and I know nothing about, you know, I don't know what that's supposed to be, whether it's supposed to be oak or what it is, but it's got that dark wood grain. This was really, really blonde. Yeah. Really light. And it had all kind who whoever Almost like a pine or a poplar type yeah. of wood well, color to it. Yeah. Do you make furniture on the side? No, no. This is no, but we're gonna have a segment later on in the show where we talk about that. So no. great <laughs> woodworking with Whitney. <laughs> exactly. It was it was just unusual because it was unlike any other wood grain pattern I've ever seen on a game. So you know, I, I may have mentioned it once before on the show. I've got a couple cabinets that were actually made by a small manufacturer that was in Louisville here back in the day. They they didn't last very long, um, and they look kind of like your your typical cabinet. They're kind of tall, almost almost like just on the surface. If we were to glance at it, you'd think, man, that's that looks like a lot like a Williams cabinet. Okay, you know, it kind of had that characteristic to it. Yeah. So this this cabinet that I had that also had one of these Algol monitors in it 
probably was from a, a similar like of a startup back in the day and however you know it made its way here into town it did yeah and and that's how i got a hold of yeah. it so but anyway we'll put a link to in the show notes uh back in february of uh, 2012 i took all the threads that i could find and went ahead and started my own thread and then linked to the other threads and put in a bunch of pictures and then any information that i could dig up because apparently this thing also had another name it also went by an ati and you know both of them both the algol and the ati part number was like a cr-m-19vh you know that doesn't roll off the tongue like geo7 does no it, it does not and, and it's got a weird wiring for for your signaling for your red green blue and your ground it's just a, it's just a different pattern it's not the standard red green blue you know uh, uh ground sync whatever it is so anyway if anybody runs across it it's a it's an okay monitor but it's been just another side adventure that's yeah, kind of keeping an, me away from the burger time another oddity that eats up time yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah i've been working on that like i said a lot of the sfge stuff a uh, little space invader stuff sitting around and before i forget whitney i've yeah. been meaning to do this for a couple shows and i, I just i finally i was like i got to get this done i wanted to sh- give a shout out to the guys and girls over at um um arcade shop yep I had had an issue with some, well, not some. I had an issue with one of my uh, multi Space Invaders kits, and one of the Brace kits. Yeah, so th- these are the kits you were talking about last episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah episode thirty. And I ended up somewhere somehow. One of the gal gals went bad, mm-hmm. and this is a uh, gate array logic. I believe I'm pulling this from my head. This. This is poor podcast pre- uh, preparation, Whitney. I have completely <laughs> despite, failed. Despite having uh, a one-note notebook full massive of, of notes, notes, massive notes, notes, we just crash and burn right there. Boom. So uh, the folks over at Arcade Shop and, and Scott uh, Scott Brazington, you know, the, the the designer of the kit, they worked together and got me a replacement gal in no time. And, and the reason I know it was is I, had, I was fortunate at the time working on those Space Invaders prior to Louisville Arcade Expo. I was fortunate to have several kits. So I had one kit that was acting really strangely. It would, if I would set it, for example, to come up into Space Invaders, it would not do it. Mm. It would not drop into the self-test. It would just come right up to the menu every time. The games played fine. I could select stuff, but... It just it, didn't honor the settings. It, exactly. Yeah. So I was able to swap. There's only a couple chips that are on, and not I'm not downplaying Scott's work because yeah. all the magic is within the gal and Scott's programming. On the surface, the board is relatively small, and there's there's very few parts. Yeah, so if something goes wrong, you just have to swap that part. Right. Yeah. So I was fortunate to have a couple tests, a couple kits with which I could test and move stuff around, and the problem fo- followed the gal, and I got a hold of uh, uh, Arcade Shop, and they got with Scott, and man, I had it was. If memory serves, Scott sent it right to me, the replacement, and it was here within days. Yeah, I mean, it that's was cool. they they went above and beyond, and, and I'm very very appreciative uh, of the folks at Arcade Shop and, and Scott. I mean, the the support for the kit was awesome. Also, wanted to give a shout out to Jimmy and Jimmy. I'm sorry, I don't have your last name. Jimmy over at Pinball Resources. So, some time ago, and this is one I've been sitting on, and it kept falling to the bottom of my notes. Yeah, um, I got with Pinball Resources and inquired about some parts, and 
my name was recognized. And he's like, man, I listen to the show. I listen to it while I'm at work. I really enjoy it. And I was very grateful. It's always humbling when someone comes up and says, hey, we listen because, you know, we wonder if, you know, we're, does anybody care? Does it, you know, so, you know, like if you see us at a show or something, come up and say hi. I mean, we really appreciate it. We, we do this for the love of it. And it's nice to get a little feedback. Yeah, it is. It always so, helps. So Jimmy was, he was awesome. I mean, anytime I've ever worked with Pinball Resources, they've been great. Uh, the service has been great. And like I said, Jimmy, he's, he uh, he's a listener, and I wanted to say thanks a lot, man. I really, really appreciate all the help, and the parts were great. Yeah, it's awesome. So, Whitney, man, uh, that's that's been what I've got going on. Well, that, I mean, that's that's certainly that's certainly very fair considering the time that we spent, you know, getting ready for SFG, and like I say, being on the road and traveling and stuff like that. So, for me, Brent, this month has been. Uh, well, it, not quite a month, but uh, the time for updates this month is actually it's actually been a little frustrating. But there's there have been a couple of you know really bright spots uh, in it as well. So I'll just start out. You know, the the SFG prep was was definitely something that that ate up some time. So uh, the, all good though. And, you know, don't get me wrong, but you and I put together you know a couple of uh, presentations for our seminars, and man, the, you know that all went really really well. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back on getting into the SFG coverage though because I know we're gonna do that after I wrap this, and we'll we'll talk about SFG proper, you know, in its in its own dedicated segment rather than just having it pulled apart like spaghetti throughout the episode, but. Um, but yeah, so getting ready for, you know, for, for the uh, sessions with that, you know, all the materials that we prepped and everything, and then just, you know, the prizes and the giveaways and everything like that. So it it just wound up, it just wound up eating up a lot of time. And See, then, that's where everyone's like, they had prizes and giveaways? Yeah, yes. we did. We did. Yeah, we'll talk about those just here in a second once we, once I, once I kind of, you know, work my way through all my personal updates. But um yeah, and this stuff went over really well too. It was it was neat and it was a lot of fun. But uh, anyway, you know, so loading up the car, just you know, you and I rode together down to SFG, and just even <laughs> even just transporting our equipment was outlandish. You know, I, Brent, how did we acquire so much stuff? It, it, it's criminal. As we were loading up, I was amazed that that one we got it all in the car. Yeah, and we we took all of our podcasting gear. Just honestly, we we didn't set out to to do a a show or to record but we always kind of work from that i'd rather have it than not theory yeah and it, it's just it's always helpful i knew there was gonna be a, we, we both knew there was gonna be a lot of podcasters there we knew that there was gonna be heavy audio components to everything that that the sfg organizers were doing so it was it's always helpful to have extra gear around it, you know it is, it invariably is. someone's do you have a soldering iron do you have a screwdriver do you have a microphone yeah and Hey, we wanted to be able to to lend a helping hand, so I, we just brought everything. Yeah, and I'd say out of the out of the fifty things we brought, twelve of them wound up getting used at some point over the course. Of but the we had those twelve. But things. we had those twelve things, and that's that's yep. that's the main thing right there. So okay, so the SFG prep was something that kind of ate into the first part of the month, but. You know, since getting back from SFG, I've really kind of uh, tried to focus on, you know, getting some uh, getting some work done on the Zookeeper. And so, Brent, even though I've not had any real contiguous time to work on the boards, I've started working on the boards. I just haven't been able to sit down and log any time on them because I'm fairly meticulous when I do that. I'm kind of slow and methodical, and it's not worth me sitting down for 15 minutes at a time and getting everything warmed get, up. Yeah, you get into the groove, you and, get you into the groove and then you got to shut down and, you know, 
know, supper's ready or, you know, uh, just whatever. And so, you know, just chores and stuff at home and all that. So, uh, and, you know, I don't want stuff to cut into family time either. So, so that's just one of those things that I kind of reserve for working on the weekends and everything like that. So, uh, what I have been doing though on the zookeeper, it's largely cosmetic. I mean, I've, I've put new tea molding on and I'll kind of get into that in a minute. I, I never, I never realized that, uh, my tea molding, uh, trials and tribulations this month would, would come under, I guess, so much scrutiny even for myself. But <laughs> it's tea molding. Yeah, it's tea molding. But trust me, there, See, is, this there is, is a story to tell. This is kind of interesting because to me, if yeah. I was doing this, yeah. tea molding would be the last thing that went on. You know something? You say that, okay? But let me tell you why I'm why I'm. Here, here's right what now. I'm envisioning. Yeah. Here, here is a throwback. Do you remember the movie Christine? About yes. the car that came to life and oh, did all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Was the dude was building the car. He had this 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 bay at a junkyard. He was renting from a guy. Yeah. And the old guy and one of his buddies, they were like standing back and they were just like commenting on this work ethic and yeah. how he's working. And he was like, I just don't understand because he's got a he's got a cracked windshield but brand new windshield wipers. Yeah. You know, it's just like. He was doing it his way, which is fine. Which but is I was fine. like, yeah. I think I would have held off. Anyway, all right. Anyway, so anyway. No, it's, it's all good. No, but here, here's what I found out. Um, in working on and around the cabinet, um, I went ahead and pulled the t- I probably made the mistake of pulling the T-molding off, the, oh, the old T-molding off fairly early. I think early. I see where you're going now. So, I, so instead of knurling up the edges of the cabinet and uh, bumping into it or gotcha. chipping it or anything like that, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get the T-molding back on it because that gives me a little more peace of mind as I'm working around the cabinet. Because oh, I got you. You, you would yep. not believe how much the T-molding buffers when you're walking in moving around the cabinet and it keeps the cabinet looking pristine and good so it's like you know something i, I think I, it'll only take me a few minutes <laughs> to, to go ahead and get the t-molding back yeah. on so why don't i go ahead and just i just go ahead and you know chop 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 knock that out you know but that, that didn't turn out that way but i'll, I'll talk about that here say <laughs> so that didn't work out did that, it? Did, that just did not work <laughs> out and, it's, and everybody's going like come whitney it's t-molding how hard can it be it's like trust me the struggle is real okay <laughs> so anyway so t-molding like i said we'll talk about that so, dude, I was putting together the coin. I uh, got the coin, uh, the coin door reassembled. Easy for me to say. It looks really great because that's uh, one of the pieces that I got back from the powder coater. And man, um, Brent, I'll tell you, all the metal on this game looks so good now because everything's a really nice, shiny kind of kind of satin black. Well, I'm not going to say shiny, but it's got a little bit of a sheen to it. But it's just a really nice and smooth satin black. The coin door looks good. All of the brackets look good. You know, everything's the the, the control panel. I don't have I don't have the overlay back on it yet, but I got the control panel powder coated. It looks fantastic, so everything's rolling good there. And I'll I'll talk about the powder coating here in a second. I say I'm well. really okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was yes. gonna make a comment on that, but go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I've, there's there's much more to can, say can on you, the powder coating. Can, can here people in a out there too. tell that we just you know we this goes back to the we can't talk a lot. Yeah. So that you know it's like new and interesting and surprising exactly. and we have a reason yeah. to, you know it's like I, keep, yeah. I, I got something I want to say yeah, but yeah. No, well you know. a lot of times as you and I are texting each other it's like dude I'm not going to get into that right now because I'm going to save it for the yeah. show you know stuff like so anyway, that alright so, go, yeah. go ahead so so got that but um, I'm still waiting on the artwork and so I've got my order in to this old game for that so hopefully that shows up fairly soon and I can go ahead and get that kind of squared away now here's something I wanted to ask a little bit of input on and if anybody uh, you know if anybody out there listening has some input on this I, I would appreciate it as well 
because I kind of think I'm I'm at a little bit of a crossroads on this and I'm veering more towards LED but I'm trying to figure out how to how to make that happen so here's the thing so Brent on on Zookeeper uh, well most all uh, most all Taito and you guys get that I said that Taito and what We'll get into that at the very end of the show, but Tato. I, <laughs> I know, I know, Tato. I know, Tato. Uh, Tato. Sorry. I got Tato in my throat. I know it's tough, isn't it? It's tough because I always want to say Tato. So with all Tato games, they have as their marquee lights a really nice white kind of. Um, I wouldn't want to call it sheet metal. It's almost kind of like a rolled metal uh, frame, and it has seven. Uh, 6.2 volt, uh, 47 bulbs mounted in it, all strung together with wire. So that see now that's interesting because I have not worked on a you say the word Tito cabinet. Yes, we're gonna uh, get that as a sound effect, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got uh, everything, well, almost everything to build a nice kicks. Yeah, which you know is on my long list of things to do. And I just didn't realize that. And yes, that's kind of funny because there's another I didn't know about it say it Tito that it, that, <laughs> that kind of bites me later in the episode I'll bring up so anyway there's yeah. there's seven seven number 47 seven number 47 so it's all incandescent it's, mounted it's behind the b- okay mounted behind the marquee it's all incandescent it's not fluorescent but what it does do is it's it makes the Tito marquees light up very evenly they're mm-hmm. nice and bright but it does burn on them yep. on the back side okay because yep. when I pulled the zookeeper marquee off I'm sorry. When I pulled the marquee off the zookeeper, it had nice little brown spots that co- that coincided with exactly where the bulbs, you know, are pointed straight at the screen gotcha. printing on the marquee. So, um, and then also with zookeeper down below the monitor bezel, there is also another strip of incandescent lights, 47s as well, that light up the instruction uh, card area on uh, on the uh, monitor uh, on the monitor bezel. Okay, so collectively maybe 12 12 lights or so incandescent lights that are in this that light up the game okay so i don't want to put i don't want to put 47s you know incandescent 47s back in it so then the question becomes do you swap that out for just a fluorescent tube and it's like i don't even really want to do that i'd rather keep the original you know all the original light fixtures in the game and keep it as original as i can in that regard, simply because the game is 100% complete and 100% original. So then it's like, okay, do you put LEDs in it? And I've heard mixed results on putting LEDs in these Taito games, okay? A lot of people say that it, I know it, what you're gonna it say. creates hot spots. Yep. It, they're, they're just insanely bright without a lot of spread. So I'm considering looking into, and I mean, you can get you can get LEDs from a lot of places. I personally order mine from Coin Taker. I've just I'm just very happy with them and and have been. So I've, I was looking on Coin Taker's site, and they have some fro- some uh, what they call their retro LEDs, and they have a frosted cap on them, and they're they're supposed to diffuse the light really really well. I'm just kind of curious if anybody out there listening has has done this and what kind of success they had. Well, I, I think have. That's, I think that's what I'm going to do. I've done on it okay and my suggestion is um i'd kill it with fire oh really yeah <laughs> oh that bad like space invader it and just yeah. it straight on down the bottom of the uh, bottom of the barrel just huh? burn it <laughs> oddly i can't do this dude that's like arcade sacrilege you burn a zookeeper man people come to your house um well i mean they show up simpson style at least with, at least with you're with not court, you know, at least you're not hosing down a crazy climber with water that's ooh. yeah <laughs> 
it's it's with love, Whitney. I, I say that with I love. It's, it's with love. I so, now I need a booing crowd sound effect right there too. Yeah. Boo. So I actually went through this with Space Invaders. <laughs> oh, 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 oh Magi Brent, lend could, me, lend me your wisdom. If you could see the pain in my face, yes, yeah, dude, you're pulling your eyes, yeah. like down to your chin. Man. So, what what kind of distance is there between where the lamps mount and the back of the marquee? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say probably about three inches or okay, so. Okay, well, that's more that's there. more than on a Space Invader. So, yeah. if if anybody out there has seen your classic Space Invaders. Space Invaders Deluxe, um, the Midway versions. Okay, so you know it's the white cabinet, which is the Space Invaders with the Space Invaders like monsters on the side, yeah. and then or the red cabinet with kind of that similar artwork. Uh, there is no marquee. It's just like an extra tall bezel. Okay. And then the top of it is the quote unquote marquee and it's lit in very, in a very similar fashion. So the lamps they use behind it, the distance isn't the same. The distance is really short. Really I close. Mean, yeah. You might have off the tip of the bulb, the tip of the lamp, uh, an inch, an inch and a quarter somewhere. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Yeah. And I can't remember the numbers. It's, it's a weird number, but it's actually a round lamp. Not like a 47, which is more like bullet-shaped. Yeah, more bullet-shaped, kind of dome-shaped, I guess. Yeah. Kind of like a tapered dome. Yeah. 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 So I actually tried LEDs in it, and I kind of had a feeling as to what was going to happen. And sure enough, it Mm hot-spotted. And by hot-spot, it didn't get hot. But you can see defined rings. like a Concentration of light. Right. Right where the lamps are. There's just not enough space to diffuse it. Yeah. And what honestly, I, I, I thought about... And the Space Invaders was kind of difficult because it was a weird lamp and it was a weird voltage. So I was kind of limited. Yeah. I couldn't just go off to one of the pinball suppliers. But the more I, I thought, well, I could convert it because all I've got to do is cut the wires. And I can make it any voltage I want mm-hmm. and then just put a note on it or something. The more I thought about it, I, I, I just looked at it like I would have to order several to find a set that worked. Mm-hmm. And I, my thought is, is with the the pinball suppliers is those lamps are generally even if they're gi mm-hmm. the space is kind of small yeah it's not you're not trying to dis- distribute the light over a, a large area yeah and i just had this feeling that no matter what i did i was going to end up with something similar it's, so it's just going to look like he had bullet points on it exactly yeah, yeah. so what i ended up doing in my case and, and i wouldn't do it here i think I, i've got a better idea for what what you've got going on. What I ended up doing in the case for the Space Invaders is I think that a standard pinball 55, a, a 55 lamp mm-hmm. was, if memory serves, it was the same, definitely the same base. It was lower voltage. It was uh, not the same voltage, but a lower wattage. Yeah. So it wasn't as bright, but in a dark arcade or a basement or a game room, it didn't make any difference. It ran cooler. Yeah. I think what I would do for here for you and uh, I might do on if I had more time I might have done on the Space Invaders is I would get those LED strips with mm-hmm. the chip the chip style with air quotes mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's like a 5050 I think is the large one and I can't think of the, the standard number for the small one but I think I'd put like two LED strips in it and and I just use that okay because those will you know and for people that don't know exactly what those look like if you've ever seen like under cabinet lighting on a pinball where they just like cascade the ground and light those are your just a generic the generic term is like an LED strip with chip style yeah. LEDs on yeah okay fair enough because I could just mount those right to the right to the white metal yep. uh, marquee uh, marquee frame mm-hmm. a little two face tape frame. or something yeah 
Yeah. And then go that route. Because the main thing is going, the big thing is going to be getting light dispersion in there. And that's really what I'm after. So with those, with those seven bulb sockets, though, it just doesn't seem like with LEDs that you're going to get any spread at all. You're just going to get, you're, you're going to get 80% light that goes straight out. And mm-hmm. then you're going to get a little bit of diffusion, but it's not going to be anything that gives you a, that makes it look warm and complete, I guess. It's going to look, to me, it's going to look kind of cold and kind of pointed. You know, I actually might have to look Whitney too um if those the strip leds i'm thinking of i think they run five volts and you're running 6.2 6.2 is that ac or dc do you know Uh, it's ac i believe Oh, okay yeah all right yeah i I believe it is i'd have to go back you know actually i need to go back and look in the manual i think it is ac if i'm not mistaken i I was just thinking i could maybe ease some of your wiring because i've got some they're called buck converters Uh and basically like if you need uh if you've got um uh, such a, such whatever voltage DC and you need to knock it down. The term for that is like a buck converter, mm-hmm. buck conversion, just the generic term. And I've got some that are like multi input with a variable output, and I thought, man, I could, I, I'll give you one, and it would it would do what you need but it's it's dc to dc is it okay so, anyway no that, that's that's all good just run your five volt line yeah I, I just need to look in the manual again i don't have it handy i looked at it you know several months back and for whatever reason ac pops out in my head but i bet it, it is yeah I, I think i think it is but nonetheless it, we'll, we'll get it we'll get it sorted but uh that's that's going on you know that's going on with the with the zookeeper and you know it's you know, it's it's coming along. I just wish it's that doing I, better than my burger time. Yeah, I just I just wish that I could log a little more contiguous time on it. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll get there. So let's talk about the powder coating, dude. So I kind of brought this topic up last episode. Okay, so just to kind of refresh everybody's memory, um, you know, I had uh, I've got quite a few parts that I wanted to get powder coated, brackets and coin doors and you know control panels and stuff like that. Um, and I was talking to Brent. It's like, hey man, do you know anybody who powder coats here in town? Uh, you know, within this, you know, within this geographic area that that's you know reasonably easy to get to. And we'll and, do small runs. And we'll do small runs. That's exactly right. Thank you. That being the critical that that being the critical decision point right there. Who can that will do a small run? Because that seems to be the hardest thing to find. Nonetheless, um, Brent, the guy that you hooked me up with, uh, he he and I have been working back and forth, and so it's been working out very very well. And I, at this point right now, I have gotten uh, three rounds of powder coating done. Now that may sound like a lot, but it's it's really not all that much because I haven't I haven't been well. Let's put it this way: in round one and round two, or trip one, trip two, I didn't really take a whole lot. Okay, especially trip one because I just kind of wanted to see how this was all going to go. Okay, uh, trip two, I you know I put a little more into the box. Uh, trip three, I put a whole lot into the box. Okay, but uh, anyway, so how this is going is the first round right now um i've gotten my zookeeper metal i've gotten powder coated i've gone through and gotten a couple of coin doors uh a a nintendo coin door of course the taito coin door which is just a a coin co coin door you'll find that on atari games and everything else so but um i've gotten that and uh just some miscellaneous uh, nintendo brackets uh, and get this dude uh, i actually took up a couple of coin bucket lids and got them powder coated. And you oh. want to know something, man? They're awesome, huh? Yes. And you want to know what they do? They don't get you dirty when you when you reach <laughs> into your game, you know, because that's been my biggest complaint about that pot metal or that it's galvanized. It, 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 most gal- of them galvanized. Yes, thank you, thank you. Galvanized. It, 
it's as flimsy as pot metal, but it but it is galvanized. You're exactly right. Um, so and it always get, galvanized always gets you dirty, you know. And, and it's like not this, like, like this white kind of scaly kind of stuff, kind of yeah. scaly, kind of scaly metal. And uh, if it's dirty, it just completely like crawls up your arm when you're inside. You know, when you're inside the game. And dude, for just toss it in the box and get them done. And man, Brent, I know that it sounds a little. I know. I know it sounds a little contrived. But at the end of the day, getting those powder coated when you open up the coin door and you're reaching in and. And you've got your arm in the game. It when you pull it back out, it doesn't come out all dusty, you know, off the galvanized lid. And you know, your shirt sleeve's not dirty and everything like that. So for just a few bucks, I'm getting all those powder coated, and it's awesome. So, it's like, so why didn't I do this earlier? So what I'm sensing is like this whole line of coin bucket mods that we're going to start. Right, they, that we're going to start up. Yeah, we'll put the BT logo on them and all kinds of good stuff. So it, it'll be pretty. I'm sweet. just, you know, I'm just shocked. Well, no, I'm not because I've. I've got coin lids on most everything I can too. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I run the, my arcade on coins. Yes, which yes. I provide. Yes, so yeah, I do keep coin lids on everything, just kind of keep everything kind of curtailed. Uh, you and, know what? I'll, you know. I'll, I'll br- I should have brought one with me for you to see it. And I know it's like it's a it's a powder. Whereas most coin people lid. are like, I don't even have a coin bucket in it. Exactly. Let alone yeah. a lid. Yeah, but no, I've got. I've, I make sure that I have the buckets Sweet. in mine and everything like that. So it's worked out really well. And then the I guess the the piece day resist on 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 this entire trip. And, you know to you know to that's, get started that's with the powder French. coating. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Kentucky French, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that'll trend on Twitter in about a week or so. So um, <laughs> the last thing is the pinball, uh, my Tron pinball, the armor on that. And I took all that off and um, had this gentleman powder coated, and it came out looking beautiful. Now, for anybody who's uh, who's kind of curious, the color that I chose is called Flat Trans Blue. And even though it has flat in the name, it's not, quote-unquote, a flat color. It still has some sheen. It still has some depth to it. But it doesn't have sparkle to it. And that's what I was trying to keep away from. Okay? The sparkle? Yeah, the sparkle or the semi-metallic type of, type okay, of finish gotcha. to it. Okay? So, it's called Flat Trans Blue. And uh, you know what? I, what I need to do is grab a couple pictures and post it up on the Facebook page and between now and when the episode releases I, I will do that. Something tells me that getting a good picture of that would be difficult. It's going to be very difficult yeah. because the the depth of the color is completely dependent upon the light in which the, the picture mm-hmm. is shot. Okay. One thing I will say though is I did match it to the blue on the side of the cabinet. Okay. And a couple places on the play field underneath good light. And for looking at it from the game room perspective like in a, a fairly in a medium light to dark scenario it's going it's going to match fantastically so i'm very very happy with that so um i did get that back and that that all looks sweet it looks really really good um, let's see. On the on the second round, though, uh, what I did, Bryn, is I systematically started taking stuff apart, and that's probably a problem. Okay, <laughs> yeah, this came, the first round came out great, so let's yeah. start finding everything and anything we can to powder coat. See, and you know exactly where this goes. So I started going through the game room, and I said, okay, all right, now while this guy's willing to powder coat. And while I've got the pump primed with him, while he's while he's while he knows what I want, he knows the finishes that I'm after. What am I going to do to go ahead and try to get as much stuff knocked out at one point as I can? So that's when I go into take everything apart mode. And Brent, I will tell you this: this becomes a bigger burden than you would think, because whatever state your games are in, when you've got control panels off of everything, it doesn't really look good, and it doesn't make, and it doesn't make <laughs> you feel all that good either. You know, but, that's a good way to 
wreck the look of a game real quick. Boy, isn't it? isn't it though? Yes, it really is. But all things being considered. I'm taking advantage of the opportunity that's that's been afforded me. So, uh, I got all the, the brackets off my Tron arcade game. Uh, I did take my Rally X control panel and the brackets off of it, and my poor Rally X needed it so so bad. And uh, I've already picked that stuff up, and it looks it looks awesome. And so I was starting to put it back together, and then I got into the whole T molding debacle, and that's where all this <laughs> kind of stuff kind of ties it's in funny. with each other. It's funny the the seemingly innocuous things that we can have problems with in this hobby, yeah, and it, it just goes you completely know. Just goes completely bo- <laughs> okay. bozo. Um, okay, so the, so I got the Rally X stuff done. That looks good. I got the brackets off my Food Fight, my Mrs. Pack, uh, my Gyrus, my Missile Command, and then off of my Tapper. Okay, yanked all these brackets off of there, and it, and you know got everything labeled, got everything put together, and uh, and took it up, and uh, he is powder coating those as we speak. Okay, so. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's powder coating round three as we speak. I got all that stuff back, and, and, and it all looks good. So on the third trip up, I took um, my track and field control panel and all the brackets, which I was so happy to get that done because that stuff was rusting underneath the control panel overlay. You know, I just took a scraper and did one pass on it. And was it the factory overlay? Mm-hmm, sure okay. was. Yeah, yeah, sure was. And so the control panel was literally rusting underneath the overlay. So I was really, really glad to get the the track and field done. It's going to look so much better when it's done um took up you know some more coin bucket lids and uh just a lot of miscellaneous mar- uh, a lot of miscellaneous marquee and and bezel brackets some stuff that i've had laying around and everything like that and some that i've got as seconds and and you know like all the track and field metal went with that so that falls into i guess kind of like that that miscellaneous slash track and field category but um some monitor mounting brackets and and just you know so on like that so round four probably going to be more control panels because i've just about got all the brackets done that I need to have done at this point. It's it's more so going to be take a couple control panels, you know, every single trip. You know, I, I strip a control panel or two and then take it up. And then I pick up two, bring them back, put the new overlays on, put the cabinet back, you know, put that all back together. It's not exactly how I had envisioned, you know, refurbing some of the games, but uh, when you get into it, you just take off. That's exactly right. But when you get into it, just like you say, you take off. But Brent, while he's willing to coat for me and he's willing to do these runs and he's willing to you know to get everything done you you take advantage of it, it got to take advantage of it and you, yeah. you know you say willing and here, here's what i wanted to bring up i um i'm not gonna throw his name his last name out there right now it's a buddy of mine his name, first name's mm-hmm. john i met him years ago i may have even mentioned it he powder coated uh some stuff for uh a, a car of mine he he was heavy into uh, a you know, a particular type of a car. Mm-hmm. It was a Buick Grand Nationals. He still has them. Oh, he does. He okay, does, yeah. And he was he was doing the equivalent of you know like a mod type work that we would do on pinball machines or video games. He was you know powder coating intakes and valve covers and and stuff like that, so you could go ahead and trick out your engine compartment. Um, so that's that's how I met him years and years ago. And of course, kind of dug dug John back up, and then got Whitney in touch with him because yep. Whitney was looking for somebody to do some work. Yeah. Um, John is when I knew John, and it sounds. You know, of course, I still know John technically. He always 
he he caters to the individual. And, he's not that's like the perfect thing that, about it. right. And it, his prices were always great. He's reasonable. You, you knew who you were dealing with. You walked up and you you talked to the guy that was going to do the work. It just didn't disappear into some big you know big building. And you hope that when it came out the back door, it was going to be nice. And in my case, you hand him a box of crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know he he he's doing the sandblasting and yeah. everything, yes. and he's doing all the prep work. We probably should approach John about expanding his business because when when I was really doing a lot of work with John back in the day, you know, yeah. this was ten or twelve years ago. He was also heavy into motorcycles, and then he was through his contacts, you know, as he did dirt bikes, yeah, and like um, I guess amateur race to a degree. And his, okay. his kids were getting into it. They would take uh, you know those contacts and people would want to trick their bikes out and so he was building a larger oven so he could do rims and frames and it was just another avenue and you know th- this is a long way around to say we really probably need to talk to John and try to get him advertised in our community for other people looking for this type of service yeah and, and even just see if he would be willing to take on some mail order some mail order powder coating oh, I, yeah. I don't know if he would or not simply because like when I go up there we have to run through everything, talk about, okay, this needs to be done this way. This needs a wrinkle finish. This needs a smooth finish. And I mean, he's, he's pretty meticulous about what he does and he wants to make sure that he gets it right. I appreciate that. I don't really know how that would work mail order. Maybe it would, maybe he'd be willing to do it. I I don't know. I'll talk with him the next time I go up. So I I probably need to go up there with you because I haven't seen John in forever. Face to face. Yeah. Great, great guy. And uh, the good thing about me is that there's not a good thing about either of us. (laughs) The good thing about my powder coating is I'm nowhere near done, you know, so I've got several control panels to go. So I'm not going to be taking as much anymore, but I'll still go on a regular basis as I swap out, you know, two or three, uh, control panels at a time so hopefully this will turn into a, a good thing for the community as a whole yeah, you're right yeah. I, don't, I don't know how he would address mail order i mean because yeah. you, you've got uh, you know you're almost getting into the okay here's a here's a pick a list of colors you have to have some known entity or known quantities before you can start taking on that kind of work yeah but, you know maybe it's something we can we yeah. can work with him with so, something on. we can look at so in the meantime of not working on the boards on the zookeeper or not, I guess, not having the contiguous time to feel like that's what I want to tackle at this point, um, you know, I was, I'd was i looked at the stuff that had come back from um, the powder coater for, on the Rally X, and it's like, well, let me just go ahead and start putting the control panel back together and everything like that. So that's working out pretty well. You know, I'm, I'm probably about halfway through that. And then I, I started looking at the T-molding on the Rally X, and at one point in time, I know it used to be orange, okay? Now it's now it's almost like a, a baby food yellow, I guess you could say, almost like smashed squash. Okay, mm, tasty, yeah, tasty. And so I started pulling the tea molding off of uh, pulling the tea molding off the cabinet and everything, and, and it was coming it was coming off okay. That's not really the big issue. But um, when I go to look at replacing it, Brent, what I'd run into um, is I don't know whether they did this at the factory. I don't. I mean, I don't know why it would have been done after leaving the factory. Okay. Okay. It was screwed on. <laughs> See, there's a visual there somewhere. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how that three works, inch drywall screws. Yeah, exactly. No, actually, at the bottom of the cabinet, right where the kick plate would be, on the inside of the of the side panels, it had been shot with a staple gun, and yeah, so, and so yep. it, it had staples shot through the barb. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And that just makes getting the tea molding out at that particular area just, you know, really time-consuming and somewhat challenging if you don't want, if you're trying not to mess up the channel, you know, for, for the tea molding. So just devised a way to get those staples out uh, and then, you know, kind of, um, I guess, kind of take up some of the slack for, you know, the the channel widening a little bit as mm-hmm. you're working on getting the staples out. But nonetheless, I put a uh, nice bright orange tea molding back on it. It looks beautiful. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's amazing to me how good a game looks when all you do is just replace the tea molding. It just really makes the game pop all over again. So, so that was neat. And the cabinet's in pretty decent shape anyway, just, you know, cleaned up the marquee. I'm going to replace the monitor shroud. Um, you know, it's, it's eat up. I mean, it is just so dude, it, it almost looks like it is, had adhesive cleaner poured on it because that plastic looks like it has bubbled and dissolved. I was going to ask, is it plastic or is it cardboard? No, no, it's it's plastic. And in this one, uh, just just like with Pack or Galaxian or whatever, it has that black plastic uh, monitor shroud, mm-hmm. and then the 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 plexi slides over top of that. Okay. Then you put the bezel down on top of it. You know, so that's that's kind of how it goes. So I've got uh, I was able to find or source a couple of replacement monitor shrouds, some of those uh, older you know, some of those older Bally Midway monitor shrouds. So I've got a couple of those. So I'm doing good there. Um, you know, like I say, install the new uh, control panel overlay, the shroud, the tenant plexi, so on down the line. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be good to go. I do need to rebuild the, the, the joystick and swap out the coin door. Uh, the current one right now looks like it's been hit by a truck. But uh, what kind train. of joystick is that? Is in? Is it just a Wicco? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. one, it's one of the red ball top. Okay. Almost, right. like, almost like you have in Miss Pac-Man or Burger Time. It, fe- it, it looks and feels exactly like this or, or Galaga or Galaga 3 it, it's exactly the same joystick so see now is it because so. because the Miss Pack and the Burger Time and those are your uh like your midway that the, like a four-way stick it's the same one it's over in domino man oh then uh let's but does see it have a small ball top on top it of does, it yes. okay yeah, i know so, what you're, so, I, so it i know is that it is that okay so i know what you're talking about that would though. not then that would not be wicko then no. would it no, I know I I don't know who makes that, but yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's the same joystick that's in Burger Time and so on down the line. Okay. So yeah, so um, it's I mean it's a really nice joystick. It has it has that class. It has that good feel to it, just like what you would expect walking up to Miss Packer or Burger Time cabinet or, or what have you. So, um. And then while I was, you know, just kind of working on that and I had my orange tea molding out, I was looking, <laughs> I was looking through the game room and saying, okay, what else needs orange tea molding? And then, you know, doo, 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 I did my $6 million man and homed right in on my uh, GA Plus or I guess Galaga 3, however you want to say it. Uh, to me, it's, it's, it's GA Plus, but uh, nonetheless, Brent, I started to yank the tea molding off of that and man, what a problem did I run into because that tea molding is um is coming off about a quarter of an inch at a time and when i say that it is so brittle that as you're prying up on it it just it just you just can't pull it off like it like a belt you just can't no no, you can't but i well i will say this I, i i have i'm almost through one side Okay, of removing the T molding, and I have devised a way to get it to get it uh, pulled out of the slot without splintering and, and everything like that. But it took a little trial and error to get it done. What I had to do was chip, essentially chip away at the T molding, okay, and create a flat spot or create a spot, you know, on uh, within the channel with no T molding in it. But as I was removing it, the barb stays in the channel, mm-hmm. okay. So what I found is that if I got myself enough 
runway, so to speak, with with no T-molding top, but the barb still in the channel, I was then able to take a very small flat flat blade screwdriver, again, easy for me to say, flat blade screwdriver, and then pry, go into the channel and pry the barb up. And then if I could get enough, once I was able to get enough of the barb pulled up out of the channel, then I could actually pull on the barb and then pull forward, and then it would remove eight to eight to ten inches of T-molding at a time. And it was far easier than me removing it with a flat blade screwdriver just trying to pry up on the T-molding itself. See, okay. I've seen the Nintendo T-molding uh-huh. kind of shatter like that. That's where exactly it gets very this, brittle. That's exactly what I've this is doing. I've not seen anything but the Nintendo stuff do that. Yeah, no. This so this is the Bally, you know, the Bally Midway T-molding. I, I, the interesting thing about it is when I would look on the floor after working on that T-molding, it almost looked like I had spilled. Um, I don't know, sugar cookie dust on the floor. You know, if, if that's probably about the best analogy I can give because as the T-molding would just shatter as it peeled off um, or as it popped off, rather, it would just it, it would just disintegrate, man. You could almost, you know, you could almost put pressure on it in your hands and it would, bra- it would break hmm. again if the piece was big enough. And so that's... So about 10 minutes a in... Bit, a little bit of a task. So about 10 minutes in, you're like, what have I gotten yeah, into? Yeah, 10 minutes in, I'm like, my goodness, I can... How much ever I paid for this game... I pay too much (laughs) from a time perspective you know here it is i'm like yeah it's a labor of love and i'm sitting there going do i have a sales receipt can i get this thing returned you know (laughs) what what are my options here this isn't supposed to work this way but nonetheless uh even though the t-molding still continues to shatter as i take it out what what i've been able to do is like i'm back i'm back to kill it with fire (laughs) okay kill it with fire that's always my second option but i've i've been very successful in just you know chipping away that top part getting a run on the barb and then once i've got the barb in my hand or with a set of linemen linesman's pliers then i can go ahead and pull the the t-molding up you know like i say 8 10 12 inches at a time and then it comes out nice and clean but it shatters as it comes out and it makes a mess everywhere okay <laughs> everywhere but uh, nonetheless this is like something i'd get into yeah exactly exactly it's, it's great but uh but you know what though it's gonna look it's gonna look boss when it's all said and done so <laughs> um but anyway just to kind of i guess kind of uh throw the <laughs> throw the throw the end on on the whole team molding discussion and you know when we get into the the technical and restoration section i i guess i'll kind of get back to this uh i wound up having yes t- folks t- we can do three hours on team molding we can and we will <laughs> um i did wind up having problems getting the team molding to stick on the zookeeper and so what i'm going to talk about in in the next segment is just some solutions for getting t-molding to adhere when the channel's too loose or when the channel's too big and mm-hmm. because invariably what's going to happen is when you pull the t-molding off a lot of times you're going to pull up little splinters of wood and you're yep. going to pull or it's going to pull up little bits or sawdust of the particle board and invariably the channel gets wider even if you're very very careful with what you're doing okay that's what's happened to me on the zookeeper so so here it is, Brent. I've got a Rally X that I that I had a heck of a time getting the T molding off the bottom of due to the staples. I've got my Gap Plus that the T molding shatters as soon as I pull it, as soon as I you know go to remove it. And then I got the Zookeeper where the T molding won't stay stuck onto the game. So <laughs> it's like I'm sitting here looking at this. It's like this is the trifecta of fail. Is what I, <laughs> I don't hashtag show title the trifecta of fail. That is it. <laughs> I love how this stuff just happens. This is awesome. Oh, my goodness. I need a T-shirt that says that. But that's exactly what it was. The I, I've had, fail. I, the only problem I've ever had to date with T-molding is just 
that I couldn't keep it on the game. And, and generally, it's the bottom. And it's just like you mm-hmm. said, it's from the channel getting widened. Yeah. And the game get moves is moved around, and it kind of gets pulled or drug out of its channel and you yeah. know in and out in and out over time it eventually you know you, you lose a little splinter wood here a little splinter wood there especially on particle board but um Hang yeah Brent, i'm writing it i figured down yeah right i was now. giving you a little time yeah. i was stalling for time yeah, i appreciate that I, I didn't bring the notebook so i was stalling for time so you could do that <laughs> no dude you you have uh, destroyed the notebook and people will hear why at the very end of this episode you uh you slam that baby into tomorrow it needs uh what 6.2 gigawatts to come back we We'll have to go something. get that thing. Oh. Yeah. Everybody, you'll listen listen to the listen to the segment at the very end of the show. You'll completely understand. It's really funny, actually. So, all right, all right. So we got a show title. Yeah, you got to mess with team molding. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into that next, and, and that's my updates yeah. because I was ready to number one sit down and drink copious amounts of beer. I was ready to throw a hammer through a window, and then it was time to do the podcast. And so I'm like, eh, okay, that's that's enough for this month. So, <laughs> uh, how about Brent? Before we get into the the technical restoration section proper why don't we go ahead and we've talked about sfg quite a bit yeah. why don't we go ahead and put a bow on that yeah so let's go ahead yeah. and tie it up it was such a fun show i, I just I were so you at the same myself. show i was at <laughs> come on brent <laughs> give them some love give them some love i'm sorry i made it funny <laughs> it a no it was fantastic it, it was a, it was a fun show it was yeah a, it was a uh it was a great trip to make and and i'm i'm very very happy that i did it so uh let's just let's just hit the highlights and we'll talk a little bit a little bit about our direct involvement some of the things that we did so you know first thing i wanted to touch on was the game room layout so you kind of come into the hotel and there's an offshoot hall off to the uh, left side of the main atrium of the hotel as you go down this hallway there's ga- uh, the rooms to the left where all of your console games are set up mm-hmm. so um, I didn't get to spend a lot of time in those rooms over the weekend. Yeah, they were every time I walked by, there was always a lot of activity. Yeah, uh, younger and older crowds, uh-huh. and you know, not only the older consoles, your Atari twenty six hundred type consoles, but your latest and greatest consoles, the new whiz bang oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was. What was it? I think it was like a kiosk. And it wasn't a kiosk, but it reminded me of like a kiosk situation where there was like three or four monitors around a pole. And man, Ma- Whitney, these monitors must have been like 30 some odd inch monitors. Yeah, 30 or 40 inch monitors. They were huge. And they, they were mounted, like I said, on this pole with people around them gaming all yeah. weekend. Yeah, and it so was they, really neat to see. It, it was neat because you could tell that uh, both the children and the adults were really getting into the console gaming and, you know, they were running Xboxes and Playstations and stuff like that, you know, up on these, you know, huge monitors and it just it just looked sweet. Mm-hmm. It looked fun. So about halfway down that hall, there was kind of like a T, if you will, in the hall. And to the one side, it was actually a room, a good size room, and that's where the Papa tournament was. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, if memory serves, they were streaming the tournament all weekend. So, you know, folks out there had an opportunity to go ahead and watch as people played. Yeah. Uh, I know Trent Augustine from Tilt Amusements, he was in. I yeah. saw him there in and out all weekend. Yep. He brought yep. a, a kiss machine he had sitting outside the door. Mm-hmm. So that was available for, available for play all weekend. Directly across the hall from where the Papa tournament was, was a kind of a little stairway, if you will, that led up to where the panel rooms were, the, yes. the mini auditoriums, if right. you will. Right. Those bustled all weekend. Yeah, because uh, Preston, Patrick, uh, Shannon, and uh, Joel and Dana, you know, on doing all the organization for the show, they. 
they definitely had um, the time filled well. And they had opposing, um, I'll say, sessions running pretty much all day long, you know, but two and a half days. So it was great. This, this is, I've said this before, and this is where I'll go back and say, if you go to an event like this, yeah, it's fun to go in and play games. Don't just play the games. Take a look at the schedule. Yeah. Because you, you'd be amazed at what goes on. And, you know, like it. Just in a side room. Just for, in the side room. five minutes. Like here know? in this yeah. situation at SFGE, you are right there. You don't have to travel to another part of the building. It, it is all right there. You can go play play games you can go over in the free play area you can come in and catch uh, a seminar given by in this case like brian colin the guy mm-hmm. that designed rampage and a ton of other games yeah you go back and play some games i mean there was cool stuff going on all weekend that's not right there bam like right in your face yeah. you know yeah. and and it's just like i said I, I, I can't say it anymore make sure you check out what's going on yeah so anyway as you as you continued on down that hallway uh, toward the end of the hallway was the registration table, and that's typically where Shannon was hanging out, kind of doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, once you got through registration, that hallway takes a right and opens up into a bigger space, if you will, like a mini atrium. Off to the left side was the large ballroom that was uh, your principal game room. Uh-huh. Pins, videos, Marco was set up over there. I believe uh, probably half the vendors were set up kind yeah. of interspersed in yeah. that space. Arcade shop was there. Uh, a couple gosh, pinball mod yeah. vendors were over there. Like hooked on pinball, I think was there. And there was the, uh, the Escalera, uh, you know, the, the stair climbing dolly people were there okay, as yep. well. So yeah, yeah. You, you just saw, you know, a, a myriad of vendors kind of on the perimeter of the room with all the games in the middle. So, and that room is also where the Pac-Man battle Royale was. Mm-hmm. And at the opposite end of the room, they had a stage. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, various things were going on through the weekend that involved the stage whether it was some kind of uh, announcement or some kind of contest friday night there was a live 80s band that Mm -hmm. played in the game room and it was that that was really cool because that came back to that experience from last year the vip party for all the kickstarter backers yeah where it it really took on that arcade ambiance. It, it did because they they would close the doors, turn the lights down, and fire up the music. And then really about the only thing that you saw uh, light-wise was just whatever came off the games, you know, and then whatever the band had up there. So it was, it, it, you're right, the, the ambience and the feel was just spot on. Uh, and I will say this, the when, when they organized SFGE, their tilt on there's a pinball reference for you no pun intended their tilt on doing an expo is not just to provide gaming or not just to provide um uh, speakers and that type of content or not just to provide uh or be real heavy into like for example part sales or like a swap meet type thing one of the things that makes SFGE stand out as their own show is all that added content Mm -hmm. and all the little things that that they put into the show like the 80s band Mm -hmm. and having an opportunity just to say okay we're going to make it we're going to bring a a live band in to play exclusive 80s music and we're going to do this did you happen to sit in on the game show uh, I was going to say segment but that's probably not right Uh, there was actually in one of the auditoriums uh, I think it was Saturday that uh, they had uh, the SFGE crew had a game show. So Preston Patrick came in, Shannon 
was actually kind of like the MC. He kind of had like this Don Johnson kind of jacket on. Honestly, I think it was another excuse for Shannon to wear a wig so that, you know, he can kind of blend in. He had a wig for See, every occasion. No boy looks good in a wig, oh, yeah, doesn't he, he? He rocks a wig. He, he wears it well. He had a headbanger wig for the for the uh, uh, band. He had a, uh, a game show host wig for the game show. But it was it was this fast paced Q and A. It was Saturday. Saturday night. night. Yeah, that it was, was uh, level up the quiz show. Okay. Yeah. It was game based pinball video, home video console, and there was even an aspect of it where once they kind of whittled down folks to you know like all right, sorry, you have to go home. Then they would take them back and there was a pinball machine in the back of the room and they would play like high score on a ball and they had cameras set up so that they were then projecting as you played on the screen for everybody to watch. I mean, it, there was a lot of work that went into that hour and it was a ball. Yeah. They go, they go to the nth degree and it's noticed that that's the thing that I will say. Joel, Joel has game show voice. He has the perfect announcer voice. You know, if you look on his website, he actually does voiceover work. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, yes, yes. So that'd be Joel Reeves is who we're talking about, friend of the show. Yeah, he has got the perfect, perfect radio and voiceover voice. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, he, he, did the, he did the voice work for this, and I did not know that. Yes, yeah. So um, anyway, so to the left side of that that kind of center atrium was the main ballroom out in that center atrium right as you passed um the registration booth was there was a selection of games there was uh, uh, a few vendors in that area it was just a good mix and it was yeah. a good crossroads for everything yeah and uh um, and then Whitney, I've kind of given it all up to hit there. Why don't you go ahead and cover the other side of it? Oh, no, that's fine. So when you walk over into the other side, like you're saying, there's uh, vendors were there. That's where, you know, the Circus Maximus guys were. And they, they had uh, the smaller you know, ballroom. The smaller ballroom. They had, uh, you know, Python's Pinball Circus there. And they had it uh, flipping for everybody to see and to play. Uh, of course, there were a couple multi cade vendors and things like that. And then, you know, more pinball machines running across the perimeter of the room. And then arcades kind of doing a, I guess, kind of like an inverted. You type of uh, type of layout inside the middle of the room, and then over on the far right hand side of the room, where the Papa tournament was the prior year, instead of having its own dedicated area, they turned this into what they coined an '80s arcade, and initially you would think well isn't the whole place kind of like an 80s arcade but what they did here was they had a very curated selection of games and they had a disco ball running the lights were turned down and then they music. had music going the entire time so it, it definitely reminded you of a little bit of a different type of setting even within the larger setting itself it was it was a nice add-on to what already felt like a, a you know a very uh, a very authentic type of experience I didn't realize it until uh, it, it, I, admittedly, I'm a couple episodes behind on Game Room Junkies, and I was listening to the last episode just prior to SFGE, and they were okay. talking about that the '80s arcade section. Yeah, and curated is is the right word. Yes, the, I, the I games think so. the games in that area definitely fit the feel. Uh huh. And it was the, the, it's just as I was talking about, like with the game show, and then the band, and all the other little kind of things that you see but you don't realize that you see that exactly. go into SFGE. Yeah. Uh, the things that all the organizers do. Yeah. They had mentioned during that episode of Game Room Junkies that there was that that wasn't a haphazard collection of games. They just didn't say, okay, give me a Galaga, give me a this, give me that. It was selected for that purpose for, to for fit that, purpose. that that 
that feel. Yeah, and it definitely achieved that. And and I'll say with SFG, the sum is definitely greater than the parts because everything when it's all plugged together, that that show just has a little bit of a special feel to it. You know, over and above a lot of other shows that that I've been to. I I don't. Well, know they're all they, unique. They've all they, got their they, own they place. They, they do. They do. Um, it's it's neat though because I'll kind of go back into the main ballroom. At one point, uh, they they were doing a Walking Dead tournament, okay, and so Preston, Patrick, Shannon, and the guys all came out dressed as zombies from the Village People. So each one of the Village People, oh, I miss that. Yeah, they they each were dressed as one of the Village People members, but as a zombie, and so it was just it was the perfect add on, you know. And I would almost akin it to last year's where uh, you know Darth Vader and the stormtroopers and everything walked out out in advance of the Star Wars tournament that they had up on the stage where they had the Star Wars pinball machine and a Star Wars arcade game. And so it just seems like they really go the extra mile in order to make the production match or exceed the experience of playing the games. That's the best way that I know to say it. So it is noticed and it does leave you with a very positive uh, reflection on it. So as part of the show, Whitney and I were blessed enough to be directly involved i guess that's mm-hmm. a uh, a good way to put it yeah uh we were invited to be involved in several of the um what what a breakout session breakout sessions there you go yeah i, I, I got it for you buddy. is it panel is it yeah. breakout session is it are we having a meeting <laughs> what are we doing here you know <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah we were we were asked to be involved in several of the breakout sessions several of the panels not only uh, as either a moderator but as i guess you know the the principal a speaker yeah is the content provider exactly. for, yeah for the session so i'm falling apart whitney no it's okay early I, in the show i got you i'm I going down you. it's I, I bring buckets so that i can carry the water man it's all good <laughs> so the the big thing there was not only did you and i uh moderate some of the sessions and i mean gosh man i'm just i'm looking back through uh through the events and let's see man you got to moderate a session with billy mitchell and well we started Walter on Day we Joel. started on friday mm-hmm. yeah with the claw meetup yeah oh thank you i did for okay now we'll pass the bucket back to you how about that yeah so uh whitney was kind enough before the before we actually left for sfge out on our site there's a blog post that have has the the list of events that we directly participated in so you know friday night (laughs) i guess i need to refer to our own website don't i (laughs) novel idea And here, this is where I'm telling everybody, you know, pay attention to what we do. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> We're ringing our own bell here. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Friday night, we actually hosted the uh, the Claw of Moon Pie meetup, which was just an opportunity for any Claw folks there to kind of come in and put a face with a with a screen name and a real yeah. name with a screen name. Exactly. Yeah. And Brent, how many people do you think were there? Maybe 20 or so? Yeah, I'd say about 20. Yeah, I'd, say, I'd say about 20. And we got a group picture and it's up on uh, it's up on the Claw thread. So it was real nice. A lot of us were holding up Moon Pies and, and that. That, that turned out really well. Got to meet some people that I would only have seen through form participation via screen name, like, like you're saying. So, and there, we weren't uh, involved in, in this, but there was also one for the Pinside folks as well. Yeah, so, I didn't know, get to make that. I did. We were running sessions at that point. It just didn't work out. So, that, but right after that, this is where you were going. Yes, I moderated a session with uh, Billy Mitchell and. Um, it Joe wasn't West, it yeah. was not Walter Day unfortunately yeah. Walter was supposed to have been uh, available or supposed to have been on the panel but he was not available unfortunately at that time so yes it was Billy Mitchell and Joel West yeah and really it was a very it was a really interesting conversation we uh, we talked a little bit about 
kind of your and I'm going to steal this term from Mike McGinnis over at at No Quarter. Yeah, kind of your. We didn't use the term, but I'm going to use it now. We talked a little bit about the gate, the geek gatekeepers. Yes, yes. And I, I know uh, Mike had mentioned this, you know, several episodes ago. You know, sometime around last summer, having to do with just a little bit of the negativity in the community, and um, it it wasn't a like a downer conversation if anything it was a you know there's people are out there that are going to cause you problems no matter who you are what you do or what your hobby is feed the trolls exactly yes yes. and it was it was uh, a good conversation about just overcoming that Mm -hmm. and then you know some of billy and joel's struggles if you will in the gaming community and uh things that they are doing where they're going how other folks are just stepping up to the plate and bringing new and exciting things in the community and just how we are going to keep this ball rolling yeah that's that's good i'll I'll be looking forward to hearing that um because and i know we haven't really covered this but i i am working with preston and patrick i've got a lot of the audio uh from one of the uh one of the two session rooms recorded room that as we said you know the the 12 items that we needed out of the 50 that we took one of those one of those was was a recorder and so uh we do have the audio for the sessions and we're just working with preston and patrick to determine who's going to release what so i would think that within the next several weeks either on the game room junkies podcast feed or on our podcast feed you'll see audio uh, for most most every session if you not just re- do you realize you just said you will see audio uh yes exactly you will have audio yes. to hear yes You'll see it in the feed. You'll have it to hear. It's a, How about that? It's amazing we haven't killed one another. <laughs> so uh, that was Friday night. Yeah. And then later that evening, we did... Yeah, the podcasting after dark. And that was that was a ton of fun. So I would have to go back and look at uh, who, who all was on that session. Because I know, Brent, it was you and I and Preston and Patrick. And then... Uh, Gosh, the, the other two names escaped me, and I apologize for that. And, and the uh, other folks were um, from uh, uh, one of the gentlemen was from the Antic podcast, yeah. which is Atari Home Computers. Yes, yes. And you're right. The uh, the other gentleman, his name escapes me. And and what what's happening here is, is last year there was a podcasting after dark. So all the podcasters that attended, we all got together on Saturday night. And last year it was. Myself, Whitney, Preston, Patrick. Go ahead. Let's see yeah, your I, name. I got it. It's a uh, Bobby Black Wolf. And, okay. Uh, and let's see, uh, Brad Arnold. That's okay, and, it. And Brad is from Antic. Brad is from Antic, and Bobby Black Wolf is from. Now I think his his show and this we actually had a little conversation all of us prior to the to actually setting down in front of the mics in front of an audience. Yes. And the funny thing was is. You know, we were talking about how much content is actually starting to be to come into existence yes. and how difficult it is at times, which is, this is a good thing. Yeah. I have a hard time keeping up with the shows. Uh, uh, just half the people that I've mentioned just in this episode of our show. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with those people. It is. Because there's just so much content. And, you know, the funny thing was, is um I was talking might have been to Bobby and I had not listened to his show. I think his show and talking to him covers gaming in general. So yeah. he'll talk about the latest console games. Yeah. He might a lot, touch a lot of virtual reality. I think. A lot of VR yeah, stuff. A lot of VR okay. stuff as well. And I'd made the comment to him. I said, you know, I believe it was him. Uh, I kind of cut my teeth on Atari consoles. And I said, you know, one thing I probably should listen to is the Antic podcast, and I don't. Yeah. And the and then 
literally, I just happened to turn around, and right behind me was the gentleman that does the Antic Podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's neat because... There was actually enough podcasters there at SFG this year that the podcasting after dark was split up over in two, two sessions. Nights. Yeah, that's where I was going. On a Friday that, and a Saturday. Thank night. you for bringing yeah. that back in, yeah, Whitney. No, yeah. no worries. Yes, like, last year it was just it was you, I, myself, mm-hmm. Preston, Patrick, Nate Shivers, Nate and Nate mm-hmm. was that and Nate. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So and, no, and Jonathan Leung. Oh, well, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jonathan. I forgot yeah. you, and Jonathan Leung. So this year, as Whitney said, there was enough podcasters represented that it was split up over two nights yeah it was it was and so we did the podcasting after dark and then brent i would say from you know a session moderation perspective now wait a minute do we do we want to cover what we did to the boys here go go right ahead yeah go right ahead because you were masterminding on that so why, why don't you go <laughs> oh, ahead yeah go so, ahead and knock that out and then i'll queue up the, the the sessions that we moderated and then the sessions that we delivered so whitney basically just threw me straight straight under the bus by saying I masterminded. <laughs> so if the podcasting after dark... But, but you did, though, man. I know. Yeah, but that's what made it this awesome. is a shared effort. It, it, it is. in the blame. It is a shared effort. You're so, right. As, as, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure if the podcasting after dark audio is will make it out. I mean, there's really no reason that it shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, That'll probably be Preston and Patrick on, on yes, their absolutely. right there. Uh, so yeah. that'll be their decision. Yeah. Um, a lot of kind of what I'm alluding to was a visual type of a thing. But so the short of it was, is uh, last year and the the podcasting after dark from last year did make it out on the, the, the game room junkies feed, I believe it was. So we presented Preston and Patrick with a gift. And this year I wanted to kind of, we wanted to continue that, that tradition. Yeah. We wanted to make it a tradition. So what we ended up doing this year, and we've got a picture of this. We'll put it in the show notes. It's actually up on our Facebook page right now <laughs> out in the SFGE 2015 gallery. Yeah. Uh, what I ended up doing is, so, okay, so here, here's the premise. Here's the premise. Preston co- collects VHS. Yeah. So last year, part of his gift was like a quiz show of these weird v, you know vhs 80s movies you know and i was giving him names of like the actors and general descriptions and i had i was making him guess in front of everybody yeah. w- what it was yeah everything was very clitch yes yeah, exactly yes. so what i ended up doing was i picked up a vhs tape rewinder you know oddly enough the, those are plentiful in thrift stores <laughs> yeah, who would have thought i, I would have thought i ha- would have had a hard time but so i got i picked up one and i I had it sitting around here for a while and I lost track of it. (laughs) So I went and picked up another one because they're easy to find. Lo and behold, I found the first and I thought, perfect. I'm going to make two of these. I took the logo for SFGE 2015 and I made a stencil out of that logo. Yeah. And then I took some black light reactive fluorescent paint and I kind of splattered both of the record or the rewinders in like this green fluorescent paint to kind of give them this ghostly glow and then i stenciled their logo right across the the doors of the the tape rewinders um for jana uh, dana and joel jana that's jana uh i'm screwed up now that's dana and joel together as a unit yes and Um, shannon and shannon yeah uh i took some marquees that i had and uh, um, got them kind of all lined out, and I went ahead and I stenciled the logo in fluorescent 
black light reactive paint on the marquees yeah. for them as well. So those were all nicely wrapped up. But since since Preston and Patrick were going to get the, theirs in like a public venue, because I knew that I was going to have them captive yeah. at Podcasting After Dark, I couldn't just hand it to them. Right. So what I ended up doing was uh, wrapped them up nice. And then we had an additional gift for Patrick that was uh, provided by a friend of the show, uh, uh, Jim Hale. Jim Hale. Yeah. That was uh, what was a it was a book in the shape of a trapper keeper. In the shape of a trapper keeper, and it was full of like eighties eighties toys and it game was like a references. reference book. It, it was, was really cool. It was awesome. You flip through this book, and it's everything that you th- that you remembered about the eighties, but uh, have completely forgotten. But as soon as you see it in the book, you remember every single bit yeah. of it all over. And again. Then, like I said, the book was shaped like a trapper keeper, it was, and it opened it up like a trapper awesome. keeper. Yes. So James had that. And he I helped. so wanted to keep it for myself, but I knew we couldn't yeah <laughs> so a red trapper keeper too so he had that and he helped us out and you know that came our way through james yeah and then um for patrick or excuse me for preston, for preston. james also had some really just obscure vhs tapes yeah so 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 jim came through for us big time and we really oh, yeah. appreciate that jim so the, those went in the gifts those were the gift bags and those were all wrapped up so then i had to ha- kind of have something that was okay i wanted eight easy gift bags so for preston or patrick yeah uh, I got him a Transformers gift bag, and yeah. then I was kind of limited at that point. I'd actually come across Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle wrapping paper. I'd had the Transformers gift bag. So for the only other 80s reference thing that I could find for uh, for Preston was My Little Pony. Yeah, it was awesome. It's pink and purple and oh, everything. Oh, it was yeah. beautiful. Rainbow colors So and there's all. there's pictures out on our Facebook page and on Game Room Junkies Facebook page, I'm sure, yeah. of of all of their gifts and the gift bags and all that kind of fun stuff. So during the show, we presented them with these gifts. And, you know, last year I walked down and I had them in my hand, kind of in a bag. So this year I had, a um, Oh, David Paul. I'm, ha- I'm losing names here. <laughs> Remember dude, it takes a village. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So David Paul helped out here yeah. and I, I smuggled Ask all me a name. I got it. I smuggled all the gifts in with David Paul. <laughs> So we got to a point during the podcasting after dark where, you know, I, I announced that we have something for you all. And then David jumps up, yeah, okay. which which was kind of off putting to Preston, yeah. because at that point he was like Santa Claus. Well, I already we had already planted Sharon and Sean O'Shea with a cooler yeah. full of uh, beverages. Yes. And, you know, the, the premise there was, is that. You know, last year, and this was a joke on my part, uh, there there were, you know, a few people needed a drink and they had someone that they could text and people brought drinks in, yeah. you know, from the bar right during the podcast. And I'm, uh, I'm like, Whitney and I don't, quote unquote, have that. We don't yeah. have other organizers. We just don't roll that way. So I covered that. Yes. And I, I outfitted Sean and Sharon with uh, a full drink service. Yes. And during the show... <laughs> airplane I mean, this is highly orchestrated yeah. everybody during you the just, show you, you just have to see it to to, to get it i know? called for a drink with an air horn yeah at that point sean came up to the mic and read the drink menu and com- and then commenced to serve everyone at the podcasting yeah, table it was it was fantastic so yeah by the time david paul jumped up with the gifts preston was a little concerned as to how many people we had hidden out in the crowd yeah and then when you seal the deal with the my little pony it was done <laughs> you know it was done so as you could tell we all had a good time uh i mean it was a ball we had good conversation um 
and you know, like I said, hopefully the audio will get out there. It, it, all that was kind of a visual type thing, but the pictures are definitely out there. Check out our Facebook page. The pictures, the gifts that we made up, they're all out there. I've got them down in my game room under black light glowing. Yeah. And uh, uh, there are pic- definitely tons of pictures floating around between our Facebook page and the game room junkies of uh, the, the that evening and everyone receiving things and you know check it out if you couldn't make it you know at least check it out make a comment uh just you know join in you know it was it was fun there's there's no doubt about it so if we kind of roll i guess you know that was friday that gosh brent that took us through what friday night I that guess? Was, yeah that was just friday night yeah yeah that was just friday night so then if we roll into saturday then uh, we had the opportunity to moderate a, a couple of sessions, okay? And I'll, I'll kind of go through those real quick. So the, uh, the first one was uh, Fun with Philanthropy, Gaming for Good. And that was neat because uh, we got to hear from, uh, let's see, Pro- let's see uh, Project Pinball and the Pinball Outreach Program, uh, Extra Life, and so on down the line. And it was just a nice, nice session that everyone in attendance, I think, walked away with a greater understanding of how our hobby can be used to leverage positive change in your community and it was not a it was not a downer session in any way shape or form Brent I think I've told you a couple of times that that was probably one of the best hours that I spent down there at SFG all that being said, I do have some follow-up that I owe some people, so I, I definitely need to get that done. But the good thing is, is you know, whenever you start that, you can kind of do it on, on your own on your own terms, and it'd be neat to see some of that take place here in Louisville. Now, I couldn't attend that session. I was tied up at the moment, but Whitney, I remember you telling me the session was highly attended. Oh, it, it was. I, you know something? I was actually surprised. And uh, when I say surprised, I mean surprised in a good way, uh, because with that topic, you just would you you just don't know how many people are going to say, you know, I'm going to take a, a, an hour out of game room action, okay, or going to another session for that matter, and say I'm going to go listen to people talk about charity. And I know it in our heart of hearts, we're we, we're all good, and we all want to do good and make and make good things happen. Speak for yourself. Exactly. So I have to I have to overemphasize that because I have to drag Brent along with me. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just leave that at that. But all all that all you know all things being said, there it was just very I'll even say heartwarming to see so many people show up for that session and listen you know listen to the stories that uh, that the panelists told. Whitney and I talked a little after the session, and um, I, I was with Whitney. I was surprised for the same reasons that it had the turnout that it had because it just it's not a topic that I've ever heard really kind of broached in our uh, yes you've you've got um uh, I know Charlie over at Spooky he works here's another name Whitney I've gone completely blank he works with Joe at Pinball Star Amusements Pinstar Pinstar okay got that one yeah Pinstar Amusements and I know Joe works to donate Wizard of Oz games to hospitals yes yes well now see now that's the that's the only other place I've heard really heard of of like uh uh, something like this happening. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. So I went back real quick and we'll talk about podcasting fail. I think we could do an entire episode on podcasting fail, but during that I was able to go back and pull up uh, the notes for the session and just real quick, just to make sure everything is correct. We had uh, Mr. Dan Spoler and he is from project pinball. We had Pat young uh, hero for the heart and Joshua Ahern from, from the Atlanta division of extra life. And so Brent, when we talk about, you know, placing pinball machines and 
in hospitals. That's exactly what uh, Dan with Project Pinball does. He gets machines, he gets them uh, located in hospitals for uh, for you know the staff and the children there, children's hospitals, I'll say, for the, for the staff and the children there to play. And it really helps to take uh, you know both the parents and the children's mind off of prognosis and treatment and everything like that. It helps the the hospital staff to cut up a little bit and have some fun and break the monotony. And he has just really, really done a tremendous job, tremendous job. And I'll say nationwide because he covered uh, an upcoming national tour that they're doing essentially where they are ro- they are rolling through several states. And we'll, I'd have to go back and get the audio, Brent, to know exactly the path that they're taking. But nonetheless, they are placing games in hospitals across the nation. And the good that this uh, that this organization and the good work that Dan has done has just cannot be underscored because he's making a difference in people's lives, as as all of these guys are. I know when you came out, you were very excited about. The topic. I was. I mean, it 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 literally moved you. Okay, to sit in there and listen to that and to hear what these what these people are doing. They're they're not obsessing over restoring their games. They're not obsessing over collecting games. They're using the hobby to leverage good in the community and to make a difference, especially in children's lives, Brent. And that's the that's the kicker, okay? It for children. And that's what's awesome about it. So yeah, it was it was great. So uh, just you know, a quick uh, refresher. So Pat Young is uh, the world record holder for Guitar Hero, okay? And what he had done was have uh, he, he had organized this uh, this organization called Hero for the Heart, and he played Guitar Hero for, to set a world record, and all the donations went to the American Heart Association. Garnered garnered essentially you know worldwide uh, accolades for doing that, so that was really neat. And then Joshua's with Extra Life, and if if you're not familiar with Extra Life, it's an organization where you can form a team in your local community and you game for 24 hours solid, and then during that time you take um, essentially you. Take take pledges and then those when you collect that pledge money and what's so cool about this brand is you don't have to do any of this work you just have to game okay because extra life has got all the infrastructure in place to allow you to set up a team to solicit the pledges to collect the money to update everybody on what you've done and everything like that so they've they've taken so much of the um i I guess the legwork out of donating to the charity Mm -hmm. and doing something for the good of the charity you know and they've got it all very consistent and, and you know and very repeatable and uh, and a, a very low bar- barrier of entry is probably the best way to say that. So what that. I'm thinking is down the road, we actually need to get some of these we folks do. on the show it, it, and it, have it, a deep, deep dive into what they do and see what we yes, can do to help. Yes, exactly. Because what's not happening in Louisville right now is out, outside of just a couple little, um, you know, well, I don't want to say little, just scratch that. I didn't mean that. But they're, they're, they're just kind of isolated. You know, we've had a couple charity events at Zanzibar, but we need to blow it up bigger than that because that's not happening in Louisville. And Zanzibar's done really good work, but there can be There's a lot more that there, can, be, there can done. be a lot more that's done. And well, if we anything, can contribute it's, it's on a, a network level. If anything, it's a networking thing. That's if, exactly if right. Some of the, if some of these folks have already got a lot of this infrastructure built, yeah. and you know that infrastructure could be utilized, yeah. and maybe the, the effort that's put forth here in town could, could have a greater impact, 
that that's definitely something to explore. It, it really is. It really is. So that was one of the sessions. Um, one of the other sessions that, that we moderated was with uh, Brian Cullen, and that was entitled From Pixels to Smartphones, and that was essentially an hour sit-down with Brian Cullen. Uh, most people probably uh, know him as uh, the designer of Rampage and Spy Hunter and just, uh, I mean, gosh, Brent, was it like over 90 titles when it was all said well, and done? Well, there was a list that was so long, he himself said, I've got to refer to my own list. Yeah, I mean, he actually brought a cheat sheet card with him with all with all of the game titles and a little bit of the artwork that would immediately jog your memory on it. And, and even Brian would refer back to that. So here's one thing I'll say. That was such an interesting session because very seldom do you get to speak with someone who has that number of years of experience in, in the industry, in the hobby, and has so many titles under his belt. Not just classic arcade titles, but he is still working today. He's working on smartphones like iPad, iPhone, Android games. and um, it, I know he did a lot of the touch bar top touch type games. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the redemption, a lot of the gambling type of games, I guess, and so that you might see in you know the casinos and things like mm-hmm. that. So Brian's career has spanned almost every facet of gaming, okay, from from let's say the past 30 years. An extremely interesting individual to talk to. The problem is, is that an hour doesn't even do him justice. So you have to really pick and choose what you talk about, make sure that it weaves well together, which I think we did a good job on that. And everybody really seemed to enjoy it. I, I was I was really mesmerized by the stories that he was telling. He so was, was actually, great. he was on a couple panels mm-hmm. and I got to sit in on one of the, now the panel you're talking about, you actually moderated. I did, yes, I, uh, I did moderate that one. So I, I sat in on another panel that he was on and just just some of the stories about some of the games. I mean, I know at one point in time he was talking about Spy Hunter, and I was thinking this is what makes Spy Hunter such an iconic game, such a classic game, versus some of the, I know the term is used a lot, shovelware games that were yeah. like uh, a Me Too type games of the day. Yeah. Uh, he talked about what effort they went to just to make the animation of the car driving into the weapons van just how to make that look (laughs) smooth and realistic or workable or or whatever word you want to use just just something that 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 has become a and i'll use the word again an iconic part of the game that the weapons van and the car getting in it and how it works in that transition i'm i i've even seen uh, um well, no, I was going to say I've saw, seen Mythbusters do that, but they did that because of Knight Rider, which may have come from Spy Hunter. I don't know. Very true. That, Who knows? Very true. Regardless. Yeah. Um, the the conversations with Brian, uh, his, his depth of knowledge is unbelievable. Yeah, it was. And then the last session... Uh, that we either that we either set in slash moderated was um, the session. Oh, Brent, I need to pull that back up here real quick. I'm sorry. Okay, it was called Pixel Permeance and the Legacy of 8-Bit Games. Uh, I set in on that, and we talked just a lot about console gaming. Um, I pretty much gravitated more towards the Atari and the, and the NES and you mm-hmm. know the, the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System and things like that. But we had a, a very a very nice panel of people on there, and I, I am remiss because I'd have to go back and get the panel description here real quick let's see if i can find that uh stall for me brent stall for me. so it looks like it was mitch grantham brad arnold and you yes there there was one other person oh was Uh, there yeah it was um no let's see 
So I sat in and I actually got to listen to this panel and podcasting fail here, Whitney. <laughs> it's your turn. I have I have the inability. Uh, I have no ability to remember names today. And Whitney is uh, completely unprepared as it comes to our participation in SFG. Yeah. So I'm having to, I'm having to hunt everything down. So yes. So we had Brad Arnold, myself, uh, Mitch Nurber, I believe is his name, and so he does the Retro Game Fix podcast, and then uh, and then Mr. Grantham. As well, so yes. So this was, like you said, Whitney. This was a, a conversation conversation about eight bit, basically home games. Mitch Neurbauer. Neurbauer. Okay. Mitch Neurbauer. I hate to I hate to um, botch a name, so I apologize for that, Mitch. Yeah, Mitch Neurbauer. So Whitney Whitney was heavy in on the Atari side, on the Activision side, and it, it really it spanned the spectrum of your 8-bit consoles because everybody kind of had their own favorite, whether it was Nintendo's, you know, which or the Atari, or yeah. you know, it it wasn't necessarily all 8-bit. It was, but you know, it was it was kind of the growth of the system and how the systems and how it led to the expansion in gaming and uh, kind of the industry that we have today. Yeah, and what was interesting about that is that uh, several of the guys definitely brought their own angle. There's no doubt. Well, we all brought our own angle. There's no doubt about that. But it spanned everything from the early 8-bit all the way up to modern console gaming. So uh, it was it was a, a good dive into the Sega Master System, the leading up to the Xbox and PC gaming, uh, all the way back to the classic Atari, e- even Atari computer gaming. You know, not just the 2600 or the 5200. I'm talking about, you know, the XEVSE and things like that, you know, in gaming on the computer platforms as well, Amiga, so on down the line. So now those are panels that we participated in or moderated. Mm-hmm. We actually were able to have two of our own panels over the course of the weekend. So Saturday, Saturday morning, 1030, uh, a lot of people, uh, we darn near filled the house. Both times, actually. And, yeah. and I was very pleasantly surprised. So was that. I. Yeah. A lot of people was joined, very fortunate. joined us Saturday morning at 1030, and we hosted a panel titled Nuts, Bolts, and Broken Tokens. Let's talk game repair. Yeah. And it was fun because we just went through a lot of... Um, well, I guess this kind of gets back into the session preparation and everything. We went through a lot of the tools that are used in the arcade hobby, uh, just compared and contrasted them, talked about, you know, best use cases and just, I guess, kind of gotchas with the tools and, and things like that. So now the intention here was not to get like super deep into, no, you know, no. pinky on my Pac-Man no, is no, not no, doing no, this. You no. know, we were getting uh, just right in the edge of what you need as uh, someone that enjoys games is maybe starting to collect and let's just start talking about right into how we start to repair games Mm -hmm. just the basic tools that we need some things to look out for we had examples of the tools that we use and kind of how we've grown our workbench that's exactly right so you can think of it it was a very high level session but it started high level and then walked its way into a little uh, deeper conversation deeper conversation borderlining on self-sufficiency okay that's probably a good a good way to say that so what's nice about it though is that during that entire session we kept the audience 
experience going and it wasn't just a this is this is a hammer this is a screwdriver yeah. this is a soldering <laughs> iron it wasn't any of that it was really audience led and audience driven participation with the the whole tool discussion and the repair discussion kind of as the backdrop just to help guide everything along but uh we brought we also brought visual aids we did yeah we, we brought uh, visual aids w- w- Whitney and I are both IT people there's this thing in the IT world called uh when it comes to like building powerpoints and basically if they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're too busy it's like we call it you're, you're an eye chart yeah or, or death by powerpoint death by powerpoint yeah, exactly. so yeah we struggled to not kill the audience by powerpoint exactly. that was not the goal but we wanted to say okay well here is a, here is a for example um a good entry level in our opinion soldering iron uh-huh. so we had a picture of it yeah. you know and we had we had things to help go along and help work the points and, and, and work with the audience to hopefully convey a, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of knowledge transfer, and a little bit of experience. Yeah, so it's several people ask for uh, getting the session handouts or getting the session presentation after the fact, so oh. that, that was good. So uh, just to let everybody know that's listening, uh, I'm going to take those PowerPoints, I'm going to get them published as a PDF, and then we'll get them published inside a blog post on the website or something like that so that people can go and, and download those. I think what everybody was really after, Brent, is they wanted to get links for where they can buy everything and so that's what that's what we'll do we'll get that we'll get that information collected make sure it's on the website and then we'll just do a blog post and put it out on twitter and stuff like that so as Whitney said we had we had fun with the session yeah, Once it was we get, a lot of fun we kind of got through a little bit of a tool talk and you know here's what you need basically past your standard hand tools that most houses have yeah and then we we really kind of just dipped our toe into the pond of some some common repairs yeah and we had a lot of visual aids to kind of go along with that as in i.e pictures of of repairs that we've done everything from like edge connector stuff we've talked about here on the show monitor chassis repair things that you know trace repair things like that and and if if anything i think i hope it gave everyone kind of a good primer and would bring folks back into other parts of the community whether it's our podcast or or arcade repair tips or game room junkies or whoever and then out on club and pin side to kind of get a little further in and and the goal my real goal was to help build a little bit more confidence in new collectors or collectors that haven't kind of gotten into their own repair and kind of get get them into the backs of their games yeah and and i think it worked out well because we had a lot of good crosstalk we had uh really good audience participation and we really didn't have to present nowhere near as much as i thought we were going to have to brent because everybody asked really good questions and we just used the questions to help kind of move everything along it was fun i mean a lot of people had uh, what i would hope to be a really good time a lot of a lot of laughing a lot of joking a lot of you know just kind of you know just kind of poking fun at this and that and we had gifts talking through the the topic yeah and you're right we did have guests so just as you uh wanted to make sure that we handled preston and patrick shannon you know dane and joel and everybody and we got them set up joel jana yeah yeah those guys got them all squared away with gifts you know brent i thought it would be a really good idea really kind of a cool idea to have a couple of giveaways at the end of our sessions okay and 
So what what I wound up doing was uh, a few months ago, I had built myself some monitor dischargers, okay? And I previously had ordered, and I, I mean, I'm going to go, I'm just go ahead and toss this out, this out there, but it's no slam on it in any way, shape, or form. I'd previously ordered, you know, several years back, the Safeback discharger from Bob Roberts, okay? Nice screwdriver, uh, the kit itself, you know, just put it together and it, wor- it works well. There's no problem with it at all. The issue that I run into, though, is that when you have monitors out in a storage building, you have games in your storage building, games in your basement, games in here, games there, monitors here, monitors there, that one safe back discharger is not everywhere that I want it to be. So I'm like, hmm, okay, I probably need to build myself two or three of these. And so just just to have handy, because then that way I'm not walking back to my toolbox, you know, in the house every single time that I want to discharge a monitor, you know, or I don't lose it or I'm not dragging it around, tearing it up or what have you. So what I did is I just wound up looking at Bob's discharger and I thought, okay, this is good. No, no, no real issues with it. But if I'm going to build myself two or three of these, how would I, how would I improve on it or how would I make it better? And that's really what I wound, what I wound up doing is I got a very, very nice uh, screwdriver and uh, we'll have links to this in the show notes and they'll also be in the presentation blog post as well. So we'll make sure that this is all covered. But I ordered a real nice screwdriver from Amazon. I uh, just got some 18 gauge lamp cord and you know stranded and pulled it apart. And then I ordered some battery uh, terminal clamps uh, from eBay. They're the rubber booted kind, either black or red. And then Brent, what I proceeded to do was take the screwdriver and here's what I found out okay on these really uh, on these nicer more expensive screwdrivers drilling a hole through them is almost impossible okay <laughs> because even if you take the the hardest uh, okay of metal drill bits they're just not going to cut and they're just not going it's just not going to make it happen okay so I was able to get a hole drilled in one of them okay my, one of my early I guess one of the ones that, that I've got but I went through like three drill bits to get that done okay and it was very time consuming very frustrating so then what i what i then i guess kind of fell back to was um and that's even after taking the screwdriver, running it on a grinding wheel to remove, you know, to, mm-hmm. to remove the the outer coating, you know, on on the on the shank of the it's, screwdriver. Well, it's still itself. hardened. It's still hardened. It's still buddy. hardened. It is still hardened. Okay. And let me tell you, it is. So with that, what I wound up doing then is um, once I had just a little bit of the outer, uh, a, a little bit of the outer coating of the screwdriver shank ground off, I then took my Dremel and then I just cut very just ever so slightly. I cut some angled grooves into the shank of the screwdriver. And then I would take the wire, okay, and then I would wrap the wire around the shank of the screwdriver and made sure that I wrapped into those into those recessed cuts, all right? And then with that, I then took the wire and kind of wrapped it over itself again, and then I soldered the entire no. the, the entire wire wrapping so the last, yeah, to the, the last, screwdriver. I had the same problem the last one I built. I, I yes. may have even broken a bit. Yes. So I mean, it, when I do it, I do what you do. I grind that coating off uh-huh. just so that I can get down to... Whatever metal. it's coated with, just yeah. bare metal, bare metal, yeah, bare metal. And usually, I'll peen it. I'll take a, a punch and I'll uh-huh. knock. I'll peen a little hole in it so that my bit will start and won't walk. Yeah, but yeah, invariably, it's invariably it's, it breaks. It's, it's it, a slow it's, it's process. A sl- it's a slow, monotonous, and sometimes frustrating process. So I found that using the Dremel uh, sped things along very, very well and gave you the same result anyway. The good thing about it is, is after you've done a couple of these, you you find out how many. 
you come up with a good mechanism for how many slats to cut into the screwdriver and how how many times to wrap the wire so that it so that even after the wire is wrapped and the solder's on it's still relatively flush with the rest of the shank of the screwdriver and then I'd slip some heat shrink tubing over it shrink that down uh, zip tie it and then boom you've got the perfect safe back discharging tool okay so you made a few of these up yeah so i wound up making four of these up okay and we gave two of them away in uh in the first session and we gave two of them away in the second session and they were very well received i mean we we definitely had a lot of fun with it you know so it, it was it was a lot of fun so speaking of that second session brent that was then entitled i guess the arcade collecting the arcade collector's corner yep. collecting 101 however you want to think about that and, and I, I was really excited about this because yeah this was Sunday, so this is the last day of the show at noon, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I figured a lot of people would would have bugged out by that. Yeah, they would have been on their way home, or yeah. they would have been playing their last last games. But we pretty much filled the room again. Filled I was the room again. I was yes. Uh, humbled. Yes, humbled is is a very very good way to say that. And that session, Brent, was really uh, there's that session was really just audience discussion, just kind of you know give and play with it with you know give and take with the audience and just kind of play around with the topic of if you're getting into this hobby, what does it take to get into the hobby? What's it take to stay in the hobby? How not to exit the hobby too soon? Yep. And and really how to get the most out of your months or years, uh, you know, in being in this hobby. We talked about, you know, buying do's and don'ts. We talked about selling do's and don'ts. Finding games. Finding games. Making contacts. Yeah, making contacts. Talked a little bit about operator warehouse raids. Craigslist. Craigslist, eBay, things like that. You know, in... What I appreciated about that session is we talked about all the things that we all think about, but you never really seem to be, uh, you never really see collected in any one contiguous space. Okay. And we had a lot of people asking a lot of good questions about, hey, how do you do this or how do you do that? And then in the second part of the session, we threw up some pictures via the PowerPoints and we talked through some of the good finds that you and I've had and some of the not so good finds that you and I've had. Yep. And even, and I even used a couple of examples of two games that I've just acquired recently, a bump and jump in a Satan's Hollow, where I made, I, you know, I scored a really good deal and then I scored a really great game uh, that's going to require some work. So even after being in the hobby for years, sometimes you still have to dig in with the elbow grease just to get a game that you want and to get it done. So that was a good opportunity to for us to show um, you don't just walk into, here, here, this was the example, don't just walk into something blind and buy it because you love it that was the game that i played don't do it on pure emotion you've got to step back and you've got to realize actually what you're looking at and what that entails to get to what that perfect picture is in your head and we were able to use our own games as examples of things that were hiding Mm -hmm. or hide you know hiding hiding as in hidden Mm -hmm. or hiding in plain sight hiding in, in plain sight if you don't you've got to realize that yeah if you've only got half the joystick for your for your Satan's Hollow, you're going to yes. have to come up with a joystick. You're going to have to come up with a joystick, and that's yeah. easier said than done. You know, and the problem is, when you only have half a joystick for Satan's Hollow, typically you only have half of the other stuff that the joystick's connected to. Right. Because they, they just wouldn't take half the joystick. You know, so there's, there's going to be a lot more work involved uh, 
even for what meets the eye. So yeah, so that was really a wrap of our two sessions. One thing I will say, Brent, is I'm very, I'm fairly confident that uh, in talking with President Patrick, we'll be able to host at least those two sessions in our own podcast feed. And we did do video recording of those sessions as well. So uh, just everybody just kind of work with us on the time. Uh, and like I say, we do all this on our spare time, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll edit up the video and get that up because, man, the sessions were just a lot of fun. And there was a lot of people there. And it was, it was just really organic and kind of electric at the same time. You know, it was neat. All right, Whitney. So let's start to transition into our technical and restoration section. I know that uh, I, I want to hear more about this team molding because uh, oh, it's riveting as it can be. Whitney's yes. adventures in team molding. Yes. And it, well, I mean, it is because if you think about it, it, I haven't run into it yet, but that doesn't mean I, I haven't. And I don't want to be standing out in the garage trying to contrive my own way to take team molding out. And I end up wasting three hours when I could have done it in 20 minutes yeah. because you've learned the lesson. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't we take Trent, a, just, why don't we take oh, yeah. just a quick break and through the magic of editing, we'll be right back here in a second. And then let's hop into the next segment. One thing I will say though, just real quick before we hop out, thank you, Preston. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Joel and Dana for giving us a platform at SFGE. It was a blast and we hope we've conveyed the same. So guys go check out Southern Fried Game Room Expo. You will not regret it. And I promise promise i promise i swear i'll work harder on getting your all's names correct <laughs> well I, I had my own little bouts with that as well so it's just fishing through the notes and i'm everything. terrible with names yeah. it's, it's all good man so yeah brent why don't we go so ahead? yeah we've got some uh we're gonna we'll transition now into our technical and restoration segment we've yep. got some some team molding talk i've got some new exciting things out there that i want to bring up to the to the listeners we've got we've got lots of new parts to talk about you've got some pinball stuff to cover so yeah we got it all Okay, Whitney, let's kind of get back to a little bit of what I feel is our roots and talk about yes. some technical the, and restoration the topics. fun stuff, man. The fun oh, it's stuff. all fun, but this yeah. is really fun. This is really fun. Okay, Brent, so we've alluded to the whole topic of team molding throughout the episode, and it's it's really actually kind of odd after 30-some-odd episodes, you have a you know you have a show that's just completely overrun by team molding, but I guess that's how this hey, one is going to go. We this is the show that did like 47 hours on ratchet straps. Yeah, yeah yes. We can do team molding. We've got, it, we've got it in our DNA, don't we? Yeah, we can do it. So here's the thing. Uh, going through the of course going through the prior segment of the show we talked a little bit about just you know me getting into two or three games at once and maybe that's part of the problem i don't know but brent it's i very, fight that i, I fight it I, if I, I have more than two that are kind of quote-unquote open uh-huh then it then it's just a losing proposition it, it, it is it really is but you know like i say while well, i had the orange team molding out i'm looking through the game room and it's like okay since i've got these rolls out what can i do with it how can i how can i get a couple things done while i've got a lull on on another game so i think the intentions were good but you know what they say the road to, to hell is paved with that so we'll just use it for you know this the segment as well so anyway we'll, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about uh team molding removal and replacement and brent this is something that in my mind is a topic that should be fairly simple yet there tends to be a lot that, that kind of gets into it <laughs> there's okay? nothing simple there's nothing simple so here's the thing uh working on the rally x working on the gap plus working on the zookeeper you know when you talk about team molding removal yeah it's fairly cut and dried you start with a, a long you know thin flathead screwdriver and then brent i found uh, a set of electrical line linesman's pliers to be probably one of the best things to use and real quick you've mentioned that twice yeah. in the episode i have 
what linesman's pliers are mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a heavy plier mm-hmm. and the the tips the nose is very is square yeah you kind know of blunt it's kind of blunt yeah and it's got a big surface area at the it's they're always really beefy yes um they've got a big surface area for like for grabbing clamping whatever at the end and mm-hmm. then right in the kind of right there at the what do you want to call it the the pivot where the two pliers like separate yeah uh, there's also uh, like a like jaws for cut for a cut off like to cut yeah. wire. Yeah, exactly. So, so and that's a terrible side, way to describe side cutters. Them. I guess you could yeah, look at them. They're they're like a real heavy uh, plier, and yeah. the linesman is like electrical linesman. Yeah, so. They are. And, and they're, they're readily available. They are you readily can get, available. You can get them at Lowe's. I mean, I use some Harbor Freight. Harbor Freight, whatever you know, Home Depot, whatever. I use. I'm, I'm actually I am looking right now for the Harbor Freight link, and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, there, there you go. I'm using some Cobalt. Uh, I had to look this up. It's model fifty five seven thirty two. You can use that as a reference if you want to. But what's great about them is they at the very end of the plier, at the jaw of the plier, where they where the, the two jaws come together they're serrated and they grip really really well so what i like about using them is is as soon as you can get a little bit of the t-molding up out of the out of the channel then you can either grab the barb or grab the top of the t-molding with these linesman's pliers and they just don't let go and you don't really have to squeeze your hand all that hard because they do a really good job of like multiplying your effort and you can pretty much at that point you know grab the the t-molding and just almost just kind of like peel a banana you know using those linesman's pliers uh, for that. Now, the problem is, is that when that doesn't work, okay, and that's probably more than, I guess, from my perspective, that was two out of three times, you know, over the past month, okay, over the over this the time between last episode and this episode. So on the Rally X and on the Gap Plus, it just was not a simple affair of just peeling the banana and just, you know, getting the T-molding out. So... See, this is very interesting to me because we've talked about patina on our games before, oh, yeah. and I like a little patina. I do too. And I come to like that. I will tell you, if I have, uh, you would think this would have been one of the first things I would have done collecting, especially since I've been doing it for well on ten years. Uh-huh. I've never replaced T molding. You say and what? I have never replaced. <laughs> Wow! Are you, don't rage quit on me. <laughs> no, no, no! I'm just... You are not a collector. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> sir, are a miscreant. <laughs> no, it just kind of surprises me because never. It, wow! Because for me, see that's... the see the sparkly team molding on the Galaxian. Yeah, not me. It, okay, gotcha. Not okay. me. Understood. I have, now I've had to reattach some i've had to get into some creative ways to uh, make it stay which yeah. i think you're going to get into yeah never done it so. okay well see for me that's one of the things that i almost always want to do because it's for me it's low-hanging fruit to help a game look its best you know it, yeah just interesting on, on the schools of thoughts there but what i ran into brent uh and ran into this primarily on on the zookeeper and when we talk about the uh, talk about the replacement that's really kind of where this is targeted is on the zookeeper um you know, prior I had covered what I had to do to get the T molding out after it was fracturing. Okay, so I'm not going to revisit that. But what I found myself having to do for the zookeeper was coming up with a way of getting the T molding to stay when the slot's too big. Okay, now. I went back to cloth, okay, and started researching this because I'll, I'll be very upfront about this, very transparent about this. Um, in all the games that I've worked on, the games that I've got, things like that, 
you know, I've, I guess I've just been really fortunate. I've been able to remove the T-molding without much of a problem and get new T-molding back in, just kind of beat it in with a rubber mallet, you know, and a towel or whatever, and it goes back in just as perfect as it came out, you know, and it was almost kind of like, you know, just like one and done, you know, and a very, very, very uh, quick and very nice job when it was all said and done. The Zookeeper, though, um, the, the channel's a little wallowed out, I guess is a good way to say that. Now, that's not a that's a plywood cabinet, right? It's not particle board. Or am I wrong? Is it particle board? It is particle board. Oh, yes. okay. Yes, it is particle board. Okay. And, yep. and hence more of the issue, okay? Yep. Because when it's a plywood cabinet, it tends not to splinter it very very bad. I mean, it will splinter if you're not careful, okay? Like on my Rally X, it splinters because it, because the sides on it are plywood, okay? Um on on the Gap Plus, uh, the sides on it are, are particle board. On the Zookeeper, the sides on it are, are particle board as well. So, and if you're going to have an Atari cabinet, like a classic Atari, yeah, uh, pole position, battle zone, asteroids, mm-hmm. centipede, centipede, yeah, um, they're going to be particle particle board. board. Yep. They're going to be particle board. So it's very easy for the particle board to lose its holding power and the channel to become uh, just, for oh. lack of a better term, just widened. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just it will not hold the barb properly. Properly, so with that, Brent, I had to go back and do a little bit of research on options for securing the T molding. Okay, yes, you could staple it. Okay, behind the cabinet. All right, and then hope that you've got enough holding power from the staples out of sight to where the T molding won't rise up out of the channel. But chances are, the longer the run is, the more it's going to hop out of the channel, and you're not going to get, uh, you know, you're not going to get the results that you're after. And now, Brent, you could also do, um, which I would never do this, but when I picked up my Tron it had it was done this way for whatever reason they actually used a brad nailer in about every four inches they shot a brad nail into the t-molding and they did that on the top on the front and on the bottom and everything and it's black t-molding with a black with you know with, with a not not a galvanized or not a stainless brad mm-hmm. nail so it you you almost it's almost like a 10 penny nail you almost have to get up and look at it in order to even know that a nail is there but once you see it it looks like crap you know, and it's like, okay, so th- that's not an option. And that's still a problem I have yet to fix on, on my Tron, which is otherwise in very good shape. But for the Zookeeper, what I had to do is say, okay, well, I've got to find a way to get this T-molding to fit. And yes, Brent, the first thing that always comes to play is, oh, sure, you could just fill it in with Bondo and then recut the slot, okay? And If you're redoing the entire cabinet, that's probably the way to that's go. That's probably the way to go, okay? And, and you know something? I would never take away from anybody going the Bondo route because if you've got, if you've got the space and if you've got, let's say, I guess the time or the wherewithal to go that route, that's, that's a very good route to go, okay? So you're, and you're going to recut that route how? I mean, that, with, with that, either that a dr- slot how? With either a Dremel or a router. I would choose a router, okay? Simply because as long as you have the fence for the router set up properly, the guide for the router, it's going to be 100% straight 100% of the time. The problem is, though, with, with the router is, number one, you, you know, you're going to make a mess. And um, depending upon where the cabinet is, that may not be an option, and so you just got to have the tools and you know in the bit, the slot cutting bit, and everything like that. This is, and this that. is this is something you want to do outside. If oh, anyone that's ever you want to do this outside. Anyone that's ever mixed bondo, mm-hmm. it's 
It's got a pretty stout smell. It does. You don't do this in your house, you no. know, or you shouldn't do it in your house because you're going to have to sand the Bondo, yep. and then you're going to have to run the router, which is going to create all kinds of dust. And I imagine when that dust gets in the air, it's a little different than than a natural like wood fiber. <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't you don't want that circulating through the not. The, the, you know, the air conditioner of your house. I mean, that's just not good, <laughs> you know? So working on it inside, that's not really, that's not, not really an option. Could I haul the game outside? Sure, I could. Could I do the, the bondo work and everything? Sure, I could. My hesitation for that, though, uh, for everybody listening for Brent here, is that the artwork on this game is so good and the condition of the cabinet otherwise is so good that I don't want to take bondo to this cabinet because I don't want to run the risk of slipping Slipping with the router or slipping with the Dremel tool and actually having to bondo again and again uh, against artwork that is otherwise, Brent, I'd say almost perfect on the cabinet. Okay, the game's all original as it is, and I just I don't want to get into that on this particular game. Now, on another game where maybe it's the value of the game isn't isn't so much you know so much I it's not so high, mm-hmm. or the ca- the the condition of the cabinet is otherwise not as good to where you would be bondoing other places. I can totally see that and, and would consider doing that. For this, this would be Bondo in one space just for the T-molding slot, and that's just not something, a path I'm going to go down for this game. So, Bondo, good option, off the table. Okay, so then I have to look at other ways to go ahead and, and fill this slot. So, there would be wood filler. Okay, so you can get a wood filler and put it down into the slot. You'd have to have a very fine-tipped a- applicator for that. And then, of course, you know, put the T-molding in and then allow the T-molding to dry along with the wood filler and essentially sealing uh, sealing the slot. The only problem that I have with that, though, Brent, is to you can't me remove that it. you can't remove it. It's a permanent fix. Mm-hmm. So if you fix it good, it's permanent. If it's you ever good want, and fixed. And that's good and fixed, yes. <laughs> but if you ever want to revisit it, it's not an option because you have filled the slot. Mm-hmm. So you would have to tear the T-molding off the cabinet, not remove it. You'd have to tear it off the cabinet, and then you would have to essentially route the T-molding out and then go back and rebondo the entire thing, okay? So wood filler, although a viable option, is a little too permanent for my comfort level at this point, okay? So you could also do paper or tape over the barb to increase the 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 I guess the the bite area of the barb itself but to me that that's not really now, that permanent so that everybody either. knows as well the barb on the T molding which you, the the T molding that you see on the edge of the cabinet is for if you think of a T mm-hmm. that's the top of the T yeah the bar- Under, underneath that there's a there's a piece of plastic that drops down mm-hmm. uh, and it's perpendicular let me make sure it's, it's perpendicular, perpendicular, perpendicular to, to, to that surface that you see yep. and it's got little ridges on it like a barb on a fish hook mm-hmm. and they're they're not sharp like a fish no, hook no 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 but they're, it's they're just there for pressure holding right it's it's a friction fit in yeah, that slot it is, it is so, a friction fit so, so you're talking paper or tape to kind of add a little thickness to that to add a little thickness to the, to the barb side of the t-molding and that seems like it would work fairly well okay the the problem with that to me though is that um the t-molding may be a little um it may have some propensity to walk out of the slot uh especially if the paper doesn't hold or the tape doesn't hold or, or what have you um I, I can see that as, as a viable alternative. I did not try that for this, but it seems like that's a very acceptable alternative as well. You know, honestly, 
it, and we'll go. I'll make a comment. Okay. To that to that end, when you're done with it. Okay. Go gotcha. Ahead. So I'm saving what I did for last. Okay. Just just so you know. So in looking at this, there's some other adhesives. Drywall okay. screws. Drywall, <laughs> drywall screws. Right. <laughs> well, the Brad nails. You know, I mean, it's totally professional. It looks really good. You know, Bob Vila does it when he installs T molding. I don't <laughs> yeah, see the issue. Drywall screws. So, yeah. You just happy happy drywall. You know. So uh, I'm sorry. Happy happy T molding. So uh, some other adhesives. Uh, I saw some uh, caulking mentioned, like some clear silicone caulk mentioned on the forums uh some other people had mentioned uh what's called 3m strip caulk i have no i have no um experience with experience that. Or, that. Or, or familiarity with that but apparently it's it, it is a um it is like a variant of like some super some super weather strip so to speak uh then all this stuff seems per, seems, it seems pseudo very perma, per, right. yeah pseudo to very yeah. permanent if you had to pull it out it's going to rip a lot of a lot of that particle board with it yeah have a worse problem yeah and i saw some people talk about gorilla glue as well and you know for me gorilla glue has a thousand and one uses and it's, that's not one <laughs> but this happens to be use a thousand and two that would never fit into a thousand and one because gorilla glue is it, it's tough stuff man you can work with it very easily while before it has set up, but once it has set up, it is there. hard and it is there mm-hmm. and it will not let go, not without a fight. Okay, and so when I think about Gorilla Glue, if I think about removing the T molding after the fact, you would have to again rip it off the cabinet. It would pull the T mold. It would pull the T molding out of the slot, and if it's plywood, it would pull splinters out with it, yep. or it would pull parts of the particle board out, and you would actually destroy the T molding slot trying to get the tea molding out okay so here's what i did brent and doing a little bit of research i went the hot glue route okay okay and so i had i had to kind of um mill about the house to find a hot glue gun that would work i had to find one with a little longer tip on it a little finer tip but um you get that and you get a very nice and long glue stick not a short one okay because i ran into this because the short glue sticks you'll actually run out of traction with the glue gun before you've got the t-molding all the way in and once you start this process you don't want to come back and redo it you know like run out of ammo for your gun Mm -hmm. and then have to come back and and visit it in two swipes you want to make sure that for whatever bead you're going to lay you've got enough glue stick there to get it so you've got to have some really nice long glue sticks to to do this did you glue the entire slot or did you just go like every six inches no i just do like every every four to six inches and And i would just put a little dab in it just put a little dab in it and then and then mash it down now the thing is people will say oh man i've got some of those wood glue glue sticks i'm like no don't use those because you're going to get into the same issue as you had if you'd use uh, gorilla glue yeah it seems like that that would be a permanent it'd be a permanent what you need the glue sticks that you need to use are the craft glue sticks the glue sticks that will create the the friction hold but will release if you pull okay and brent i went that route and was actually very successful now it's it's pretty tedious okay that because go ahead ahead. okay sorry the only only thing i was going to kind of wrap that up with it's tedious because the glue goes everywhere i mean dude i burnt my fingers i had strands (laughs) of glue going everywhere i had glue dripping over the side of the cabinet and and initially i was really worried about that but you know it cleans up so easy because all you have to do is hit it with your fingernail and actually the beads of glue just pop right off and i'm like this is awesome because it creates the friction hold but it has none of the none of the real downsides of, of the other of the other solutions you know a glue gun is something that really if you're going to work on games you need to have around you do i, yes. I have a couple that's in my shop and i use them 
all the time on monitors. Yes. So like if you ever looked on the back of <laughs> yeah, yep, or on chassis repairs. Yep. Yeah, just just as an electrical insulator if nothing else. If you ever look on the back of uh, uh, any tube right uh, where the yoke sets on the tube, you'll see the little White, the little white strips uh-huh, for the convergence rings. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, the in front of the convergence oh, rings. In front of them. Okay. So you'll see the strips that are right up against the tube itself, and what those are are those are fine correction strips that are put oh, in at the factory. You're talking about the little square rectangular strips. Exactly. The square rectangular. You're you're thinking about Te- the rectangular. Technically, a square is a rectangle. Strip. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make him rage yeah. quit this show. It, it, so You're talking about the convergence yeah, strips, yeah, exactly. not the rings. Yes. So uh, you'll see those all the time. Uh, and what, what they do, not to get too far away from it, but what they do is they'll help adjust the fine convergence at the edges of the tube. And they're just they're, uh, little itty-bitty magnets on the ends of those strips. And they go down and they affect the, the travel of the mm-hmm. beam. So those are held on with hot glue. The wedges that, that set the yoke off of the tube itself they're held in with hot glue i don't know how many games i've found where there's a wedge or two missing and they're in the bottom of the game and i put them right back in and hot glue them i find a lot of games where um the rings themselves right on the very back of the neck Uh they uh you can see the hot glue from the factory and it's all cracked you know once they set it yeah so i'll take and i'll run a bead of hot glue across them to keep so that someone doesn't bump them and dial them around and mess up the convergence yeah i hit i do that to every monitor that i work on i'll hot glue you know if you've got a monitor that's never been worked on the neck is hot glued on Uh you know there's a little and you'll go down there it's it's a hot glue it's a glue of some type i've seen some white i've seen some clear yeah but if if i've got a game where uh i'm either going to sell it i know it's not going to be in my collection uh so i don't know what the history is going to be after it leaves me uh if the tube has the neck facing down mm-hmm. so gravity's really pulling on a hot glue a hot glue it on so you should have a hot glue gun for your monitor and your team molding needs exactly exactly and preferably and they're two, cheap they're cheap and preferably get one if you're going to grab a couple of them get one with a longer nozzle a longer thinner nozzle that'll lay a very fine bead okay because that's what i had to drum up and fortunately my wife has got like three of them i've got a couple of them and so i go to the bucket of glue guns and you know, and then I was able to find one that, that fit the bill. So it worked out really well. I got a kit somewhere along the line with two nice high quality glue guns, a larger one and a smaller one. Yeah. And it was like 10 bucks. Yeah. You know, so yeah. they're, well, they're inexpensive. So, th- you know, so that's, I guess, kind of a, a PSA or on, you know, hashtag pro tip or however you want to call this on, on the whole T-molding debacle. I was able to work through it and I learned a good lesson along the way. Okay. So that, that's just one thing that I wanted to share. The other thing though, Brent. Well, let me, let me mention real okay, quick. Sure, what I was going to sure. say earlier was I, now that I know where you went, I'd probably go with the glue gun. I was thinking of going with a little bit of, I think you mentioned paper. Uh-huh. Like just something to add a little thickness to yeah, the just to just the, some mead the barb. Note, some mead notebook paper or something like that. I was thinking either that or um, maybe a little piece of like a six inch piece of like painter's tape. That would be good. Uh, just th- just to give it a little extra thickness. To yeah, yeah. So you take the painter's tape and then half it across the barb to where the rough sides out, and then that that may either way help, may actually you help know grip just a little some bit just too. something to give it a little extra thickness so that the 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 friction fit was a little yeah, tighter. But yeah. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see when I get in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, what I'll say is the hot glue gun worked out really well. So now, and I even though I have not done a game end to end, I have. Put team taking it off and put it back on or, or re-adhered it mm-hmm. when you you didn't mention this but when you get 
to the corners. So like you're coming yeah. across the top and uh-huh. you're, you're going to make what is ostensibly a 90 degree or close uh-huh. to a turn like to yeah. come down the face. Yep. Did you go ahead and cut a little chunk like have, out of the I have to cut like, the barb. A, like a little triangle out of the barb so that the T-molding will fold over on itself right. so that it will go across the curve. Now, I don't do that on every curve, but for the sharper curves, the sharper I do, you have I do to. that. You have to cut that barb. So if you're pulling yeah. off the old T-molding, you'll see it. Just you'll watch. Yeah. I've seen manufacturers cut like one chunk out i've seen them like feather it like cut three or four little slits in it so uh-huh. a little so a little bend in that area you yeah know, there's a million ways to do it well what it's funny because as i was taking the t-molding off the zookeeper what i noticed is at the top of the cabinet where the curve is up by the marquee for whatever reason what uh Taito had done was they actually shaved the barb off of that particular section when i pulled it up there was no barb there was at nothing all. there there was nothing there so it was just laying over there you know laying over the slot and it was being held down by the pressure of the two of the barb on either side i personally wouldn't do that but that's that's what i saw done yeah. yeah, I think I'd have to have something in there. Yeah, I would too. I would. I would too. So, Brent, in the um, in the effort of making sure that we continue to discuss the topics that we bring up and then walk away from, and I know sometimes that's just human nature. There's just, yeah, there's so much to talk. There's about. just so much to talk about. Uh, I did get some work done on, uh, on on some tube swap stuff, so I did have uh, some personal feedback on this. A listener of the show, Jeff Waldron, had contacted me and said, "Hey, man, I, you know, I love that you guys are talking about tube swaps." I really appreciate you guys kind of getting back to that topic and so I, I wanted to make sure that I did capture some of this work because I have done some of this uh, over the course of the past couple of weeks I've not gotten to the point where I've actually swapped the tube on the 4900 that's in the zookeeper I've just been doing some of the prep work for it so what I've done Brent and I'm, I'm going to start at the bottom of my notes and work back up okay just because I think the way that I've introduced this 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 works out pretty well so the tube that's inside that that's inside the zookeeper that's mated to the 4900 chassis it's it's an RCA tube it's a 19 VLTP22 okay now what I did Brent is in order to determine tube swap applicability for that you have to get a um, you have to get a digital multimeter and you have to measure the resistance across the horizontal and the vertical coils on on the uh, on the tube itself on the okay. yoke uh, yeah thank you on the yoke that's on the tube itself so there's a plug there okay and it usually has four wires red and blue and uh, most of the ones I see are green and yellow I guess they can be other colors as well but I think on all the ones that I've measured thus far they're all green and yellow okay so what you're doing is you're measuring the resistance across two uh, across uh, two pairs of wires that come off the yoke that is attached to the tube okay so i'll just use this one for example Uh, so across the horizontal uh coal wires the red and the blue wires i measured that out at 2.8 ohm and across the vertical coil the green and the yellow wires it measured out at 38.9 now and typically the red and the blue are horizontal Mm -hmm. and green and yellow are vertical vertical. that is correct typically that is correct if you've got a wrong combo uh, like if you grab the red and the yellow and you put them, you'll just read open infinite, it'll, it'll infinite read resistance. Infinite. That's exactly right. right. Now, I tried that and, and sure enough, that's that, that's what happens. So where so, you're going here is you've pulled. This is a yoke like for a tele. You, you've gotten a TV, uh, a TV. Yes, and then gotten a lot of TVs actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know some other people that do that too. <laughs> exactly. So the idea here is is that you're going to do a tube 
and yoke swap. That way you don't have to disturb the yoke, the rings. Exactly. Right. So, you can just go yoke, the whole nine yards drop in. See, and that, that's that's really what I'm getting at here, okay? Because you can do a couple, you can do this a couple different ways, okay? I mean, the tube itself has got to has got to match from you know from from pin you know from pin out and socket adapter and everything like that for your neck board okay coming off the monitor chassis now if you're going to swap the tube and if you're going to keep the yoke with it then the tube that you swap in the yoke readings on that particular tube have got to be very very close if not exact to the tube that you're taking out okay i mean it can vary just a little bit but it can't vary a whole lot and even then if it varies a little bit you may you may or may not find it applicable okay and and this this is kind of what you want you want to ideally be able to swap the whole assembly that's what you're after yeah because if you have to pull the rings off you and you have to pull the yoke off, you have to reconverge and everything. Everything. And so here's the thing. If you, if you get to a point where the tube that you're going to swap in does not the yoke readings on that particular tube the donor tube do not match the original the yoke readings off the original yoke that's all in the original tube then you have to do what you're talking about brent you have to swap the yokes before you can swap yeah that's the a tubes. whole other conversation and that's so, a whole other conversation and i just bring and not, it yeah not, not one i'm going to get into yeah i just here, bring it up okay? to mention what your alternative exactly. is exactly you are trying to swap the tube and, as in a, and the yoke and the ring a whole assembly the, the whole assembly gotcha. because if you get it out of, if you get the donor tube out of a tv and you're able to use the yoke and the rings that go along with the yoke and everything like that then it's already converged you don't have to worry the, the strips the convergence strips are there the rings are set properly they're all glued in it is literally a, a matter then of matching the yoke readings to make sure that it's going that it's going to be compatible matching the pinouts to make sure that your new neck I'm sorry your original neck board can plug in to the tube and then just making sure that you can mount it in the frame okay or devising a way to mount it in the cabinet if the frame's not going to be compatible and those are all things that you can do okay the big issue though is you just want to make sure that you've got that number to number match so that you can pull the entire tube and essentially lift drop replace in one fell swoop and then when you fire it up it's beautiful because you don't have to reconverge you don't have to do any of that kind of stuff with it okay so what I've been doing is I've been going through and I've been oming out all of my donor tubes, okay? And I've been compiling a, a list of that, okay? Now, the one thing that I have found, though, Brent, is in going through and doing that, um, you know, I'm compiling the, the the model number on the tube, okay? The TV that it came out of, the yoke readings, all right? The, the, pin, the, the pin out on the neck, everything like that, okay? So I've, I'm starting to develop kind of like this little database, I guess, of, of everything that I've got sitting on the shelf, the game that I've got, the tubes that I've already pulled out of TVs and things like that. So in in compiling all this information so that I can refer back to it fairly easily, I have also stumbled across a website on the internet called junknet.net. And on that site, it's ran by a gentleman named Jeff. And he's he's a clover, and I think his, he's Orion something on clove. I don't, I, I, I had to look I him up. I did not know yeah, that. Okay, that, we'll have to, that's, some, that's some useless uh, uh, podcast failure <laughs> info right there. But anyway. Sure. Trivial information, yeah. yeah. But nonetheless, uh, what Jeff has done is he has compiled a list much like what I was thinking that I needed to compile for myself. He's compiled this list, and it's on the junknet.net site. It's junknet.net slash donor TVs. We'll have a link in the show notes. 
The only consideration about that list is that it hasn't been updated in quite some time. Okay, it's fairly old, and I know even I know that simply because a lot of the TVs that I'm coming across are not in the list, and a lot of the TVs that I'm coming across, Brent, are old TVs. Okay, so maybe Jeff just hasn't ran across these yet, or maybe he has submissions waiting in the wings. I, I don't know, but regardless, the list that he's got though is a great place to start. I'm just going to have to figure out a way to add on to that. Um, and if you want to kind of walk through a pictorial, um, I guess, kind of process of swapping a tube, then he's also got a couple of links, or he's got a series is split up into two parts uh, called So You Want to Swap a Tube. And parts one and parts two, they're just pictorial walkthroughs. And he shows you a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the the, the hithers and throws of, of going through a tube swap. So it's a really good reference to, uh, really good reference to use. I bring this up simply because um, I'm, I'm thinking that based upon the time that I've got for what I'm looking at next on the Zookeeper, I'm hoping by next show that I'll have the tube swap done on that. So that, that's my goal anyway, and then I'll be able to talk about that a little bit more. But I uh, just wanted to bring that up. I mean, you know, finding out the values for swapping the tubes is really very easy, and it's no more than using a multimeter and just probing four pins. Now, one uh, of the things that I do is... Uh, um, I've I use Sincor model CR seven thousand. No, I have seventies. You have a seventy. Okay. I, I do the Beam Builder CR seventies. Okay. And uh, um, I know a lot of people do the B and Ks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the Sincors because they're programmable. Not like you have to sit down and type a program into it, but uh, they come if they're unmolested. They've got at least the CR seventies have a selection of adapters. And then you have a setup book. So I look up the tube number and then I set the pin locations with dials on the on the console of the CR70. So in effect, that programs the adapter. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have an adapter per tube type or tube pinout. I see. So like on the B and K, everyone, I think they want that the 23 is the adapter number. In the 31. In the 30. CR23 and CR31. Okay. So the 23 is like for a GO7. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that same form factor might be used on a bajillion other tubes, but a different pinout. Yeah. So in the B and K world, you'd have to have uh, the correct adapter that's uh-huh. internally wired for that pinout. That you do. In the Syncor world, it's one adapter. It plugs into the cable. It's in. It's in the lid of the of the rejuvenator and then you look up the tube in your setup guide and set the dials appropriately okay okay so a lot of times i'll carry a setup guide with me if i'm gonna go looking for tvs and a flashlight and i look at the tube number yeah and then at least i know if it's an arcade type tube and then down the road i'll worry about if i've got if it works with a geo7 or 4900 or whatever or if i want to just use it for a yoke swap as well exactly so and, and you know the thing that i've noticed in the tvs that i've picked up and i'm kind of curious if you've seen this or you know for people listening that are doing their own uh tube swaps and are picking up tvs as well do you get um both the dark tubes and the lighter tubes do you find do you find yourself finding a lot of applicability between between both of those types of tubes mine i've noticed that on the and what you're you're talking like the dark gray versus almost a black yeah looking at the looking at it from the face of the tube from the face of the tube it's it's almost like the the substrate inside the tube uh the, the light that it reflects back out 
some of the newer well I've even got a couple G07s that look this way they use a darker tube they 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 don't reflect as much light but then I like the Sanyos they reflect almost a green hue they mm-hmm. have a green color a very light hmm, I've got no one color like that. To that yeah so um, it, I, it's interesting because different tubes I run across have different hues to them naturally I've noticed that if the if it's an older television, uh-huh. say eighty six and back, uh-huh. eighty five and back, somewhere around there, they tend to be that gray, that lighter gray, grayish, the grayish green color. Okay, yeah, yeah, and those tend to work with your classic chassis mm-hmm. like geo sevens your well stuff yeah um other than the seven thousand the newer tvs the newer plastic cased black plastic case exactly. not the plastic case with the fake veneer on no, it no 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 just the black like the vacuum form black plastic exactly cases. yeah those tubes tend to be a, a darker color uh-huh. almost bordering on on black at sometimes yes and they tend to favor more of like a, a well seven thousand yeah exactly exactly that's what i find yeah so um they, they also tend it, it, it depends i mean some some may be applicable toward, towards a, a vector monitor. It just it just depends there as well. But nonetheless, you just have to be kind of cognizant of the TV that you're going after and the tube color as to whether or not it's going to fall into one category or fall into the other. So, so with that, you know that's a little bit of the work that I've been doing. Uh, you know, on the tube swap, I, it's not really I don't guess much of any progress per se, but it's just more of just I guess kind of a spot check, kind of a check in on it. And I just wanted to cover, you know, just how easy it is to to determine tube applicability and whether or not it's it would work in in your game per se. So, looks like next, Whitney, you want to talk about spending my money. Oh, man. Which just thrills me to death. Yeah, so let's talk. <laughs> so, this segment, or I guess this part of the segment of the show, is just all about, um, you know, new new products, you know, new things that's coming out for, her, for arcade restoration. And yes, Brent, we're going to coin this, let's spend Brent's money. Peachy. Yeah, peachy. <laughs> <laughs> Brent, one of the first things that has come up uh, is a interest thread on Clav about uh, another run of Major Havoc dedicated metal work. And this is something that I don't think is going to, oh my goodness, I, I don't think is going to really be anything that we're going to find run again. Um, it was last run in 2012 by Take Man, of course, you know, the arcade metal man, so to speak. And um, this includes the control panel, miscellaneous uh, metal pieces, the upper and lower marquee, the upper marquee bracket, the lower bracket, perforated grill above the control panel, and, and uh, the perforated speaker mounting brackets. And my goodness, man, I don't know how much this is going to cost. But if you have a dedicated Major Havoc that needs new metal, or you're thinking about building a Major Havoc... Um, or you're restoring one. Or you're restoring one. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. This may be your only chance to get hold of this stuff. Otherwise, you just have to take it all off and get it powder-coated. And that's even if you have all the metal to begin with. Okay? But this is going to be a turnkey replacement for uh, you know for, for the metal. So it's, uh, it's looking really good. Um, one thing I'll add is... The speaker panel, the speaker panel grills. Okay, um, they're not included in the kit, and they are those finned 
kind of, um, I guess, almost kind of like fish gill looking. They're really long. They run the side of the monitor. They run the length of the side of the monitor. And they're real cool. The speakers are at the top, but they did it for aesthetic reasons to run those panels, or, you know, down the length of the monitor and, um, or, you know, of, of the front at the top of the game where the monitor is. Those are not in this, but uh, forum member Vector Collector is working on potentially getting those done out of machined aluminum. So the price will be undetermined on that. I know they won't be cheap, but if you're interested in this, uh, definitely hop in the thread and uh, make your voice heard because, uh, like I say, if this is uh, actually runs, um, I doubt it'll be run again. The next thing that we've got on the list, Brent, is an interest thread for the J-Rock Taito multi-game, uh, the FPGA and its control panels. Do you, do you have any multi-games, uh, I mean, any of these FPGA multi-game boards in your collection? I, the closest I had was the old arcade shop multi-game, you know, the one that basically kind of ran MAME on the covers. And, yeah. But, you know, uh, no longer. Okay. No, I don't. Gotcha, gotcha. So the thing with that is um, this is being done, uh, of course, by, um, well, that Tato multi-game board is, is by J-Rock. But Vector Collector is looking to run this again as well. And he's looking at a basic control panel, no holes, or a multi-panel uh, that's got multiple sticks and buttonholes. It's in its early stages, but it is one to watch. So, you know, Brent, I don't know that this will actually go, but if you are, you know, a, a multi-game user and you like, you know, you've, you're running the J-Rock board uh, for that, this would be your chance to get a, a control panel that would match that. Um, the next thing, Brent, uh, before we get into some of the pinball stuff, I'll turn it over to you for, for some of the pinball stuff, is something that I, I thought you might be interested yeah, in. Yeah, I'm surprised that this has not been done as of yet. Exactly. And so this is the um, the RFI shields that go on the back of the Wells Gardner, the 6100, the V2000, and the Electrohome Geo5s. These are reproduction RFI shields, and these are being done by forum member Jet Usenet. Uh, they're $21.50 each, or $10 for $195. I know that sounds kind of kind of expensive for the lot, but at the same point, um, I don't know where else you're going to go get these. Yeah. So it, it's like it's you know you're paying. And for these the are two these are one of the things. These go over the high voltage cans uh, of those vector monitors. And a lot of people will have monitors that the vectors will just wiggle, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And th if they don't have the can cover on it, and a lot of the operators they pulled the can covers and pitched them feeling that it let the monitor run cooler and they'd have less failures with the vectors yeah but you know for, from a collector perspective you know we're not running it for 12 hours a day in a bowling alley we're going to run it a couple hours we would rather have a solid picture so yes. I, i've had mixed <laughs> results i've had some monitors like my tempest i don't have one on my tempest but I, I don't have any problems out of it yet i have had friends that have had problems with you know the interference from the high voltage can causing a, a wiggle in the, a, a in the vectors a wavy picture yeah. exactly and they needed one so like i've got one uh, I, I have several for the 6100 i've got one of them loaned out right now to somebody that was having a problem yeah. looking for this very part well here's the thing um if you go into the thread on the forum on clav the response on this has been pretty good okay i mean a lot of people have chimed in saying saying hey i am so glad that these are being remade so with that um 
it's my feeling that if, if you're interested in getting one of these, this is probably the time to do it because it's going to be hard to say, you know, how, how long these are going to be available going forward. Now, the big thing about this is, is that, um, and I know that I can't show this, uh, but it is worth looking at in the thread because there are several pictures of the original, um, the, the original, um, high voltage, uh, the, I'm sorry, the original RFI shields on the left and the reproduction RFI shields on the right. Now, what's cool about the reproduction RFI shields, though, is that the the dot pitch, okay, is not as fine, okay, or the holes that are perforated into the RFI shield, they're bigger, okay? And so, this is probably a function just finding the material. And it probably is, but I think the, the either unintended or intended side effect is probably a good thing because it looks like it's going to allow for more air to, to flow through the RFI shield, which naturally will, will help with cooling. Now, so, I'm looking at a picture. These look good. I'm looking at the picture. This should be for a 6100, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. That's what the picture is of, yes. And it it fold for fold or bend for bend. I mean, it looks great. It does. It does. And so, you know, if you're building a couple of new monitors and you're wondering, man, how am I going to find these? Well, this is your chance to get these. Okay. So yeah, maybe you want to pick up two or three and maybe this is even the type of part that you get not needing today, but you hedge your bet because you don't know if it's going to be there five years from now. That's, that's the bigger issue right there. You know, at one point in time, I was actually collecting material to make, these not not for sale but just for me okay and you know so they would have been hand bent and they wouldn't have been as nice as this yeah um a lot of your older games they had a huge cage of this perforated metal material that went over the whole board okay and as i found them i picked them up i've got a stack of them out in the garage um yeah, looks, see, I mean, I, there's no reason to spend the time at this point. I mean, if I can pick exactly. one up for 20 bucks, I'm going to do it. Exactly. Especially one that looks this nice. And, you know, I'm missing a couple and I don't have uh, any way that I know of right now to make some appear out of thin air. So it's like this is, <laughs> this is a perfect opportunity to pick it, you know, to pick up a couple missing parts. So, you know, from the arcade side, you know, not not a tremendous amount has been happening this month. But at the same point, we continue to see just these these heroes projects done that's reproducing metal and reproducing parts that uh, just have been missing for 30 years. So I know, Brent, you've got some stuff on the pinball side, well, so why don't we talk pinball I think you minutes. hit the nail on the head with the hero projects. Yes. And to me, that is uh, a part that is needed. There's there's a community of folks looking for it, but it's not going to be like reproducing the joystick for a Pac-Man where there's a blue million of them. That's exactly right. So yeah. it, I, I've got an example on the pinball side of just that very thing. Pinside user Free Play Forty. His name is Mark. Mark has been producing some ramps for um, some games that could use a little love. And uh, the the first time I heard of Mark, he was producing a clear ramp for high speed. So I believe that there's a, and it may not have been at the time Mark started doing this. There is now a black ramp reproduced for high speed. Mark was doing a clear ramp, and I've heard nothing but just just people rave about it, looks, it it looks fantastic because you know once you put the clear ramp on there that opens up the black of the the back of the play field yeah that black kind of obscures everything uh i always thought it was kind of odd on that series of williams games starting i think around with high speed and then kind of extending up through some of the system i guess 11 stuff where you start getting into um um oh gosh like f14 and, and things like that oh, where, f14 top uh, swords yeah. of fury those mm-hmm. ramps are all are, are the just they're just they're 
black. I mean, which is okay. It fits the theme of the game, but you're, you're, I guess I'm used to seeing all the clear ramps or especially with the newer sterns of today, yes, actually, where you can see the entire play field from almost any angle. Right. Yeah. So it just, it, it just darkens the area of the play field. It obscures a lot of the artwork. So anyway, whatever the history, history aside, Mark started producing clear ramps for high speed. And if I've got my chrono, uh, chrono, chronology, yes. there you go, that's an easy one to say. The next thing he did, speaking of games that don't get a lot of attention, is he did ramps for Genesis. Interesting. Gottlieb yes. Genesis. Now, yes, yes. I've got a Genesis. Um, I, there was actually a Genesis this year at SFGE. It belonged to uh, uh, Mr. Patrick Wall and friend of the show, Tim, uh-huh. kind of a co-owned game. We've talked about it on Game Room Junkies. Yep. And Tim went through the game, and he actually got a set of Mark's ramps uh, in clear for the Genesis. Whitney, I'm going to hand you something here. What you got? I have a ramp. Oh, nice. And it's blue, too. Yes. It's so very pretty. For the Genesis, uh, Mark is producing Sweet. blue, clear, and then he's also doing that original. <laughs> it sounds so new. <laughs> it sounds lovely. Whitney's loving on my bubble wrap. Yes, I am. So, yeah, that's the blue ramp. I decided nice. to go with the blue and maybe do a little black light underneath it. Now, now the factory ramps on a Genesis were kind of like this pink kind of a looking thing. Okay. And, you know, Mark's got that as well. And I think what he's doing with that is uh, uh, he is doing a ramp and clear, and then it's being uh, painted from the back to give you that original look if you want to go with that. So anyway, here, here's here's kind of the moral of the story. Mark is continuing to show some of these games that have not had love. He's showing them a little love, and he's looking to build his ramp inventory. So we're going to have links for... Uh, in the show notes for all the Pinside Forum posts where Mark has the various ramps I'm going to rattle through here real quick. And uh, Mark tells me that he's looking at actually, you know, setting up a site and then and trying to get a little bit more f- a formal of an order process going. So hopefully, okay. hopefully that'll go. So obviously I've already mentioned he's got high speed and clear. He's got the Gottlieb Genesis and the blue, the uh, original purplish pink and clear. Uh, and the clear, like I said, the clear is awesome. It was, uh, uh, Tim and Patrick had it on their games at SFGE. There's a picture on our Facebook page. Uh, Tim actually even put EL wire down the edge of the ramp, kind of a la Tron, hmm. and it looks really sweet. Hmm. Uh, Mark is doing Space Station in clear, and he's also doing it in, a, in blue acrylic. He just released Swords of Fury, okay. and he's doing uh, clear. He's doing black, which I guess mirrors, you know, trying to mirror the original, and th- that's actually underside painted. So he's not casting it as black. I believe it's probably clear, and he's painting black from the bottom. I see. And he's doing both. Only, only on the bottom, though? Only on the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. So the ball won't wear it. Yeah. And, and you know, for people that are thinking paint underside, Anyone that's, I don't know if anybody out there has ever done like model RC cars. I used to do them when I was younger. They they have a, and, and I have, I'm not a plastics person, but they have plastic bodies that give the shape of the car. Okay. And they're of a flexible plastic. I'm not sure exactly what they are. They're pretty thin, but you painted those from the bottom. And when you see them from the top, they're smooth as glass. They're beautiful. I mean, that's just kind of the way you do it. And the side effect is, is the paint is not exposed to anything in the environment, so it stays protected. You can run that car through trees, you can flip it, you can do whatever. You might scratch the plastic, physically damage it, but the paint is still beautiful. So 
I'm sure the the effect is something similar here. So, he Mark was telling me he just released Swords of Fury. So if you've got a Swords of, you know, I had a Swords of Fury long enough to trade it off, and now it's like everybody is all about Swords of Fury, and I'm like, I had a beautiful Swords of Fury. It, it gets discussed a lot. I know on it side. is. It is I, like yeah. all over the place. I've, I've never played it, so I can't really weigh in on it. But you see it discussed a lot. Ugh. Talk about a missed opportunity. Anyway, yeah. so he's doing Swords of Fury, clear, black, underside painted, and then he's. Uh, also doing them in uh, red and blue acrylic. It looks like toward the end of the summer, if you've got an F-14 Tomcat, he's going to be able to help you out. He's looking to do uh, clear ramps for F-14. And, and you talk, here's a semi-obscure, but available, you know, not, I don't know, how, popular, but not rare. Maybe that's another way of putting it, uh, a game. A heavy metal meltdown. Never played it. Never played it. Never played it. Do you like it? Have you played I've it? I've never played it. Okay. All right. But that's it's another game that he's going to add to his list. And he said it's looking like he may be able to 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 work something out with a heavy metal meltdown. He's got a few things in works with in the works with someone else that's already actually working on the molds. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean, check Mark out. Uh, he is free play forty at yahoo.com and of course like I said we'll go ahead and we'll have links for all of this uh, all the individual pin side threads in the show notes so one of the other things I wanted to touch on here in the uh, the restoration and and section of, of the show is some things that kind of came out of SFGE so Thursday Whitney and I come into SFGE on Thursday and uh, um, come in that evening had an opportunity to set um, not sit down, everyone was busy, but we, we met with everybody, kind of said hi, kind of, you know, assisted where we could. Since we were there Friday morning, it gave us a good opportunity to, to, to jump up and say, hey, do y'all need any hands? You know, the show doesn't start till later in the afternoon. What can we do for you? So one of the things that I was asked to do was look at a couple games that were on the show floor but had actually arrived dead. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was, and, and you've heard this a million times, times oh it's probably just a fuse yeah yeah oh no no it wasn't that it wasn't (laughs) that but you've heard this a a million times and it is so true check your power so the first thing the first game i took a look at uh was what's the word whitney what's the word of the show tato 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 it was a tato i see i'm trying to say tato it was a tato cabinet okay i think it was it was jungle king or jungle hunt it's basically the same it's the same game same cabinet the the typical green title cabinet and it was dead i went right after it with a multimeter check the voltages you know what's going on do i have board voltages no dead as a doornail so then i started walking it back and the ac side was dead now this thing was interesting because it had an interlock switch on the back door i could see the wiring it had a manual switch under the front like kick panel of the cabinet it had um a uh, service port in the base of the cabinet like for where you could plug in a soldering iron or a drop light i mean this thing was fully outfitted whoever designed the layout of this cabinet designed it to be to you know it was safe and serviceable serviceable. yeah serviceable but i had never worked on one of these games before so this you know if you're going to get a game ideally try to track down the schematics 
even if you're not going to work on the game, if that's not kind of your thing, it's a good idea to have the documentation, the schematics. I didn't happen to have those handy. I was kind of working on this cold, and it made it a little bit difficult. So in their infinite wisdom, all the AC side wiring, like where the, the line cord came in and then where it bounced around to the interlock switch on the back door and the, the, the manual power switch in the front, it was all the same color wiring. So it was very difficult to track it through the loom because as they were all bundled together and as they forked off different directions you were it was just it was just a nightmare trying to track mm, i see now if i'd had a schematic yeah they'd been the same color but at least i could have had an idea of what the series of things were so the you know, let me touch on it real quick if you if anyone out there doesn't know what an interlock switch is if you open the back door of a lot of games, I know Pac-Man has this, all your Ataris have it, Century has it. I can't think of anything that really doesn't have it factory. You'll see a little plunger, and then there'll be wiring that comes into the body, the back side of that plunger. That's an interlock switch. And the idea is that when you open the back door, the switch pops out and it cuts the power. Mm-hmm. And it's a safety thing. So the silly thing is it's easily defeatable okay because if you're going to get in the back of the game this if you're going to get into the back of the game chances are you're going to want to turn it on so you can try to diagnose what's wrong with it you not you're not going to do much good with the game off unless you know you're going to get in there and change a given part and then you're going to turn it off anyway so if you want to work on a game and you pop the back door if you look at that little interlock switch you'll see a lot of them will have like a little depression at the very end of the switch. Um, almost as if you could grab it with your hands and you can, your fingers. That that type of switch will pull out and it will lock on. You know, you'll see a lot of games where people have just taped the switch up and then the tape comes off and we'll just reach down and pull the switch out and it locks on and the game comes on. Yeah, I think a lot of people that... That's just one of those things that you don't really think about. You, you almost have to see it in order to know that it'll do that. Yeah. But once you know it does it, it's like, oh, man, that's one of the simplest things in the world. I've seen a lot of pack cabinets, that yeah. Midway-style cabinet with a thin back door, and over time they'll flex out, and they won't hold enough pressure on the switch to, to close it so the game won't come on. So what they'll do is they'll undo the bracket, and they'll turn it 90 degrees, and they'll tighten the bracket back down, and then they'll tape it up. And then in a week, the tape comes off. <laughs> and then I'll just open the cabinet and I'll just pull the switch out and the game comes on. Yeah. You know, so yeah. so anyway, here's here's where I'm going with all this. Try to have your schematics. Check your power if you've got a dead game. And make sure you kind of understand how the power side of the game works before you get too deep into it. Because in my troubleshooting, I had found the point that I had AC power up to... But not, you know, obviously it didn't go where it, it didn't finish the rest of the path. Okay, there was a place in the bottom of this game where it was basically the ins and outs, like a um, a little console, if you will, that was in the power section of the game where all the branches came out to go to all the switches that were that were in line to turn the thing on. And like I said, all the wires come off in one bundle and then split off in a million directions. It was difficult to follow, especially on a noisy floor when people are loading in at an expo. So I knew up to a certain point I had power, but beyond that I didn't. And I was getting to the point where I talked to the owner of the game and I was going to jump her from A to B. My assumption was at that point I had a broken wire in one of these bajillion, literal bajillion connectors. 
and the owner was good with that. We were going to get the game running. So at the last second, I happened to have my head up inside the game, and I had an assistant helping me, and I was testing the, the, the switch at the front to make sure that I understood what those wires were because I was formulating in my mind where I was going to get this power to make the jump over this dead section. And I happened just to look up, and this particular game also had an interlock switch on the coin door. And in transit, the coin door probably fell open, slammed closed, and it was hard enough that it bent the tab on the switch, and the coin door wouldn't close the switch. So the whole time, I I spent about 10, 15 minutes tracking this thing down back and forth, and as it turned out, from my vantage point, I couldn't see the switch, and I didn't realize that this particular game had them. Not all games do on the coin door, and it was as simple as opening the coin door, bending the tab about you know half an inch and closing the door and the game came on we were playing jungle Camp. there you go so um the moral of the story is check your power understand what it's doing where it's going where it needs to be and track down the schematics on games that you don't have so the other thing that came out oh um i did have one other power issue and this one was easy to find it was a straight up dead switching power supply this is a perfect textbook example of check your voltages and all i had to do was i checked the ac at the switcher i had power there i checked the dc dead as a doornail switcher's bad yeah too bad so sad yeah so you know if you got a game that you're taking you know if you can take an extra power supply i mean it's yeah you probably want to have a few of those sitting on a shelf somewhere yeah i mean i know i've got spares yeah so the other thing that we ran into a lot and, and this isn't just an SFGE thing. This is a Pinball Expo thing. This is a Louisville Arcade Expo thing. This is a Insert Your Expo Here thing. It's how to put these games on free play. Not all videos or pinballs have a free play option. On the videos, if they do, they tend to stick and on, on a given screen and you lose your uh, tracked mode. You, the screen doesn't change. You mean once you've switched it to free play? Once you've switched to yeah. free play, exactly. Yeah, dip switches or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The Kung Fu Master that I had that, that we've talked about in, in prior recent episodes, it's a perfect example. It has a pretty cool attract mode showing the gameplay, but as soon as you put it on free play, it sticks at a screen that says press player one or player two, and that's all that it does. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not very attractive. Yes. So what's the answer? How do you, how do you deal with this? And especially at, a, at an expo where you're taking a game and you want it to be on free play or you want to be able to put credits on it and not have to attend to it. You know, you don't, it's one thing if the game you can put 99 credits or 100 credits on it and walk away. Some games you can't, like uh, your MCR2 games, like a Tron or Domino Man or Price Spy Hunter, they'll only take nine credits. You can hit that thing all day long, it'll only take like nine credits. So you can't just do that and walk away from it. You might as well just stay in front of it. You got to get, you got to get fancy with buttons. So what I like to do is I'll take a modern micro switch button. And at SFGE, one of the things I was doing was helping folks put free play buttons on their games. They were coming into the show and they were trying to solve this problem. So I'll take a modern micro switch button and I'll attach a couple leads to the, the micro switch, you know, solder or crimp connect, however I want to get them there. I'll thread those leads, those wires, down through the slit for the coin, the coin chute. And in some cases, I've even gone through the coin return to get them inside the coin door 
And once I get them in there, the other ends I'll attach to the wires that are on the coin switch that's at the bottom of the coin mech. So just wire for, you know, just, just tap them, you know, whether you take alligator clamps, you know, if it's going to be a permanent thing, you can solder it. I've taken some test leads that are alligator clamps on either side, clamped it onto to the leads off my button and clamped it onto the switch on the door. Just figure out a way based on the game to get it there. I, some games that switch on the door, there's the wires from the factory harness are soldered. Some of them, they're just, they're on there with quick disconnects. I've slid the disconnect off and then kind of wedged the wire in there and slid the disconnect on for, for temporary uh, purposes. The, the real thing you just want to watch out for is you don't want to have any of these flying leads exposed so that as people are playing the game, it'll shake around and it might short to something metal in the cabinet because that could be bad. And the other thing to look out for is I'll take that lead, those wires, once I get them through the door, whether I come through the chute or I come through the coin return or however I get them there, and I'll zip time so they're solid. I saw several games where over the course of the weekend, people would pick the button up, push the button, and drop the button. Well, you do that 100 or 200 times, and eventually the wire will wear, it'll break, it, the button will fall off. So... Make sure you zip tie it solid, wrap tape around any exposed connections like the switch itself where the where the blades are exposed. And, uh, um, you know, if you put a few minutes into it, it'll be really, really uh, successful through the week and you won't have any problems out of it. One thing I will mention is that some games when you do this, um, they they have a fail safe in them for someone that might be trying to cheat a credit like a quarter on a string or something so if the switch is held closed the coin switch longer than just whatever the timeout is the game will reset and i know whitney you ran into the super pack is like this right super pack is like this yeah and it's it's a i guess an anti-theft or anti-piracy mechanism that they've coded into the game so if you here's the interesting thing about super pack if you if you press it in and hold it, it will do that. Or if you do it too quickly, it will do so that like as well. So like if you were actually putting quarter after quarter in it, it would it would probably reset the I, game. I, th- I think it would. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of lag time or inherent time, you know, that the quarter takes once it actuates for it to fall the rest of the way mm-hmm. through. What I've noticed is if I take my finger and then hit the micro switch and just kind of go up, down, up, down, up, down with it like that, and you go too quickly, kind of like machine gun style, mm-hmm. lock up. Well, that probably is if you've got a quarter on a string and mm-hmm. once you find the sweet spot, if you're yeah, bouncing it, trying to put exactly, credits on it, exactly. it'll reset it'll itself. It'll reset itself. Well, yeah, it just locks up is what it does. Oh, it locks up. It locks up, and then you have to power cycle the game to bring it back. Okay. Yeah. So now, I've not run into that with any of my games. I've been pretty successful just with a nice micro switch button. Mm-hmm. Like I said, all the points of contact <laughs> all taped up so that I don't I don't have to worry about any shorts. And the big thing is zip tie wire. Zip tie those wires off to something inside the coin door so that it's like a little strain relief. Yeah. Okay? If, if you're going to an expo, you know, figure out beforehand if you've got free play a lot of your modern pinballs it's in the setup a lot of your solid states they they don't have a free play so either if you've got a later mpu they'll implement a free play or you'll have to go to a method like this so a couple other things too i noticed that uh not friend of our show but friend of the game room junkie show tim i mentioned the genesis he had a button on the front of his on the front of the genesis and it was the diameter of a quarter 
It had the artwork, had artwork on it to look like the head of a quarter. And it had two little wires, little leads running off of it. And it was just stuck right on the front of the coin door, kind of flush. And it was the soft touch button, kind of like a modern like laptop keyboard or kind of like a, a button on a remote control. And it's from a company, I come to find out, they actually sponsor Game Room Junkies called Easy Coin Up. And oh, okay. I, yeah, there'll be a link to the, in the show notes to Easy Coin Up easycoinup.com so they make this cool little button looks like a quarter the diameter of a quarter sticks right in the front of the coin door a couple little leads you know you get it's thin enough tim had it just up over the edge of the coin door and then i assume he tied into some tied into those leads with some with some wire to get down to his his switch but it it really kind of solves the problem and it's not honestly it's not a big ugly micro switch button hanging off the front of the the front of the game so if you're if you're doing this for your game room it's a much more attractive solution i I see so i'm looking at the website right now so it looks like it's a it's got a peel back liner so it's like peel and stick Mm -hmm. and and so it doesn't require you to you know drill drill a hole hole or anything like that okay yeah nice yeah and the the wires that come off of it they're they're flat kind of like a ribbon cable Mm-hmm. type of a deal and then they just get out there however long they run out and then they're just a bare wire that you can tap into and extend and you know connect into your your micro switch on your coin door so and there's a few other ways to do it i've seen people wire uh, a button that's wired to the coin switch uh behind the coin reject button so you re- you push their coin reject button in and then that pushes another button which triggers a credit and that's a pretty cool idea if you do that the only thing i would suggest is you make sure you have your coin mech in because even though you're not using it the coin reject button really kind of partially relies on the spring that's in the reject part of a coin mech to make that button pop back out there's a little spring behind the coin reject button but you know unless your coin door is absolutely perfect it's usually not stiff enough to actually make the button come out reliably and then the last thing I wanted to mention is we'll have a link to this too over on Bob Roberts site he has got a method for free play that works on a lot of games where basically you jump the coin door to the player 2 button of your game so what you do is you walk up to the game you hit the player 2 button and it drops a credit then you could hit player 1 and play a credit play a single player game or you hit the player 2 button a second time it'll drop a second credit and start a two player game so you kind of repurpose the existing button with no holes being drilled and sort of a de facto free play. And like I said, we'll, we'll include a link to the show notes in our show notes to Bob's page where he goes through how to how to create that. Yeah, so. no, that's that's all good. That's all good. So, so yeah, so that that's I guess if you look at it, that's one issue, you know, or a couple issues that you saw at SFGE that actually you know, kind of pushed you down the road to do some research and find some cool stuff that, that turned up. Me, personally, I had no idea that Easy Coin Up even existed. Neither did I. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, this I'm assuming is, that's a new product. Yeah, I guess. I mean, man, I, but it's something I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take some more look at. So I'm going to take a further look at. So, yeah, it's cool that, you know, out of adversity comes something. <laughs> now, I will say this. Um it was interesting at an expo to see it because I went walked up to the Genesis, I went to play it, and I was looking for, okay, well, I hit the start button, it didn't start. Okay, so it doesn't have free play. And then I hit the coin reject to see if it was wired that way. And I looked to see if there was a, a, a hole or a, a button in the coin door. No, nope, nothing there. And then I saw the, the, the little quarter, and I thought, ah, quarter, ah, credit 
pushed yeah. it. There done. I go. Yeah. It's done. It's right there. It it's a really, in my opinion, they're not a sponsor of ours. I know they, like I said, they sponsor Game Room Junkies. I've only seen the one, but to me. It was a very elegant solution. If it works, very, it works. And it was very non-intrusive. Yeah, yeah. Very reversible. And like I say, if you're not drilling holes, you're doing good. So, all right, Brent. Well, how about this? Uh, why don't we go ahead and take a, take a little break. And like I say, through the magic of editing again, we'll get back into our next segment. And this is something that I think everybody's going to enjoy, you know, especially if you're into pinball. We're going to look at... Uh, some of the, I guess, just some of the tribulations, trials and tribulations. That's a good way of saying it. I don't want to say drama because I, I don't think we're going dun, to dun, really, dun. Yeah, I don't think we're really going to inject much of anything, you know, from a drama perspective into this, but we're going to talk about the pinball pre-order and just kind of, we'll cover some of the stuff that's been covered already in some of the other shows. But then we also have some audio from uh, our interview with Kevin Kulik that we want to revisit. So why don't we do that? All right, Whitney. All right, Whitney, so we are going to embark on what is a different segment for the Broken Token podcast. And um, admittedly, it may start to wade into the pool of controversy, which is very much unlike us, <laughs> very much unlike us. And and that's not what we're looking to do. Yeah. Um, we, we wanted to touch on some of the things that are going on in the pinball world some of it kind of strikes home for us and it's kind of so it's kind of important that i think that we we just talk about a little bit and at least address it and to me i'm looking at this and here here's actually what i've got in in my in the show notes uh for the section title the segment title pinball pre-orders drain straight down the middle and i think that's a fair way to summarize this so you know the first glimpse it, it let let me let me put this out here. We're not going to rehash this, that, and everything with all the kind of the the things that have happened as of late. If if you're looking for the details on what happened with whoever, I'm going to go the Don and Jeff method route over on at the Pinball Podcast, and they they themselves say go check out Nate's show, oh, check yeah. out Coast to Coast because yeah. Nate just just the way he. He, his show works uh-huh. the way he's able to release uh, the attention that he's that he pays to to the the pinball side of the universe and, and he is on it yeah. to the to the nth degree and you know I'm sure Nate does an unbelievable job of co- I know Nate does an unbelievable job of of covering the finer details with a with a very unbiased eye you know it's this happened this happened this is what happened and then if he's got something to add he'll he'll say okay now this is my opinion on yeah. it so yeah if you're looking for the ins and out details of some of this definitely te- check out Nate's show so yeah. we'll ha- we actually uh, we'll have links in our show notes to one particular show of Nate's uh, as it relates to one of these topics. But anyway, so the first glimpse of this in my memory uh, of starting to be a problem, this pre-order model was the distributor down in Australia that started taking some pre-order cash for Wizard of Oz uh, by Jersey Jack. And, you know, 
the ins and outs of that was is eventually the distributor went away for whatever reason. I'm not even sure why, honestly. And there were a lot of people left holding the bag, the bag being an empty wallet. Mm-hmm. So the distributor went away. So did their prepayments not to Jersey Jack, but to this particular distributor. The dam- that essentially just disappeared into the ether. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So... The, the next major thing, and these, these next two are pretty much back-to-back. Yeah. Skit B came forward and said, hey, you know, we don't, we don't actually have a license for Predator. Yes. So I, I know that actually there was people there that, that had money tied up. I know Rod over at the Pinheads Pinball Podcast. He, Pinheads with a Z. Oh, yes, with, yes. A, with a Z, <laughs> yeah, not with a Z. Z. Don't, no. There's not no, no. a Z on my it, keyboard. It's a, it's a Z. I've got a U.S. keyboard with a Z on it, so I'm not sure how to find <laughs> that. But uh, I know Rod had some money in it. If you actually want to check out episode 13 of, the, of Pinheads, Rod discusses it a little bit, and we'll have a link to that in, in our show notes as well. Yeah. And shortly thereafter, John Papaduke came forward and more or less, I'll sum it up by saying Zedware was out of cash. Mm-hmm. So and really tried to stick it to some of their some of their pre order buyers as well, just with the transition to the holding company. I guess that yeah, I, I, that's another one that I just have not had the opportunity to stay yeah. quote unquote up on. Well, what but. They- uh, the last I heard, the the run out for a potential game was several years, and then the price tag had gone up several thousand. Yeah, and even um, well, before I say what I was going to say, I'll say that uh, again. Rod on on the Pinheads Pinball Podcast, he covered this uh, very well as well with episode thirteen, where he talked about he just kind of summarized this whole scenario where even the 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 Zidware dollars for U.S. dollars was at a two for one rate if you wanted to keep your order, and so essentially it was just going to cost more money. You know, the price of the game went up, and your prepayment was worth half. So it was just a, a debacle, and. Again, Again, won't go into because it has been covered before, but all this leads into what you're getting ready to cover now. Yeah. Oh, and let me actually interject kind of like my personal take on this, and then maybe we'll get yours, Whitney, if, if it doesn't echo mine. I'm not a pre-order type person. I want to see, even if it was from Stern, and I know Stern doesn't do the pre-order model. When Stern announces, you know, you're probably a week or two from having it at your door. Mm-hmm. You could have it, you could have the Stern game fashion, you could if uh, have a car if you went up to your local Ford dealership and ordered the Ford yeah. uh, that you wanted, despite the fact they had 50 on the lot and you feel firmly, uh, you, you feel sure that Ford will be there within the next month to build your car. Stern, you know, Stern, ha- Stern has the model where if they announce it, pretty much they're going to get it and you're going to get it quick. Even yeah. quicker than you would the car. Anyway, yeah. I, I beat that that horse to death. So anyway, yeah, I'm not a pre-order guy. I want to be able to get it within a reasonable amount of time. I don't want to put money down on a dream, for lack of a better term. So, which I mean, Whitney, my take on this is almost your take. Okay, with just a little bit of variant. I, I think that in order for pinball to grow. Okay, beyond just the the single or duopoly type of, of vendor scenario that we have right now with Stern and Jersey Jack, I think in order for pinball to grow and in, in the boutique 
uh, builders that uh, that we've seen pop up, okay, that did go the pre-order route, I think initially it was a good idea because you were helping to finance the, the people who wanted pinball and wanted those machines were contributing very well towards the growth of pinball. Unfortunately, uh, I would say that uh, anybody who's in the business would echo this. Uh, building pinball is hard. And that has been proven time and time again. It's just unfortunate that the pre-order model didn't work out. Would I pre-order? Would I pay down on a pre-order if I felt that strongly about the theme and I felt that comfortable with the company and it was a machine that I knew that I would derive a lot of enjoyment out of? I actually would. I, I, I would. And I know a lot of people who did the Predator route. You know, who've, who've gone down the path with John Papaduke, they really wanted those machines and they believed that they were going to get those machines. So I think there's good in that people are willing to help finance the growth of pinball. It's just unfortunate that the pre-order model just so far has not worked out. Well, there's a couple things here that, that come into play. There's the game. Mm-hmm. There's the designer, the name, you know, to a degree, the theme you know, uh, Predator's an example of a theme. John Papaduke's game is a uh, an example of the designer mm-hmm. selling the game. Yeah. Okay. Because it, no one knew Kevin Kulik before Duck Hunt and Predator, but everybody knew the Predator, so it sold on the theme. Right. I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you the title of John's game, even to this right now today sitting here having podcast failed to look the name (laughs) up put it in the show notes but that game those games those games yes sold on title right the the other piece here is the business side of it you know uh you've got to have that acumen you have to have a business acumen to be able to manage your money no matter what method you use to get it, whether it's investors, whether it's your own money, whether it's pre-order. And there's just too many variables there. You know, Charlie over at Spooky, he took the route of, I'm going to do this on, on my dime. Mm-hmm. And he and, did it right. And he did it right. Now, he also has a, a business background in that because he, he had a business prior doing the, I believe it was the printing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm sure that gave, Char- and I'm putting words in Charlie's mouth, I know. But regardless... Well, he he has succeeded where others yes not. he has yes he, he he had stepping back and boiling it down to these very very high level terms yeah you know that, that I just threw out he appears to have the business side he he's got the des, uh, the design you know he's got a successful design he had a good name in Ben Heck now Ben wasn't known as a pinball guy to a certain degree I mean he'd done some one off product projects like the uh bill paxton pinball and you know whatever else but uh all of that came together though and and charlie's name in the community as well and you know all the cylinders were firing and it it worked yeah because when you put charlie and ben heck and everybody you know everybody related to spooky together then they have produced something that's that's fantastic see but even at that because uh you know i've heard it on on charlie's show where uh, and I, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, Charlie, but I, I want to say he was a little surprised. It was at Midwest Gaming Classic when they just started selling like gangbusters. You know, they, they, they announced a cap on the game and the game had been out there. It started to get reviews. It broke it broke into the pin side top 10 or, mm-hmm. or whatever it was. 
everybody was talking about it. We talked about it. People were starting to play it. Then where he may have, where that title may have been lacking from a uh, a designer recognition or a theme recognition, the uh, the that exposure started to get the ball, yeah. no pun intended, yeah. really rolling. Yeah, no, it, it started to really and elevate it, the game. And it, and then you know the rest of it all kind of came together. Yeah. And you know I know Charlie has said it a few times. He was just he was just thrilled that it sold out and sold the number of units that it did. And and you know Charlie. Uh, don't I don't want you to think we're talking about your business. It's easy to armchair quarterback anything. Yeah. We don't. Whitney and I can barely put the pinballs in the games that we have that somebody <laughs> else designed and built. You know what you've done is light years ahead of of anything that we've done. Yeah. From that point of view, and there's no way in the world we're going to cover a a hundredth of it in a few minutes conversation. Yeah, but, exactly. So any, anyway, anyway, other than to say he's done it right. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. 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 So <clears throat> where, where I wanted to kind of focus was on the Predator. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to do that is Whitney and I had an opportunity to sit down with uh, Kevin Kulik uh, of Skit B. Mm-hmm. Uh, Early in the show. Or, yeah, it was actually we aired, we aired the interview on episode eight. And we moderated a panel. It was Whitney and I with Kevin at right. Louisville Arcade Expo 2014. Yeah, and little did we know the information that we were getting that time would be fed into or could potentially be fed into this this whole pre-order drama. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we're not looking to participate in the drama, but as some of the story has unfolded and some of the interviews have come out, some of the fallout uh some bells started ringing in the back of my head and I I started looking back at that episode. I mean, that episode has been out there well over a year at this Mm -hmm. point. You know, it was almost a year and a half. Well, episode eight. Yeah. So it's easily a year and a half. Um, You know, obviously our name isn't huge. It's not like it, well, it was on CNN, so it's got to be true, you know, and you can find it, but this was out there. And we just thought it was something that, you know, a couple little sound bites and the like from from the interview, we thought it would be worth kind of bringing back and, and just discussing a little bit and yeah. just kind of giving our take on things. And, you know, the, the whole conversation with Predator kind of swirls around the license mm-hmm. and did was the license there uh, at one point in time, all the Predator mentions fell off the website um and then it kind of just peddled itself along until eventually it was like, all right, I'm throwing my hands up in the air. I don't have a license. Yeah, yeah. This, this then, is what it is. And the thread on Pinside just blows up, and rightfully so. One of the things I'll mention, and we'll have a link to this in the show notes, I know that the Coast to Coast show is episode 142 where Nate dives into it, and I would encourage everyone to check Nate's show out for all the reasons I mentioned earlier and for a million more. I mean, it's an awesome show. He's well-connected, far better than I, far better than we are. You know, I mean, we're covering a multitude of topics every episode. He is laser-focused yeah. laser on pinball, and, uh, and his, his show reflects that. So one of the other kind of interesting things to read, if, you, if no one's checked it out, is over on Pinball News, there is an interview. It's called it's uh, Predator Pinball: The Inside Story, and we'll have a link to this as well in the show notes. Where it was kind of like a a a post announcement. We don't have the license. Interview with Kevin, and that, that kind of dovetails into a few things that we just wanted to re, kind of replay and comment on from our show, from our interview. So, 
One of the things, let me, uh, I'm, I want to read a little excerpt from the interview over on, on Pinball News, and then I w- we'll play a little something and we'll have a little conversation about it. So this, this is Kevin's words. We did contact Fox initially, and they had given us like, I don't really know how to say it. It's almost like how to do this under fair use, under a, how to do this fair use kind of thing. Excuse me. So yeah, his words were, it's almost like, how how to do this under fair use kind of thing uh we read it as permission to do what we were doing and it's like this really dark corner of this really small niche community and you know it's no big deal okay so you know my takeaway from that is is that Kevin really felt that he kind of had, you know, a, a fair use license. You know, it's a small thing. It's over in the corner. We don't care. Uh, it's not going to impact the brand. You know, Merry Christmas. Have at it. So with that, let me let me play a little something, uh, interject it right here into the show. And this is live. So Whitney, you and I, I can stop it or we can talk over or whatever. Now, it's, it's probably better just to play it just and to then, play then it. we circle back on it. Yeah. All right, so the audio on these are, are kind of poor. Because uh, it was an open room, you know, we we had a mic and we just had to feed out of the mixer, so it sounds a little different than the rest of the show. But you know, I, I think everybody will understand. So, yeah. so uh, from the show, we got so many emails and and like calls, just saying, you know, can I get one of these when it's done? And we kept saying no, you know, it's it's licensed. We can't just do that. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, after like the twentieth email or so, we we actually we actually grabbed the DVD case and Predator like was searching for. The number who do we call like, <laughs> <laughs> and so after a series of wrong numbers uh we eventually got a hold of somebody and uh through just talking this and out talking this thing out we eventually got a hold of this one girl who's just super excited about it and uh now you know, can you say who she was with was it a was it a production company or a film company or she she's she's uh she works for Fox. Okay. You know, oh, so so she was part of your inside track, I guess, to get that license as easily as you got it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Of. That's yeah. good. So from that, I kind of garnered that there was a little bit more, at least portrayed to the public, yeah. than just having kind of a, a handshake agreement. Or, you know, or they were building the understanding toward, of a fair use license. Yes. There was a more of a build toward at least the impression was given that there was more of a build toward having a real license for the game yeah yeah you know and it doesn't sound like that was ever truly the case here's another little you know excerpt i want to read from the from the pinball news interview so when it came so (laughs) you know i was never good at this in school either (laughs) read read much (laughs) no (laughs) i can read it myself just fine yeah so when it came to licensing we could make these things and people could buy them here's my insertion that was a commentary on okay we want to be able to sell these to make money on them okay right so when it came to licensing we could make these things and people could buy them so it was like well sure it was okay with these people on the license because that's obviously something we'll have to deal with. And in retrospect, it seems as though it was their take on it was where just, you know, a couple of guys who are going to make this thing and, and ride around the shows because we like doing that kind of thing. I guess a better sharing of intent would have maybe helped that to be resolved sooner. But at the time, we were just looking for permission and thought we found it and we moved on. 
So now keep in mind, this is an interview after the announcement that they have no license. Yes. And uh, despite my poor reading, my takeaway is the feeling was, is okay, we've, we've kind of got fair use of it. We we're not going to do any harm. You know, we're going to kind of, we're kind of, we're looking for permission and we thought we'd found it and we got what we thought we needed. We thought Fox wasn't going to mess with us and quote, and we moved on. So let me go ahead and insert this in here. Rod and the guys over at Pinheads are crying because this is their 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 production values are awesome, and this is just <laughs> their production values this is are awesome. Terrible. <laughs> All right, so let me let me go ahead and run let me go ahead and run this. And again, this is a segment from our interview back that was at L, uh, Little Arcade Expo back in 2014. Yeah. But uh, this one girl was just so hardcore in it. She thinks it's just so cool. Yeah. Now, was she, she was for the pinball or for just she was going to make the license available? Which she was she was for pinball. She just gotcha. thought it was she That's thought it was awesome. dead. Yeah, you know, she used to play pinball all the time when she was a girl and did everything she could to make sure that we were set up in such a way that they could make that happen. So my takeaway on go ahead, Whitney. Go ahead. No, it, it just sounds to me like there's just a, a massive disconnect between what they thought they had and what they didn't have and then what they operated under. And it just seems like, there, it sounds to me like there was never a piece of paper traded between Fox and, and Skid B. I don't know that to be the case, but uh, definitely the story seems to represent that. It's it's just, it's such a shame. Well, my take on it is, is that there was this relationship that was being built based on you know kind of what we pulled out of our interview back in 14 there was a contact at fox and there was a relationship being built with that that contact i mean hey this person played pinball this person did this this person wanted to make this happen i don't know to me that that's a little bit more than shooting an email or a phone call and getting an email or a phone call back it's like dude if you want to create a machine with predator on in your basement we really can't stop you if you want to take it around we can't stop you kind of a fair use type of a thing yeah to me that's that's a little bit more of a uh, there's more than a disconnect there i mean those are two different things to me yeah but when it when it all boils down though either you have the license or you don't correct and it doesn't matter whether this girl is into pinball or whether she's not or whether um, you feel that you have the ability um, the legal ability to go ahead and manufacture a game based on this license if you don't have the piece of paper from Fox stating that you had the license then you're you're operating on on assumptions and hearsay and I think that 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 is the is the dangerous part that just really tended to cause this to unravel well you say assumptions and let me poorly read yeah poorly read you know I've not gotten better at this as I've gotten older <laughs> Yeah, you know, my contacts are drying out. I don't like this display. The angle's wrong, and all the other excuses yeah, that I yeah, can make. You blame your tools. Yeah, blame I, your tools. I can barely talk, let alone read. So, look, you, you mentioned assumptions. So, this is the last little excerpt I want to read from uh, um, the, the interview at Pinball News. Again, okay. the interview is post discussion of the license not being obtained. Okay. And, of course, as we head down into this stuff and we really started having to hit the nitty gritty on what we were doing and when people would ask do you really have a license for this thing it becomes really dismissive to say yeah of course we do because as far as we knew we did so it's like of course we do and we'll just move on to the other questions everybody has jeez that that to me is just 
in my mind, that's negligent. And I don't, I don't really know how you can build a business model on we think we do. So here's where I have personally, and again, you know, personally because we, we had the opportunity to speak about this and interview about this and to talk directly to the company about this, not personally because we had money tied up in it. Right. I mean, uh, it's no secret, Rod over at Pinhead's, he had money tied up in it. Yeah, and I feel so bad for him. Yeah, I feel so bad for all of for them. For everybody. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if there's been any resolution in this particular situation. I know we talked a little bit about uh, Zidware and, and the cash situation there, where it seems like it's gone. It's been spent. It's been used to develop what's what's currently there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the last things I've heard about Predator is is that it's still there, minus what is in the big picture some small expenses to get parts for initial builds. Yeah, but the thing about it is, but, even if the machines are there, they'll never see the light of day. Well, well I'm sorry. My impression is is that some money was spent for parts, you know, a, a pile of pop bumpers, a pile of this, a pile of that. That all adds up, but it's not a significant... My inference was it wasn't a significant portion of the money that was put in for down payments. So in my mind, I was thinking you might get the majority of your money back, yeah. but not all of your money back. Yeah, but Brent, there's also... But I haven't the, heard of that happening. No, and neither, and neither have I. And I don't think that it takes a whole lot to to connect the dots to say how much of that uh, down payment money was spent on living expenses, how much was spent on travel expenses to go to the shows, how much was spent on you know entertainment or, or whatever that may be that did not directly relate to producing the games, but was part of sustaining the business model for the time that it was up and running. So there may be a, what you're feeling is there may be a significant chunk of the cash gone. It's yes. not just hard parts and then yes. the, the, their labor's thrown, thrown away that, extensively. Yes. yes. Yes, Th- that's what I feel. Just knowing, knowing what I know, uh, you know, I've been involved with uh, small businesses before, and uh, there's a lot that has to go on behind the scenes uh, in order to make, the, in order to you know make the donuts, so to speak. And I, I do. I I just have this sinking feeling in my gut that a lot of that money probably went went out as soon as it came in. You yeah. know, unfortunately. So here's the thing that really sticks in my craw. Uh huh. So thus far, looking at the Pinball News interview, the feeling is is that Predator thought, the Predator Pinball LLC or whatever it is, they thought that they were good to go with basically a fair use license. In my poor reading, that's what I was trying to convey is that that's what my takeaway is. If you go back and read the interview with Kevin himself, he, he felt from that interview that he was covered. He talked to him. They said, we don't really kind of care. Merry Christmas. And then as the rest of the story unfolds, they start, you know, and Kevin said, himself says, we weren't hiding. Okay. So I truly feel Kevin thought he had some level of permission mm-hmm. because by his own words, we took it to shows. We showed it around. It's not like we were doing it in the basement and we came out one day and said, blah, there it is. I understand that. But go. I think I know where you're going. Go ahead. In no way, shape, or form can I profit off the intellectual property of someone else and cause that to be the basis of my business model without being in some type of agreement, written or otherwise, 
with the person's intellectual property that I'm using. Now, whether you like Fox, whether you don't, whether you think they're a big evil corporation or you love everything that they do, it doesn't matter. If you don't have your paperwork sorted and the details taken care of, it leads to nothing but frustration and heartbreak. Now, and that's exactly where this is gone. Is this a circle back to the earlier comment about that crossing of all the pieces and parts to make a successful venture you you may have the creative side here but without the business side you know it's a it's a failing proposition yes and and i think that if you i'm not going to draw parallels but i think that if you look at it from the outside in and not being on the inside looking out but if you look at the whole zidware and john papaduke scenario they obviously had the creative side nailed they they had the artwork the game design all that stuff was taken care of but they have wound up in a scenario where they have to be they they essentially have to be assimilated. <laughs> Somebody has to come in and take over for the for for the other nine things out of ten that were not being done. It doesn't matter how well the one thing that was done was done. There was not enough water being bailed out of the boat. Right. So let's get back to the thing that kind of. Hit gets into my quote unquote crawl here. Okay, oh, so we we were probably a little different. I'm kind of curious yeah. as, to what, as to what yours is. So, and I don't want anybody to take this as a bash of Kevin. I don't want anyone to take this as a bash of anybody. You know, the facts kind of are what they are. And like I said, I I kind of had this thing in the back of my mind when I started hearing some of the some of the the post fallout interviews and the like, and I'm just like, man. One plus one does not equal two in this equation. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we had some... And it's not what he said. Yeah. <laughs> we had some stuff sitting out there, and it's it's no secret that our episode has been out there. Since, I don't, since April 2014. Right. Now, yes. is Pinball News going to know about Broken Token? Maybe. Nah, maybe. Probably not. And, and if they do, they might they might know about us from episode 20. Yeah, you know, because exactly. episode eight, I mean, that was... We yeah. were really starting, and we're still starting. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. We're not at a, we're not at a level of a lot of the guys that we've mentioned even on this show. I, I know that are so much better established than us, and do it better than us. You know, but like I said, this was out here, and and I just I just wanted to cover it again. So let me let me re, kind of recap real quick. And I feel like I'm focusing on on Predator, and I kind of am because it kind of hits close to home. It's something that we've got a pseudo stake in because we've had a personal conversation with them Mm -hmm. so that's kind of why we are where we are today and we're just kind of talking about this so let me just recap we're kind of at the point where the 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 thought was is we're being told predator pinball had a license they assumed that they could do it uh i think we're here it was in this in kevin's own words and of course as we would head down into the stuff and we really started uh having to be having to hit the nitty-gritty and of, on what we were doing and when people would ask do you really have a license for this thing it becomes really dismissive to say yeah of course we do because as far as we knew we did okay so that that and this all plays back into the okay i asked they didn't bother me i've got fair use and then when you see it all play out however it happened looking at it from the outside they got fox's attention somehow yes and eventually after having had it up for however long this ran a year and a half two years they eventually were forced to take the predator name down off their site mm-hmm. well 
let me let me play this little bit of audio from from our interview at LAX 2014. I'm guessing that you went through several iterations of the artwork. Oh yes, yes, tons. Um, we actually we had a, we had one issue with the artwork um, early on where they didn't want us to have like the the Dutch the main character up against a tree. Okay. Uh, we talked about that in uh, the Pinheads podcast a few weeks ago, but uh, we went from that and we had a couple other ideas and we eventually had to boil it down for not only reasons that it just didn't look quite right, but then you know Fox would be involved and they'd change that and when it all finally got. Uh, finished was we had a lot of pressure on us at the time to have it finished, so we we started showing it from, off from the community. Yeah, show it off. Heavy okay. pressure from the community. Okay. And when we finally showed it off, um, it was it had like just gotten done. Like I got the phone call to, to be okay that morning before an expo in Michigan. So my takeaway is is that there was a purported conversation with Fox. Mm-hmm checking back and forth on artwork sign off we don't like this uh you've got the okay oh wipe the sweat off the brow i'm cool i can go to this show and show it yeah but that that is completely 180 degrees from saying that we feel like we have the license because if they feel like they have the license but they don't yet they're talking with fox and they're doing artwork approvals which would could only be done after the license is secured it, right. just, it just doesn't add up. Yeah, you're not. There's there's two there's two stories being told here, and they're not even in parallel. They actually veer away from each other, and they just happen to be on the same subject. And that and that's really unfortunate because in between the two lines are people's money. Right, and and, that, that's, and their faith. That's that's my takeaway. If if you if you reached out okay and you you got an okay and you think you got a fair use thing and you're a niche thing and no one's going to pay attention and you're cool whatever, that's wildly different mm-hmm. than having art checks and you know okay <laughs> last, last minute and, phone calls for public reveal and things like that and it just can't happen that way so here let, let's check this one out okay when you said that fox had came back and had commented on the position of a character yes that just it made me think because how old is the franchise well it's not even a franchise it's well i guess it is with all the predator in terms of video games yeah. and all that so yeah yeah um they they do have a stake in it to a degree but the movie itself is is quite <clears throat> old yes and they were they were as concerned about the principal characters from the original movie and their location and how they looked well they, they gave me uh some really initial pointers like right at the beginning uh, they said to, to avoid any involvement in changes, you know, just don't do anything unflattering. You know, don't have a guy dead on the playfield. You know, don't show mm-hmm. a guy in the act of dying and stuff like that because, you know, those are real people. Yes. And, you know, I'm sure that Richard Graves doesn't want to go down in history on a pinball playfield get shot in the head. But it was a cool part of the show. So it's, <laughs> it's like a balance. But, I think, yeah, the only thing that ever came back was uh, down at the bottom of the playfield. we were originally going to have him holding Arnold against the tree by his neck. It's like a staple of the movie. And uh, they didn't like it. They, they just said, we don't even want to pass this along because I know he's not going to like it. Just change it. Wow. So that kind of further drives the point home. I mean, it, at least as of this interview in 2014, the the, the take, the, the story given to the public, the buying public was that, yeah, we've got the license. And we're so far along down the line with this partnership with Fox 
that you would have no reason to believe otherwise than this game would actually get done. Yeah, I mean, we're we're checking back. We have we're doing the art checks. We're we're getting feedback. We're you know we're going to the principals and saying, is this okay? Yeah. And fast forward a year and a half later, and the it, all, sto- it all unravels to be exactly the opposite. Yeah, it does. So you know what is what does this say? You know, like I said, this isn't this. <laughs> so, so with all that, Brent, where are we at? Yeah, this isn't this isn't a bash Kevin thing. This no. isn't a bash predator thing. Honestly, I I really I really hope Kevin the best. Mm-hmm. He and just in the conversations that I've had with him, he is very bright. Oh, He's very, very sharp. There's, there's no doubt about it. He is unbelievably talented, and for him and the rest of the crew to have pulled that machine off. Um, I mean, it, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I we talked about it in the interview in episode eight of the way the play field changes. I mean, he did something in my mind that was just unbelievably innovative. He had black lights in in the game, and then he had black light reactive paint on the play field. And then when it would go into a mode, the black lights would come on, and the play field would tran the play field would transform. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's that's just I'm that's just unbelievably amazing. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, some I, I can't. I'm shocked no one else has done that yet. And if they haven't, I mean, I would look into doing that. I yeah. mean, you know, as Whitney said, the, there's two stories that just happen to share a similar topic that go two completely different directions. And honestly, you know, I, I'll go ahead and say it. And this is this is controversial for Broken Token. <laughs> I feel I have no stake in the game, but I feel incredibly misled. Yeah, you know that um, flat out lie is a hard term to throw out. No one likes to throw that out, but um, I mean, it really this this just seems very. Um, I don't know, Whitney here, help me soften this. this is, I, I'm going to say it's 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 tragically unfortunate is what there it is go. how about that okay it's simply because there was so much promise and so much potential and skitby comes on the scene and they're every man's pinball and they they get the support of the public the, the pinball public they buy in hook line and sinker and, and brent why wouldn't they it all looked good it all looked legit and you know for a time i'm sure it was legit but as everything continues to mature and continues to go and grow uh, it was proven to be otherwise, and is it a scam? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't really. Don't I don't think. know that it's. I don't know that it's an overt scam, but at the same point in time, were customers misled? Oh, you better believe. I feel that they were misled. Now, if you add all of those things together, um, it, it's it's just inappropriate, and and it's just unfortunate that um, a young man in his in his company's reputation had to suffer that. But you know. If if they had only secured the license and done things the right way, uh, they they could be enjoying success just like Charlie and the guys do at Spooky, uh, you know, and, and rightfully deserved. It's, well, it's just unfortunate. Well, from the pinball community, I truly hope that Kevin can recover. Uh, how do you I, how do you recover from something? I, I like don't that? know because the the trust is a big thing. Yeah, even you know, to me, to to me, this. The, no, this aside, having the story of we thought we had fair use, yeah. we were under the radar, we were a small player, Fox didn't care, 
that, and I'm putting words in everyone's mouth there, but that's my takeaway from the interview and, and the stuff that's over on Pinball News versus, oh, yeah, we were, had a person that just loved pinball. She understood pinball. We were w- talking back and forth on the artwork. We were having corrections made. We had sign-offs so that we were we were like, all right, we can go to the show because we got a sign-off to show the artwork. I mean, yeah. that's the other side of the spectrum. Yeah. And it's very misleading i really don't know how you recover because there's there's trust issues on multiple levels not with just kevin but i know uh you know john's gonna have problems because of zidware um i don't think jersey jack as far as i know jersey jack went out of their way to make up for something yeah. that a third party that distributor yeah. did, from what I understand, that was that was that was rectified. Yeah. I've, I've seen I've seen no um, evidence to the contrary. Yeah, they that? Jersey Jersey Jack was standing on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and somebody got a little too close to the curb and clipped him with a mirror. Yeah. you know that's yeah. Jersey Jack is outside of that. Yeah, that's just doing business. I yeah, mean, that, that's going to happen. I mean, but you know, to me, how do you how do you get around it? You follow you follow Jack's example, and you, you make and you make it right. You make it right. You pay up. Now the thing about it is, though, is let's let's fast forward to Kevin repaying everyone every penny that they paid in on on the pre order. Okay, let's assume that in a perfect world that happens. Maybe not Kevin. Let's say John Papaduke. Whatever that may be, the refunds happen in their entirety. Even then, all that does is say he manned up. It doesn't mean that I trust him. He just manned up. He, he, he made it right. I don't know that I would trust him going forward, but I am glad that he would make the, take the opportunity to make it right. See, what's unfortunate is it sounds like that's not even it's not we've not even hit yeah, hit that I, point yet. I, and I hesitate to say that that's that's well, I don't hesitate. I don't even think that's an option. That's you that's know so sad. I, I really so don't sad. think that's an option. You know, well, unless yeah, I, I got thinking about this really i'm going to reference him again because it's a great show i was listening to pinheads 13 where rod was telling a little bit of his story and that was bringing back more memories of conversations that this the the audio that we played when when you and i interviewed kevin as i I was walking my dog i was walking maxine and i was like if it was me and i had dug this hole i would start selling stuff and i would take a loan against whatever i had Mm -hmm just so that i could do something to clear my to name. clear my name that's exactly you know there's right. a saying don't do something during the day that's going to keep you up at night <laughs> yeah you know and some people that's fair i'm one of those people that if i do something during the day that's not right it's going to keep me up at night yeah. some people aren't like that i'm not saying kevin is y- you yeah, know i understand but, but the situation though right yes i mean from for my perspective the the first thing to do is to to make yourself whole yeah and in all honesty these people who've given you a loan for me to have a good taste or at least a decent taste in my mouth if i was an investor if i was a pre-order you needed to give me a percentage back yeah. you, you needed to treat this as a loan and i need to get more back than i yeah yeah exa- that's my opinion exactly but you know it, it doesn't sound like that's going to be able to happen so what is the net of all this and uh, i guess brent this is you know, I guess kind of a, a good way to yeah, guess, wrap, kind of wrap this kind of up. A, put a little bow on this put a bow bit on of despair. It. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going to get into some happy stuff. Yeah. Next happy, week. happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy with, with feedback. And we've got a lot of feedback, which is cool. Some neat stuff to talk so, about. So the net of this. So so the net of this to me is 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 this, okay? Pinball grew up, okay? And it grew up in a painful way. Now, the hobby didn't necessarily 
grow up per se the game didn't necessarily grow up but the industry grew up and a lot of people through being burned i guess for lack of a better term uh they unfortunately they were the they were the pioneers they had the arrows in their backs and it's unfortunate that their money had to be used to teach to i guess demonstrate a lesson for everyone else but um what I take away from this, though, Brent, is that it takes an established company who has a product first and then lists it for sale, collects your money, and then delivers on said product within a certain an agreed upon amount of time, mm-hmm. a respectable amount of time, okay, as Stern does, as Jersey Jack has done, as Spooky has done, okay? That's really the only way to buy pinball at this point because I think the other ways have proven to be unsustainable. Uh, and I would agree. You know, I started off with saying pre-orders are dead. Now, the, the, for capital things, if if you are Brent Griffith and you've got, well, let's not use Brent Griffith because I was going to say you've got a name in the community. I don't have anything. If you if you're somebody out there and you've got a name in the community and you're doing small run reproduction parts or small run tools or something like that. The, the the buyers you know I, i'm i'm i can chip in on a 50 dollar tool yeah or if it's someone that's done several whatevers and okay well there are 14 projects in that person could always go astray mm-hmm. but i'm more apt to say okay yeah i'll i'll lend you 200 dollars for two months to let you get the rest of your pre-orders and then a bezel or a piece of metal or something show up at my door. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. That's too. a little bit of a gamble, but it, it's not like a multi-thousand dollar game where there's a lot of moving parts, figuratively and literally. So I think I, it's dead. I, the pre-order's I th- I th- dead. I think it is. And one of the questions that I'm left with on all this, and I don't ever expect to get an answer, but at the same point, I think it's a valid question to ask, is if it takes a pre-order like that to sustain your business during the time of making the pre-order or of building the product, was there ever a business plan? Was was there ever, was that ever vetted by a bank or by an inve- you know an angel investor or anyone else? Because well, no, because then the vetting, the money would have come as a result of the vet, vetting from bingo, the bank. Bingo, Brent! Yes. Wow, <laughs> sweet dude, you hit the nail on the head. And that right there, I think, speaks volumes for for either how viable the business is, whether it's the people involved or whether it's the model that they that they purport to sustain themselves by. But um, pinball is not the problem. Okay. It's the last thing from it's the furthest thing from the problem. This industry is growing by leaps and bounds, even, you know, even by looking at what Stern does and Spooky does and, and Jersey Jack does and everything like that. Brent, pinball is a viable business. This is not a pinball issue. They just didn't run their business right. Yes, I would agree. Uh, and that's sad. My, my final thought is, but then we'll get into some happy stuff, is uh, I said this at SFGE as part of our collecting uh, panel, mm-hmm. don't fall in love. You yeah, know, that, don't fall in love with the concept of having a predator or this or that or, you know, John's John's game or 
wait till it's material yeah no matter what it is unfortunately i mean that that's a very hard that's a very pragmatic way of having to view the world but unfortunately it's it's tough to argue it otherwise kind of a (laughs) self-preservation i guess i guess it is i guess it is but yeah hey man that's that's our take on it you know there's uh, and and like i say i'll wrap this up by saying you know we're just we're just two guys looking at this and i think it was interesting because we had kevin on our show uh yes definitely go back and and look at look at episode 142 of uh of of nate shiver show coast to coast go back and look at episode 13 uh i'm sorry listen to episode 13 of uh you know rod and 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 his guys uh talk about uh, talk about this whole scenario with uh with the pinheads podcast and pinball news everybody else has covered it far better than we have we're just i think we're just benefiting from looking at everything that has been done thus far taking what we know we have had on our show prior and then just adding a little bit of editorial on top of it but uh yeah it's it's an interesting topic uh we could talk on and on about it uh but i we're not going to change a single thing and, and it's not going to change so no. it is what it is so whitney let's move on to happier topics and uh, we'll slide into <laughs> yes. feedback and news yeah let's let's do that brent This is my second favorite part of the show, right behind the part where we spend your money. This is the feedback section of, of the show. It's the only reason you do the show. Is <laughs> to talk to people and spend my uh, money. Spending your money, it's great. Now, Brent, we've gotten you know quite a good bit of feedback this month, and you know it's it's neat because it's spread over Twitter, it's spread over Facebook, it's spread over. Uh, we've got some iTunes reviews. I, I want to uh, acknowledge and, and read out here real quick. We've got some people that are helping us out there with iTunes. Uh, some very recently, actually. And then just emails just kind of poured in, uh, you know, from people we met at SFG and just feedback from previous episodes and so on. But here, here's the thing, Brent. Um, you know, Twitter, it's it's neat because I can kind of see the groundswell of followers. I mean, we definitely picked up quite a bit from from SSG and then over the past month. But, you know, Brent, we pick up like two to three a day, you know, on, on some days. And then most every other day, it's like one or two. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot to to a lot of people. And I know it's I know it's you know not when you compare when you compare you know us to you know a lot of bigger you know names out on the internet but the big thing about it is this is all organic growth it's not it's not bots it's not anything like that i mean this these are these are people that really want the content so i i'm just I, every time i see somebody follow up it just kind of makes me happy because it's like yeah cool it's somebody else that we're picking up and then we're reaching i did pay 25 random people at sfge to follow oh, oh us. did you did you oh well it's okay i'll okay. take it i'll take it it's all good you know just toss what i said out the window i'll take it it was oddly enough it was people that weren't even at the show it was like when we were out like doing stuff i was yeah. like here dude yeah it's, it's, here's it's, a five go favor this it's voter registration man that's how it works yeah. all the dead guys they voted seven <laughs> times <laughs> so facebook is growing as well yeah we are as of this recording we are right at 699 likes trying to cross that magical you know 700 border or <laughs> any even hundred border yes, so yes, and i remember when we crossed th- we crossed 300 it was like awesome yes, yes it's we are we're really growing the, the name's getting out there and yeah. which is cool because it it 
tells us that people enjoy what we're doing. Yeah. So it's it's a labor of love. It is. It's awesome. So we, we thank you for thank you for all that. And people that are weighing in on, on the Facebook page, I've got one here I pulled. This is from Cam McMillian. And he said, guys, I just discovered your podcast and loving it. Arcade slash pen talk, you know, peppered with some Southern charm. Yeah, we got charm, don't we? We got something. We got something. Okay, charm makes my work commute bearable. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. See, well, Cam, thank you, man. I you, appreciate you taking you the time You should have done do the that. reading in the earlier segment. You're obviously <laughs> built for this. See, like... Oh, all right. It, it's all Hold good. on. Hold it's on. Let me get out my trifocals. So David Paul posted up some pictures to our Facebook page of the SFGE VIP party. And yeah. I talked about this a little bit on the last episode where on the left side of our page, if you post to our page, that will, sh- it'll show up over there. So yeah. if you've got pictures or comments or whatever, it, so David, you know, posted up some cool pictures from the the VIP party, and honestly, man, I turned around. I was like, "How did you even get in here?" Yeah, how it's did, like, why are we even there? Yeah, you I know? mean, how did they, you let David in? I mean, <laughs> I don't feel special anymore. <laughs> like, I was thinking, how did we get in? Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're selling yourself short, son. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. I paid, <laughs> I paid a golf to let you in. <laughs> well, thank you, David. We appreciate you doing that. That was awesome. And uh, Sharon O'Shea, uh, she posted up on the page and said, "Far, far, far." So it's it's kind of like it's kind of like you know Gomer Powell I guess a little bit isn't it? <laughs> it's a play on firepower. Yeah, it's a play on firepower. So it was awesome. So Sharon, thank you so much. She posted up some really good pictures of the events. And, you know what's funny is uh, you know several of them were of our backs while we were playing games, and I thought that was she was like cool. stalking us. Well, no, but it was it was cool though because we very rarely get to play. Yeah. you know, and she she caught us while we were playing some of the games. Well, I, lo- I, I had just, to look at my. I just kind of thought that was cool. I had to look at Facebook to see what games I even played. <laughs> yes, you and me both. And she got some great uh, pictures from the podcasting after dark session. Uh, she got some pictures of the My Little Pony bag and uh, of the breakout sessions as well. So that was really cool. So Sharon, uh, we really appreciate uh, your contribution to the show as well. So thank you. Looks like iTunes have been uh, uh, doing us some solids. Yeah, you know, I, I pulled a couple uh, of, of the more recent ones. And See, I'm not going to read those. I've already proven. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'll do it right to you. That's okay. No worries. You know, it, it, the the iTunes reviews, guys, we, we really, really appreciate you doing it. It does help us to get noticed. Uh, here's here's a, a couple of these right here. So this is from uh, Demonicus, and he says, if you like the golden age of arcade and pinball, or if you remember sinking quarters into that classic arcade game back in the day, you will enjoy this podcast. Two Southern guys talking about arcade ownership and repair. This is a long format podcast, but it packs both humor and tons of great tips on all the classics. Always looking forward to the next episode. Keep it going, guys. Firepower for the win. See, that's you, awesome. You noticed that on the end right there? <laughs> Firepower for the win. So. See, uh, that's awesome because it's not just like you're this podcast is good yeah no, no x yeah. stars or i mean there was a lot of thought put in that and we yeah. really appreciate that i mean that. it's it's awesome just puts a smile on my face to read that so uh we've got another one here for my big burner 1977 he goes i don't know if i could ever have an arcade myself but i love to listen to these guys talk about the machines and how much they enjoy the titles the hobby might be too expensive for me but i can still enjoy listening about the hobby and you know something big burner 1977 it's kind of a mouthful there but you know what they're big burner <laughs> We appreciate you, and we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Demonicus, the same thing uh, for you as well. You know, guys, you'll you'll find a machine for fifty bucks one day. It doesn't cost all that much to get into the hobby. Now, eh, you listen to us, and we'll we'll run through some money for you, but it really won't take that <laughs> Whitney, much to get in. Whitney will run through some money for you. <laughs> yes, yes, Whitney will definitely run through some money for you. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just really good feedback, neat stuff. Yeah, Big Burner, don't let 
it, it can be an expensive hobby, but don't, yeah. don't let that be a barrier to entry. Yeah, and just, you can take it on your own I, terms. I've said this a hundred times. I already said it during the show. Just don't fall in love. Yeah. Fine. Just just wait. Something will come up. Keep an eye out in your area. Yeah. And um, I mean, worst case, fall back and build you something. Yeah. You know, get you get you a multi board. You know, do maim. Do something if you enjoy the hobby. Yeah. You know, it'll work out. It'll work out. It'll work its way out. So, Brent, we've got some emails this month as well. Uh, several were from people that we met at SFG, and then others were just some, uh, you know, just some submissions and some discussion that happened based upon, uh, you know, some content in episode 30. So, uh, I'll go ahead and start with this. So, Mitch Newbauer, he is the host of the Retro Game Fix podcast. Uh, he emailed me, and we were talking about doing Tron restorations, and he had his Tron down at uh, SFG. And Mitch was also one of the gentlemen who sat in on the 8-bit retro gaming uh, session at SFG as well. And Brent, I don't know if you got to play his Tron or see his Tron, but it's probably the prettiest Tron I have ever seen. I, I saw it in passing. Unfortunately, okay. yeah, as we've mentioned, we did get to play some games, but just coming and going and doing yeah. our thing, it was difficult. Well, I, I played his Tron and I played it quite a bit and I really enjoyed it because the artwork was so vibrant. You know, the fluorescents were just it, working a hundred and you know, hundred and ten percent. You know, the joystick was right, the spinner was right, the monitor was nice and bright, the translite was perfect. It was just a heck of a Tron to play. And uh, when I saw that Mitch was on the panel, I you know I kind of pulled him off to the side afterwards and we were talking about uh, you know talking about his his restorations and everything and uh, he and I kind of you know kind of talked up an email thread and we've just been going back and forth and I mean, my Tron's nice, but it's nothing like his. And so he was just kind of giving me some tips on what I could do. And, you know, if I ever decide to... How uh, to spiff up your Tron. Yeah, spiff up the Tron. So, uh, you know, in talking to Mitch, uh, it cost me more money, but that's okay. I'll just leave it at that. Go, because, Mitch, go. Yeah, go, because, Mitch, go. Because we've, we've got to, you know, we've got to have something to talk about next month. And not that that'll be a problem for us, but nonetheless, we'll add it to the add it to the mix. But, yeah, going to gussy up the Tron at some point. So, so it looks like uh, there's one here from uh, Bill Lang. Yeah. Did you all meet at SFG? Yeah, he was one of the guys who uh, won one of the uh, Safeback distributors. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. And it uh, looks like he is going to be sending over an image of the 2600 Halo poster of the pixelated Master Chief yeah. drawn out in 6502 assembly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how awesome is that? <laughs> you know, I cannot wait to see that. So, uh, you know, we talked with Bill through email, uh, you know, maybe a week or week and a half back. And I need to follow back up with him because I definitely want to get that because if there's any way I can get that thing printed out, I'm going to do it because that would be something you print and frame and hang in your game room. I mean, how awesome is that? Are, That's are, sweet. Are we starting to add consoles too? Because Jim Hale and I, I, Jim James, I, I think he'll answer to both. I yeah, called him James and Jim interchangeably all yeah. weekend at SFGE. Uh, he, Jim slash James Hale, he, he's the gentleman that helped us uh, with some of the gifts for Preston and Patrick. Yeah, indefinite friend of the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. He sent over a link to the PDF of the Atari 2600 Programmer's Guide. Yeah. The program the Stella. Yeah, now, here's, here's well, the interesting... What are you getting into? Well, I, I, you know, I don't really know, but I like it, you know, so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we went to eat lunch with Jim and uh, Sean O'Shea one day while we were down at SFG, and Jim had in his car uh, 
a bind a printed and bound copy of the Stellar Programmer's Guide, and it was just it was so neat. And so yeah, Jim, thanks for sending that over. I'm going to take a look at that. Uh, he'd also sent me uh, a couple of other links from some stuff off of uh, Atari Age, just about you know Stephen Cart some of Stephen Cartwright's uh, documentation. He of course you know he was from Activision, Megamania, and so on like that. So just really cool stuff. And um, looks it, like we've heard from the infamous. Oh yes, Mr. The, Mr. Joe Zink. Mr. Joe Zink. Yeah. So Joe sends some feedback on episode 30 and Joe writes in to say, you guys have talked about how hard it is to find powder coaters willing to do small jobs. <laughs> Very true. I haven't yet started to look around, but I've tried looking for wood CNC vendors and vacuum forming vendors, which are which there are plenty of in the Chicago area. I must have contacted a dozen companies and not a single one even replies to me. Often when I don't even describe the project, I simply ask, what's your minimum order and typical cost? I may have found one local guy that does both. He specializes in custom guitar parts that we've been playing phone tag. So, Joe, I, I guess the best way to sum that up is, I mean, we feel your pain. I mean... At least you've got access to some of the vacuum forming, and uh, you know some some of the vendors that, that do that. But here in Kentucky, I I truly believe it's we have less than what you have, and so our our pickings are just somewhat slimmer in that. But yeah, it's it's good feedback, Jonah, and I appreciate it. And you know yeah, we, we certainly appreciate you listening. Yeah, we've got less manufacturing here, yes. so if you're doing it like the gentleman that that whitney is using now yeah it's more um he's small business it's, it's all so small business. If, you, if you find somebody want to do it yeah it's all whatever small, it is yeah it's all small business is kind of done out of a cardboard box and you know cardboard box you know there's some money changes hands and and it, you know it's that it's nothing formalized at i swear all. officer it's just powder coating it's, it's just powder coating that's it so daniel brackett sent over some oh, PDF. This, this was great <laughs> he this sent over great. some pdf files that are scans of the book how to win at video games yes now i looking at this at the cover of this i remember this book i never I owned it but i remember it i remember it apparently well. it also clarifies the pronunciation of taito yes taito somewhere within the book it does yeah there is one of the uh one of the pages in the book uh and it's mentioned here on the on the front page uh, or on the cover of the book uh kicks is one of the games that is documented inside here and if you look at the scans uh which daniel sent me several uh it, it is actually spelled out that ta- that the word the word that looks like tato is said or pronounced as taito yeah, so there so it is. I, I remember the book. I remember the cover. I don't remember ever looking at it. It, it just says here, uh, featuring the latest, vi- <laughs> latest, <laughs> so dated, <laughs> the latest video game strategies and tips. Donkey yeah. Kong, Pac-Man, Kicks, Tempest, Centipede, Omega Race, Phoenix, Defender, Asteroids, and more. And I wonder, if, honestly, if, if you open it up, does it not just a page? It just says, don't die. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Donkey Kong, don't hit barrels. Yeah, don't hit barrels. <laughs> jump, jump when opposed, you know? <laughs> Yes. something like that but uh but I, i'm going to take these uh pdfs that daniel sent to me brent and i'm going to do a separate blog post on this because it, it's it's too good of info not to share i mean this is a blast from the past and daniel daniel just came through big time and and had quite a bit to say about the whole topic and it was just all good stuff so daniel yeah thank you man it's uh it was much appreciated and uh, neat stuff to see i like you brent I completely forgot this even existed. And then when I started looking through the scans, it's like, it's like great googly moogly. This is actually a thing that I remember, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was neat to see. Neat to see. 
So Whitney, what do we have, or what's coming up from uh, shows and events perspective? Yeah, well, fortunately, Brent, we you know we get a little chance to rest and recharge. We're not on the road, you know, for the next month or so, so that's good. But from a show uh, and event perspective, the two big ones that's coming up, uh, and one of them actually will probably already be uh, completed by the time that we publish this episode. But it's it's just so big, you want to mention it. it's just California Extreme. Uh, it's the Hot Regency Santa Clara. That's July 18th and 19th, uh, 2015, and that's at uh, W www.caextreme.org. Uh, have you ever been to Cash? I have not. Yeah, neither have I. I have not. Would definitely love to go. And then another show that I wish, wish, wish we we could have made was uh, Replay FX, and that's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at replayfx.org. And the big thing about that, Brent, of course, the entire Papa collection is going to be out for people to play. One of my games should be there. Yeah, exactly. And the Kong of Four, Richie Knuckles, uh, yep. is, is going to be hosting uh, the Kong of Four, huge event there as well. I, I, I mean. Th- the replay F- uh, replay FX just sounds like a it just sounds like a home run just a slam dunk man I, I, just, I wish we could go so and I've got one mention this isn't a show as much as as it is a destination oh okay friend of the show John Salter's Full Blast Arcade oh yeah has yeah. opened in uh, Northridge Ohio and I believe that's close to Columbus uh, no cl- it would be up towards Cleveland oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I think no you're yeah. you're right it's up yeah. toward Cleveland so it's um. We'll have a link to his Facebook page for the for his Full Blast Arcade, for John's Full Blast Arcade, in our show notes. The address, if you're anywhere near Northridge, is 34877 Lorraine Road. And, you know, John just recently had uh, an opening kind of event, if you will. I think Joe West was up there. I know Carrie Chaney from down at the Place Retro Arcade in Cincinnati was up there. Estel Goffin was up there. Uh, Walter Day was there. Billy Mitchell. I uh, was. was I'm not sure. I I don't recall. If I saw a picture of Billy there. I, I thought he was. Uh, I know Richie Wal- Knuckles. Was I know there. Richie was there. Yeah. So uh, Billy may have been there. Regardless, if you're up that way, stop in, check out John's place. Uh, the pictures. The the game selection is awesome. I mean, he's got a journey. There's a cube, but of course, there's a Donkey Kong, um, Zaxxon, Defender, Berserk. I mean, this is an awesome lineup. Yeah, Discs of Tron. This is an awesome lineup for a for a business that just opened. That just, that just opened. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, your your full selection great. of fighters, asteroids, asteroids deluxe, armor attack. I mean, there's just Jungle King. I mean, there's there's just game after game. Yeah. Quality titles. Yeah. Looks good. Looks good. And we wish all the John. We, we we wish John all the best with that. So yeah, it's really cool. So uh, so with that, Brent, you know, we'll go ahead and wrap the show and just say that uh, you know we we really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you can check us out. Uh, we're available on the Throwback Network at uh, throwbacknetwork.net. Now, we can be found also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We appreciate you guys uh, picking us up there. And please uh, leave a review and rate the podcast as well. We're also available on Xbox Music and social media, uh, Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash Broken Token, Twitter at Broken Token, and, of course, our website, brokentoken.com. And like I say, uh, yeah, check our website. Uh, we're going to be publishing a few blog posts that that are not a podcast episode related, but uh, re- you know refer back to some of the stuff that we've discussed in this episode uh, and so on as well so yeah i'd like to say we appreciate everybody and as as usual keep an eye on our facebook page as well Uh feel free if you've got a comment or uh, a suggestion or just pictures of an event that you've been at or your game room yeah post them up to our page post them up we'd be 
happy to see him uh, and catch us on the Twitter machine. Yes, and and you know the thing, I keep threatening to join it, and I just you should you should I just mm, <laughs> I got it so much other that's mm. all good. I, but you know what? I love when people you know I love when people send us stuff because uh, I, I we we love to interact with the listeners, and I think we do. Uh, you know, I feel like we do a good job at that, and it's it's something that we genuinely enjoy to do. So just send us the stuff, we reply back, and uh, yeah, like I say, just keep on listening and with. With that, game on. Congratulations, you made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode, they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with, but I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at 470-2-CALL-BT. That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you, and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes, and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page, as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening. The Broken Token Podcast would like to thank the only person on staff who has actual vocal talent, Miss Christy Litzy. And that's me. <laughs> Music for the Broken Token Podcast, graciously provided by Hacy Dixie. Head over to their website at www.hayseed-dixie.com for videos, tour dates, merchandise, and to purchase music. Hey everybody, this is Whitney. And Brent. From the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. We'd like to take a moment to congratulate a key member of the pinball community and a fellow podcaster concerning their recent announcement. That's right, Whitney. We would like to congratulate the fine folks at Spokey Pinball. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold, hold on, Brent. I think you read the name wrong. That's right, Whitney. We'd like to congratulate the fine folks at Speaky Pinball. That, on it, what? No, 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 Brent. Whoa, whoa. Give it another try. We would like to congratulate the fine folks at Speedy Pinball. <sighs> Brent, strike three. At Splash Pinball. Uh, I mean, uh, son of a bitch. Brent, no, not even close. Spinner Pinball. Uh, son of a bitch. Seriously, dude, are you even reading the copy? Spoon Pinball. Spaced Pinball. Spam Pinball. Spit Pinball. What the fuck? Brent, really? Spit Pinball? A tangerine on a unicycle coin pusher and redemption equipment. Now you're just being silly. Dude, seriously, what, what is this even about? Have you, have you read the rest of this? Rob Zombie? I don't even know what that's about. This is just How do you make a pinball about stealing from a zombie? What can you do? Shoot the loop to get some brains. I mean, brains. What does a zombie have that I want? That is not a theme that's going to sell. They did a great job with that America's Most Whatever thing. They made their own theme. That was awesome. They made their own backstory. You You just can't stick two words together and say, that's a theme. 
Look, it worked back in the day. Future Spa, that's awesome. Those days are gone. There will never be another hard body. You're not going to do it. This is just silliness. Original themes are nice, but you've got to have something to hang your hat on. How else would you expect to rival something like a Maverick? Why not a band? Music is hot right now. Everybody knows that. Stealing from a zombie, Rob Zombie. What in the world is that about? You realize the hole that you've just dug, right? I just, I, I'm done. I'm out. I quit. I'm off. <sighs> Guys, all I can do is apologize and say that the Broken Token Podcast would like to congratulate the fine folks at Spooky Pinball on the announcement of their second game, Rob Zombie Spook Show. We wish the best for Charlie, KT, Bug, Squirrel, and all the minions. We're sure the game will be just as much of a success as America's Most Haunted. So check out SpookyPinball.com for game details and to find the Spooky Pinball Podcast. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Stealing from a zombie.